We dumped some of their kind there. What? The joints. They left the weight outside. We don't want them. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Richard Hutchinson and I'm your host for episode 95, Celebrate Star Wars, Come On. Joining me as always is Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. 95, Richard. 95, that's the combined age of Andy. No, in fact, it's probably younger than Andy and uh, and Mr. Jace, isn't it, really? They must they must be well over 120 now. I would have thought they're push, definitely name. definitely pushing into Peter Cushion years, aren't they? Yeah. And Alec Guinness. Uh, Pete, what was the Saturday cartoon that you had to get up for? Saturday? Oh my goodness! It probably wasn't a cartoon. It was that flashing blade. What was it called? It wasn't a cartoon though. It oh. was called the Flashing Blade, I think, wasn't it? The Flashing Blade. Yeah, it was like a. Sword and sword and swords, more swords, swashbuckling kind of program. It was an amazing theme tune. We'll play it over me talking because, like, it's an amazing program. Oh, I love that show. Never even heard of it. Oh, <laughs> youngster. Next on the list is Andy Spoons Norton. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Richard. Andy, what was a TV show that you sat down as a family to watch as a kid and you had to watch it without fail? I'm very pleased to say we're still doing it now. That was the Muppets. Big fans of the Muppets in uh, in my house Sunday Sunday evenings. I'm trying to relive those experience with my lot. And they generally they generally watch it. There tends to be screens in hand and one eye on the TV and one eye on the screen. But yeah, Muppets has lost none of its charm. Never liked the Muppets. Even as a kid, I hated them. Other than the Muppets Christmas Carol, that was, that's the only get out of jail free card they get. It's good evening, Jason Smith. Evening, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Jason, what was the show you watched as you raced home from school in your kilt? Uh, well, I never wore a kilt to school because uh, nobody, nobody did that. But I would normally race home to watch. Well, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't be been swap shop because that was a Saturday morning. So, for racing home from school, it would probably have been um, something like Battle of the Planets. I'm going to say. Yeah, great cartoon that. And last we have Andy Preston. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Rich. You're right. Yep, fine. What was the first show you watched in colour? <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, oh, God knows. When I was very, very little, first show I got memories of watching is probably something like Blue Peter. Uh, but I think Jason Stole My Thunder, Battle of the Planets is the one I was going to say. Love that show. I didn't like Blue Peter either. I couldn't stand that show. I, I remember watching The Snooker in black and white. No. Do you like anything, Richard? Well, when I was a kid, I would watch things like Chucky and um, a, a little bit of Green Chill, not a lot. Oh, I, I mean, I like obviously He Man, Moss Universe, um, but I never like Thundercats for some reason. Um, yeah, there was quite quite a few shows. 
Rich, here's a Green Chill fact for you. This is disturbing. I was once stalked online by a member of the Green Chill cast. Really? I've, I've, yeah, I've got the police. I think it's quite disturbing. It was, it was over a football forum very long ago. Was yeah. it? Was it Trevor Cleaver? It, well, I wish it was because I could have been. I used to see Trevor Cleaver at Arsenal. That was like I added. If Arsenal lost, it was okay because you see Trevor Cleaver in the ground. No, this this was some. He was he was in it for a little while, but he he hacked our work computers. Well, um, yeah, I know. He got really serious. Got into the police and everything. And uh, yeah, we had to. Uh, he, he, he got fired in the end. I'll learn him. And of course, the Star Wars connection, Grange Hill, Mr. Bronson. Yeah, we are. Michael, Michael Sheard himself, what a lovely man. He would have been 84 yesterday, oh, I believe. Terrified. Had he still man. been around? I remember watching Star Wars back in the day and being so happy when uh, the Grange Hill teacher got killed off by Darth Vader. It was fantastic. Because <laughs> he was me. Mr. Bronson was a nasty. He, was, he terrified me as a kid because we had teachers like him who were really severe. Well, did his, didn't his wig end up in the pool? Once wasn't that? That's one? it. That's like, right. That was, that was classic. That. <laughs> yeah, that that brought back scary memories. That does. Yeah, he was. He he, pl- he also played Hitler, didn't he? But I, I don't think Hitler was quite as scary as Mr. Bronson. No, no, Mr. Bronson would have easily done in Hitler. He was no chance. Well, then, leading into the show, first of all, let's start off with a bit of sad news. So our thoughts all go out to Tom Darby and his children, as the really sad news um, that was posted by Brian Angel earlier this month was that, sadly, Tom's wife, Leslie, had died on a flight, a return flight from Celebration and Blood Clot. She was really, really sad. Brian set up a GoFundMe campaign, and we posted details on that on our social media page and it's called the march for our leslie honoring the derby family eighty seven thousand seven hundred and eighty three dollars in donations raised so far of a goal of one hundred thousand and you could see there there was lots of love from the community um, being posted on there leslie as well as our oldest daughter annabelle were proud participants in the march for our lives which is a movement to support victims of gun violence and to change gun policies far and wide so in lieu of cards of flowers, Tom asked for um, impactful donations to this worthy and necessary cause. We've all, we've all met Tom in most likelihood, and I've got to say, uh, he's such a friendly guy. You can't pass Tom without him smiling um, and, and shaking your hand or saying hello. He's not one of those guys who just walks past you and completely blanks you. He's nothing like that at all. So absolute tragedy uh, and thoughts of Tom and all his family. Right then, guys, so let's move on to the show then. So, we've got quite a lot to cover this show. So, we are going to discuss celebration, both celebrations, quite a bit of detail, but we'll we'll leave that for the main interview segment. We're going to go straight into our thoughts on Obi-Wan Kenobi. So we will be covering spoilers up to episode 5. Um, episode 6 of season finale has not been released yet. Got to say, for me, for me personally, uh, they've knocked the ball out of the park yet again. I think Star Wars TV is definitely the way to go for the foreseeable future for me. I'm starting to hear more rumours about movies coming out set in the sequel era. They're not really gripping me. I was the most critical of all of the podcasts about The Force Awakens. I really just thought that was a an okay movie with a lot of nostalgic nods. I preferred The Last Jedi, definitely without a doubt. I preferred The Last Jedi because it was different, it was much more risky, darker in places. 
And I enjoyed The Rise of Skywalker as well, but obviously I'm aware that a lot of people had already felt a bit met after The Last Jedi. But watching the sequels, I tend not really putting them on. I still go back to the prequels if I fancy to change Star Wars movies. But now I'm definitely going to add Kenobi, the TV show, and the rotor. So I'm going to start off with Pete, then. How does the Kenobi series stack up for you? Because there's a whole argument, isn't it, whether you binge a show and watch all the episodes as much as you can, like you know, Stranger Things, or you watch a show every week. And I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are negative towards it because of that, because you're getting a bit of story and then you're putting two and two together and getting all sorts of numbers. I think so far they've addressed some of the big questions in the show, which I was nervous of when this thing got really got stated, because before they did this and they announced to do a Kenobi movie, I think it was at first years and years and years ago. I was like, well, what's the point? You know, it was literally what is the point? I know there's been literature written and comics, but I was not looking forward to a Kenobi show. So I wouldn't say expectations. I expect it to be good. But I would say my, my kind of, you know, am I that bothered by it? Not really. Um, has the show been good? I think so far it has. But there are those little niggly little things that have started to creep in, like, you know, the things that are said by Kenobi and Star Wars and other characters in Star Wars, uh, they're not quite playing out <laughs> brilliantly well. You know, you know, the example is Princess Leia. Now, we don't know what's going to happen to her in the last episode, whether they wipe her mind or whatever, but obviously when she addresses Kenobi in her message in Star Wars, you would have assumed she was, you know, that she'd never met him. Of her message, you know, come and help my, you serve my father, Clan Wars. You know, you would have thought after all this, she goes, you know, we work together, you know, we saved each other's lives and, you know, we've done this. So things like that, they're going to have to kind of get around. So there's, there's three or four uh, references in Star Wars that have almost contradicted the events of the show. So, you know, there's still, um, apparently it's a very long last episode that's coming. It's an hour and a half, allegedly. I don't know how true that is. So a lot of stuff's gonna have to get, gonna have to happen for it to iron out those things. But overall, as a show, there's been I would say two or three episodes which are a little bit kind of slow and getting there. But now we've had episode five, everything's kind of come together. And I did call on a tweet, and I think in our group, exactly what was going to happen, which was the whole Reaver story, you know, the her story arc. She was going to use Kenobi to get back at Darth Vader, and I think because of that the show has worked as a, a good old-fashioned TV series. Some of the kind of criticism has been there's not enough Kenobi in it or there's too much of this character. But I think you have to do that. You have to insert other characters. Otherwise, you're going to get five episodes of Ben and Darth Vader having a conversation about something or running away from each other. But uh, I think I think overall, Rich, you know, I think they've done a good job. I think episode five was absolutely brilliant. There was so much action in it. There's a there's a well known meme that's done the the YouTubes and the and the Twitters and stuff about a powerful Jedi ripping a starship out of the sky and ripping it to pieces. That has been doing the rounds for you know ten years. Um, a YouTuber called Mike Zero has been has been rumouring that in every single Star Wars project since day one, and it's finally happened. I think the Darth Vader ripping a ship out of the air and then ripping it to pieces is possibly the highlight of the show for me. Episode five was probably the most perfect episode they could have probably done because of the way they constructed it. You know, you had uh, Anakin versus Ben showing him he's the master um, in that scenario and, and Anakin's failings. Obviously, we know not too long after that, 
you know, after those flashbacks, obviously he did have that failing and turned to the dark side. And by the end of the show, Kenobi had actually bested him without being in a fight. And it showed he still was the master. So he is starting to show that, that, you know, that phrase in Star Wars of last time we met, you were the master and I was the learner. That's the only thing that, that is starting to look more and more promising. But uh, overall, Rich, decent enough. Decent enough. But I'm expecting a very good ending. I've got to say, I think when Vader walks into the room, when Reva makes a mistake and, and Leia disappears, he's, the way he walks in there has such menace and anger. And isn't it about time that somebody actually gets Vader right? Because I've read, obviously, tons of comics. I've read so many AU stories. And they've always got Vader as not the kind of person that we thought he was when we played with him with our kind of action figures. They always had him as, um, I don't know, he's, he's, like, he's a little bit conflicted, he's confused. Well, Vader's, he's, he's angry, he's, he's in pain, you know, he's full of venom. Uh, and I think they, they've got Vader absolutely spot on in this film. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Vader in particular? Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's Obi-Wow Kenobi. The, the Vader they've had in uh, Kenobi has been absolutely fantastic. He, he's like at the height of his powers and some of the, the force stuff he's doing is just amazing. And it's like they've got to figure out from that how we get to the weakened Vader of episode four. I think my big prediction for episode six is we're going to get Baby Yoda versus Baby Rankle versus Baby Leia face off. It's a three way spin off to see who, who becomes King Baby. Well, I can already say that that one's not going to happen. But you're bringing up Leia there, and I've got to say, and I'm astounded some of the criticism that this poor lass is getting online, because I think Leia is just absolutely brilliant. Um, I've loved every single scene she's in. So I'm going to come to you next, Andy Spoons. Um, what do you think of the way that Leia is being portrayed? Um, I mean, we've seen next to nothing of Luke so far, but I, I just really enjoy every time that uh, girl's on stage. I, I'm yeah. I'm not so convinced by Leia. I'm not someone that um, would be giving her a hard time. She's a ten-year-old girl. Um, what I do think is she's a fantastic actor, and she's also a fantastic likeness of Leia, which are both really good things. The issue, and I, I don't really know how to explain it, but the the, the, the scene when she's escaping the would-be um, kidnappers in the woods. I'll say now I'm a huge fan of this series, but it's, it's had the odd duff moment, as all series will, and, and that chase through the woods was one of them. It was a bit silly, not very believable. I have a, well, recently 11, but until very recently, I had a 10-year-old living at this in this house. If I had a race with her, she, she would give me a good run for her money. You know, um, the physically, uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, it, it seems much younger than 10, which sits oddly with me and it's 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 sad really i mean I, I i can see why she was cast because she's such a good actor and because of that likeness to leia you know she does look like carrie fisher as a young kid but physically i can't i think carrie fisher as a 10 year old would be legging around the woods but that's you know this is just a minor point it's, it's certainly her casting doesn't detract from the series at all 90 percent of the scenes she's in i do think are really good but i just caveat it with them um, there's a yeah it's just been a little little odd moment every now and then but um but overall i, I honestly i think kenobi is the best of all these new disney series so you know that, that take my criticism with that that in light i actually think it would have been brilliant as a film 
I think yeah, you could have cut out a little bit of the uh, superfluous stuff, condensed it down, and key the special effects would have been so much better as a film because that's that's another thing that's kind of detracting a little bit. So um, it's it, it's great, but the story, you know, you watch TV for a great story. The story is what's keeping me watching. It's that it's that suspense. Um, I'd liken it to the Mandalorian, where Mandalorian was visually very good. Uh, loads of great characters from the past. Uh, the stories are really simple. Uh, great viewing. This is this is gripping TV. It's suspenseful. We know what's happening to everybody in it. We know what the outcome. But I'm still watching it, wondering what's going to happen next. It's yeah, it's great. So we've got the Grand Inquisitor who was killed quite easily, and then obviously wasn't killed. Came back. We've got the personal playing Reva who was getting a lot of social media abuse. Um, so bad that you McGregor and Hayden Christensen have even had to come out. Um, my personal feelings on Reva is I just don't think she's either that good an actress or she isn't being directed properly. Um, I haven't seen her in other shows, so I can't really comment on which way it is. Um, but I, I'm not impressed with her. And then you've got the other two, and especially one who doesn't seem to do anything at all other than mumble a few lines. Um, I, just, I think I expected more from the Inquisitors. In terms of the series, Obi-Wan can oh my God, how good is this? Mandalorian was fantastic. Boba Fett missed the mark a little bit. I think we all agree, but uh, this is right up there. Episode four, I think, was a little weaker um, when they go to the Inquisitor's Fortress. Uh, but on the whole, it's been really, really top notch. And episode five just blew me away. Best bit of Star Wars we've seen for years and years and years. Also, a couple of comments on Vader. I thought uh, a, a real shame was that they hadn't gone back to the episode four armor and mask. Um, it's too symmetrical. It's too much like the uh, the prequels Vader. Um, the little irregularities and the, the little, little bit of asymmetry in the episode four mask, I think, gives it so much more character. Uh, on the plus side, the voice um, I know they've used the same digital technology that they used for Luke's voice uh, in The Mandalorian, um, Book of Boba Fett. Vader sounds just like he did in the old movies. He sounds menacing. Uh, that uh, Absolutely nailed that. And the Inquisitors, Rich, I wasn't sure at first. I liked them in Rebels. Wasn't sure how well they would translate to live action. Uh, the look of the Grand Inquisitor, I mean, he's supposed to be a little bit like uh, Tion Medon, isn't he? From uh, Revenge of the Sith, he's supposed to have quite a sort of tall, thin head. Um, and actually, he's got uh, quite a fat little bounce. And that didn't look quite right. Uh, but when they come on screen, genuine menace. I like them. I like the look. I like the delivery of the actors. Uh, Grand Inquisitor, again, particularly in episode five, coming back. Really, really menacing, really good character. Um, and, you know, you, you can really believe in him as a threat. The other two, is it the fifth brother and the seventh sister? Take them or leave them, really. You know, they're, they're, they're background characters, aren't they? But Reva, um, I've got to disagree with you, Rich. I really like her. I think she's a great character. I think she's a great actress. I think she pulls it off really well. I think she's got, again, the sense of menace. Um, she can pull off the dark side villain really well. And, again, believable. Uh, in terms of her backstory, the fact that she's actually on a secret mission um, and she's coming after Vader, I think that's really interesting. Uh, yes, we could see it coming, but it doesn't make it any the less watchable when it comes. And I'm really, really interested to see how her story arc develops. 
she's obviously going to survive. She's obviously going to be popping up in episode six. The Sith do survive these wounds, don't they? And the Grand Inquisitor has, Reaver has, Maul obviously survived getting chopped in half. And people are saying, well, come on, that's not realistic when uh, Qui-Gon died from one thrust from Maul's lightsaber. Qui-Gon is a light side Jedi. Uh, Qui-Gon knew he was going to become one with the Force. He was going to become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. He didn't need to keep his physical body going. Um, he, you know, he, he knew exactly what he was going to be doing afterwards. The Sith haven't got that opportunity. They don't become one with the Force. They don't become Force ghosts. So they've got to use their thirst for revenge and their anger to sustain them and to keep them going. Just the same as Anakin did on Mustafar. Um, I got no problem with that at all. So, uh, yeah, like Reva, like her in the series, um, genuine menacing character, a lot of promise. I'd like to see where she goes in episode six, and it'd be nice to see her popping up in other things if she survives this one. Uh, I've got a feeling that uh, she might just meet her match in Vader in the next episode, but we shall see. Andy, quick one for you. Do you think we'll see uh, Force Ghost Kygon in the in the finale? I think Qui-Gon is going to be there in some capacity, yeah. Whether we see him or whether it's just his voice. But, uh, yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all to see him popping up. And that, that, that would be good. that he couldn't become, he, he didn't get to the level of a Force ghost, as in a physical apparition, but he did, um, he could do the voice. I'm sure that was established somewhere, that he, he couldn't get that far. Yeah, we, we heard the voice, didn't we? Um, yeah, he, he could definitely but, do the voice, but he can't do the... The physical side. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's had time, hasn't he, in the meantime, to uh, you know, to um, explore his abilities and so on. And uh, I, th- I think the Jedi can grow within the Force once they are Force ghosts. And to all those on the internet who are panning it and slamming Moses Ingram and so on, for God's sake, grow up. Uh, you know, this this is Star Wars. It's not perfect. Star Wars has never been perfect. But we're getting new Star Wars. You know, we're, we're seeing characters we love, situations we enjoy. Yeah. Sit back, enjoy it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to agree with your vision. Just for goodness sake, enjoy it. Yeah, she was in um, a brilliant program, Queen's Gambit, uh, which is on Netflix. Absolutely amazing show. If you ever get a chance to, oh, I really do, you know, I recommend it. I didn't recognise her from there. So yeah, yeah. It's great. It's a great show. Yeah. It is a brilliant show with Anya Taylor Joy in it, who's a fantastic actress, is in everything at the moment. But uh, yeah, that was an absolutely phenomenal series. Just so watchable. Even if you don't like chess, you'll love chess by the end of it and go, ooh. And it actually launched loads of kids to pick up chess. Apparently, they, they never sold so many chess boards um, or chess sets <laughs> in the modern era after that show because everyone was going, ooh, I'm a fancy bit of chess. You know, that, there's a girl playing chess. I want to play chess. And suddenly it's, uh, it relaunched chess for a little while. I think anybody in Star Wars should refine their, their accent to a Shakespearean English accent as much as they can. And I think in the later episodes, I didn't, I have noticed she's been a lot less sort of like slangy kind of American speaking. It definitely, she definitely Shakespearean up a little bit in the last episode. So um, I'm wondering whether they, they realized that and thought, okay, we've got to, you know, make, make this a bit more kind of, you know, considered. I always think a British accent sounds so much more evil than, than a, an American accent. I think I think that's a that's a good point, Pete. I th- but also I think it's quite it's quite a unique American accent in the Star Wars world. Obviously, there's loads of American accents, but they're good as normally. Yeah, and and probably not as um, instantly recognisable. They're probably a little bit more middle 
middle of the road. I think that's probably fair enough. I mean, Carrie Fisher's the other way around, where she started trying to be Shakespearean and uh, and reverted to uh, yeah. to her natural accent. To, you know, I think it's probably too much to keep on. I, I don't get the criticism at all. I, I actually think Reaver's a great character and not had any issues with the acting or the role, actually, the whole time. So I don't, I don't really understand all that criticism. There was a section of the internet who his entire... Uh, existence is to hate Star Wars. Um, they make lots of good money out of it. They're getting, you know, some of these people are getting 250,000 subscribers on their YouTube channels, which will bring in significant income over a period of time. So it is in, I mean, every episode comes out straight away. These channels appear ping, ping, ping. Oh, this is rubbish. This is this. Oh, so an easy thing to pick up on is, is anyone of diverse nature. So anyone who's black or gay or trans or anything like that, anything like that at all in any show especially Marvel stuff, they can make money on getting 100,000, 200,000 hits straight away with a with a, what is called a hate video. So it's in their interest to stir something up, and uh, they do it. And then you get a lot of people who are kind of like not really that bothered but like to push that kind of anti-everything agenda these days. I mean, I'm sure as Jason probably testify, I'm sure at Celebration, Jason, you saw people, girls especially, far more girls go into things like this people feel, are feeling so much more welcome in Star Wars because they're trying to be more inclusive. And sometimes it can feel a little bit cheesy, but I think it helps. I think that's why there's so many different people now loving Star Wars. But there is a hate movement. It is a proper, and I'm not making it up, it's a commercialised hate movement. And it's very, very sad to see. Well, I didn't see many of them at Celebration. <laughs> well, yeah, because those people don't go because they're not interested in actual Star Wars. They're just... They're online and they're there to hate stuff. They don't actually care about the stuff that we care about. Well, I've tried to come in for the last 20 minutes because I thought each of these were wrapping that section up. But I'm coming back to Andy Preston's point here. He says, um, you know, you've got to love it for what it is. And yet he spent like at least three minutes criticising Beale's helmet. I also want to say, however, <laughs> I also want to say that, um, you know, I think XR Coon fans will be shouting at Andy Preston saying that um, Sith ghosts um, did happen because XR Coon was a Sith and he was a ghost. But he'll probably defend that by saying it's legends now. So, ah, oh, legends. There we go. Legends. Yes. That's yeah, what I expected. Ne- never, never happened. This, Richard. Um, let's move on to the latest acquisitions then. So, Pete, we'll come to you first um, for some short and sweet. <laughs> Very short and sweet. Uh, thanks to Jason, I think Chris as well, helping out, getting me a Star Wars Ray Tot. From, where, which panel was it from, Jason, just out of interest? Um, as predicted, uh, women in computing. No, not women in computing. In computing. Women, women in collecting. <laughs> Sorry, women in collecting. Slip of the tongue. Women in collecting, that's good. So, yeah, that's it. Um yeah, it's been a tight month with thousands of pounds of house repairs and stuff I've had to do, so uh, no spending on anything Star Wars. So Andy Spoons in, looking at the show notes, it sounds like it's been a big month for you. What have you finished off? Yeah, well, it actually it was last month that was a big month. But, well, that uh, doesn't count then. Move on. <laughs> I kind of forgot forgot what I bought, which is, uh, which is not great. But yeah, I finally finished my Return of the Jedi uh, Marvel comic run. So uh, I picked up issues 150 and 139 and I, I was expecting 150 
D5, which is the last in the row. I picked that up a, a few months back. I mentioned that to be the pricey one. But it was 139 because of bloody Mandalorian and Boba Fett. It's 139 has got Boba Fett pictured on the front of it. It goes an absolute bomb. So uh, I've I paid far more than I wanted to, but relatively uh, relatively bargain price compared to what they do go. So very pleased with that. And the other thing I forgot to mention was a set of Shreddy's Electroset transfers. There's a few of those. I've got the first one of those. So I need to, to need to pick up a few more. But actually, it's been a, a relatively quiet month this month. So um, another... Jedi Weekly. This is a replacement copy. So I've upgraded my 117s for one with the Zoids comic in the middle. It's got a, a Zoids pullout, so my existing one was missing that. The biggest buy was actually, uh, yeah, I bought that I think last month, but only just arrived this month all the way from America, was a box of, I think, 32 micro collection spare figures. And this was a, a bit of an impulse eBay buy. From the pictures, I couldn't tell whether they were all sealed in baggies or someone else had bagged them up. But I took the gamble. There's a lot There's a lot of uh, doubles in there, but I thought it'd be quite nice to have a, a run of sort of minty figures. Or the ones we've got are all a bit battered in the in with the, the play box. But they came and they, they looked like they'd all been sort of individually taped up by a collector some time ago because the, the tape was quite yellow, but certainly don't look factory sealed. But they are all absolutely mint, so I'm going to put together a kind of loose run of, of mint ones and, and move on the rest. So they're, they're very nice. And the last couple of things are kind of in, in-person purchases, which is always nice. I went to the uh, the world-famous uh, super mega event at Elsica, the Elsica Comic Con, which is a very small heritage centre near Sheffield. At, uh, Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred were the only uh, the only two guests. So that's the kind of scale of it. But there they actually had uh, quite a few, nice being a comic con, quite a few comics for sale. So I picked up the 1984 Marvel Jedi Summer Special. So that that was nice. Well, I haven't gotten those those specials, so that was the first one. Uh, I did actually see a die-cast Millennium Falcon there, which was quite tempting just for the novelty, but I, I left it where it was. Uh, and I think, oh, no, there's one other. Yeah, there's one other. There's the... Um, I picked up a loose Millennium Falcon like for the three and three quarter inch figures. I have a box one and there's one again in the in the play box. But this was at Sheffield Auction House. And I all if, if there's an auction on at Sheffield Auction House, I just put on silly bids on loads of stuff just in case I win. And I never, ever do. And I did this again, forgot all about it, and was surprised to uh, receive an email telling me that I'd won a Millennium Falcon. Uh, it's quite near where Heather works, so I had <laughs> to message her and say, oh, Heather, can you just uh, pop into the auction house, please, and uh, pick this up on the way home from uh, from work? But, yeah, it's quite nice, quite minty, actually. A few bits missing, but the, not at all yellowed. So uh, I think I might I might finish that. I don't know what I'll do with it, but a nice thing to have. Right, cool. What you, Jason? Jason, 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 please don't list every single piece of swag that you picked up at Celebration. I'm not going to list every bit of um, swag I got at Celebration, but I will be giving a kind of rundown of the, the best of swag at Anaheim, I think is what I'll be doing. But first off, uh, my uh, very few vintage purchase, purchases for me, and only one vintage purchase at Celebration Anaheim, which was something I was tasked with in the previous podcast, and that was to pick up a Princess Nisa plush Ewok, which I did. And you can actually hear me buying that on the recorded segment that we, me and Chris Porteous made when we were out there. So that will be coming up later in the show. I took kind of UK branded beer 
to America, which is very naughty of me, um, which is kind of Star Wars Stormtrooper helmet branded, and swap that for American Star Wars beers. And again, that that happened in a after show event called the the Hot Wars Beer Swap Meet, and I'll talk more about that later in the show. Um, um, I did manage to get to the Celebration Store briefly, and I got myself a Celebration Store poster, program, and lanyard. Now they used to do a kind of free giveaway kind of event guide, which they didn't do this particular celebration. Uh, I think they've, they've they've basically decided that it's easier for them to do it all in app now. So I don't think we'll see any more of those free guides given away at Celebration going forwards. Obviously, I went to uh, a few set, uh, Celebration uh, collecting track events. Um, so I, I may have a few Star Tots. So, so I've got like star, full set of Star Tots in the display bin. Might have another set and some spares and stuff. Anyway, I, I might I might sell some of my spares and stuff at, that, at, at the next Echo. We'll, we'll see. I've got the Star Tots Stick and Play Vinyl 3D Play World. Now, this was... Um, if you took part in um, the collected track, they kind of do exclusive things for the event, and that was one of them. And I managed to trade for that. And also, um, it's the it's the Star Wars cake poster that Pete. I know that you did one for um, the Vintage Rebellion, but there's one of those for ten years of Star Tots. So um, I've got one of those in the opening panel. They gave away a Andor poster, which I've got, and they also gave away. Um, an Obi-Wan Kenobi poster in the, in the in the screen they did later in the day. There was another poster giveaway in one of the collecting tracks, which I've got. So I came back with five posters, which I'm very pleased with. I only managed to get three lanyards full of badges and pins. I actually found trading for pins and badges very difficult. And the reason for that is that everything seems to be dominated by patch trading. Everyone was trading patches. Everyone wanted patches. If you didn't have a patch, then we want to trade with you for a patch. So lots and lots of patch trading. So we may have to do patches for the next celebration if we want to trade in swag. So three lanyards full. Um, this for me was like the, the best bit of swag I got. It's, um, it's a kind of lanyard pass with uh, this character called Rando Pleb, which is something Ross Cuddy has been doing for... Um, um, the last year or so, which is basically this this kind of this kind of low level random Star Wars character who's got no access to anything, and it was actually no access lanyard, which is very funny. And there's an actual picture of that lanyard in celebration next to this big sign that says no access, and it's the only place you can get in with a no access badge is the no access area. So that was uh, that was my f- most fun bit of snag. Um, I also got um, you know another another lanyard for the. Rebel uh, Force Radio Rooftop Bash, which again, which is very good, and I will talk about uh, later in the show. So I, yeah, I, I was kind of kind of sucked into the patch collecting, and the I decided rather than trying to get lots and lots of different bits of all patches patch sets, I would just pick a patch set and see if I could get the whole set. So the set I decided to go for was the the Woolro Hood Ice Cream Patch Set from the Georgia Alliance. And uh, that was a set of 12 ice cream patches. I thought it was 12. But then it turned out they had another one for the archive party. And, of course, there wasn't one for the archive party, so I was missing one. So I had to try and acquire that. And I did manage to pick that up in a trade um, after I got back to the UK. So I managed to get that one. And then I discovered that there's also a sponsor patch and a volunteer patch. So there's still two patches I need on this thing. So um, anyway, it was a fantastic set. And, you, you know, if you got eight of them, you got an ice cream tub. If you got all 12, there was another different container you got, and they had loads of badges and 
beer mats and there was um, I, I remember one point seeing some they, they, they had proper you know metal ice cream scoops you could get somehow and, you know fantastic set of swag anyway that was you know probably as far as pack sets goes and all round stuff that that was kind of the top thing um but then all the all the different uh, american groups uh, collective groups um they they do a kind of patch where they all do a bit and you have to go to each of their booths and do something and you get their patch and then when you've got all the little bits you get the main patch in the middle and this one was called capture the rancor and it's a massive massive patch and then all the the little bits from the collector booths are all little strips that go around the edge and that was fantastic and i managed to do that in about half an hour on the trade floor so i was very pleased with that my kind of highlight pin badge uh, was a little baby Yoda one with light up eyes, and this is this is Jenny Jenny Bennett gives them out, but it's her, her husband Kevin, I think, who, who actually makes them, and they're just these little tiny little pin badges, and they have light up eyes. And I even managed to trade for um, a T one B one, which they did um, um, a few years back. So I got a T one B focus. Rancho Obi Wan had a set of collecting cards based on their Boba Fett um, exhibition set, so I thought I'd got a full set of those, and then. Um, Someone posted online and I've actually got about a third of them. So I thought I had a full set. I don't know, I've got about a third of those. One of my other favourite pins was a couple of the ladies from the Women in Collecting panel. It was like one of them, um, Amy's like uh, an Ewok collector. So her half of the badge has got uh, uh, an Ewok on it. And then the other half is BBA. And you have to have both bits of the badge to make a hole. So I managed to get both bits of that. And that's, uh, uh, that's a very nice little badge. Craig Spivey did 3D poster art set, um, a little pack of that, which is kind of like a miniature version of the, obviously the big version that you get. So I got a set of those from him. There were beer, there were beer cozy sets. You could get a set of about 12 beer cozies. Um, I managed to get two of those. I'm still very happy with the two I got. And there was a pennant set, so you could get a set of pennants that made a complete circle. Again, I got a couple of those. Then we got Thorsten... Greth, he does like a little card collecting set with buttons and badges and he gave me a set of those. So I'm very happy with those. And then there were these wax candles, which are absolutely fantastic and kind of a homage to some, some wax candles you can get on the, the vintage line. And then the only other things I got after that's all the swag and everything I got at Celebration Post Anaheim. I got a couple of issues of looking uh, and that's pretty much it. So, but yes, very good, good. Good um, selection of swag, very, very imaginative. The bits that I wish I could have got, there was there was uh, one which was a little bag and it had actual bits of one of the Kenner build. Kenner Rubble it was, and there, was, there were only about 30 of these that were available. I never managed to get one, but little bits of Kenner building in a little bag, Kenner Rubble. So there you go. Yeah, some nice items there, a good run out. I've seen some of those online and uh, I thought really cracking top-notch swag this year dread to think what some of that cost so andy Preston, over to you wrap up this section thank you rich yeah a few uh, interesting bits this month again um starting off with a couple of waddington's return of the jedi jigsaws darth vader and jabba the hut got these already but these are upgrades these were uh, with all the pieces still bagged and with the posters in them uh, I got a couple of Fun Products 3D stickers, Imperial Shuttle and Paplu from Henrik Hedberg. Thank you, Henrik. Completes my set of the 3D stickers. A couple of Palatoy 20-back card backs uh, from David Bensley on Echo. This is Snaggletooth and Hammerhead. Uh, I'm trying to um, get the four Cantina creatures to put in my special for Cantina. Um, so uh, that's three there. Just looking for Walrus Man now. 
a Star Wars punch out and make it book. Now, these were produced in the States by Random House for all three movies. But the British publisher Collins, they only did the one for Star Wars. Um, I've had one where some of the pieces have been punched out, and obviously some of the models made, but uh, this is unused condition, so uh, again, another nice upgrade. A plush Ewok, but uh, sadly not another Princess Nisa to match Jason's. This is a 16-inch plush Wicket, and I got uh, Wicket off eBay, and another auction within an hour of that, um, I got the tag as well. So I've already got a boxed wicket. This is one that was sold loose with a Palatoy tag. Um, so nice variation there. Possibly favourite pickup this month, a 1970s bootleg T-shirt, uh, possibly produced by Marks and Spencers. Uh, I think we might be talking about that a little bit later on, so we'll gloss over that one. Three nice bootleg badges kind of star wars related so one of them uh is a plain badge and it just got text on it. it says national and international community envoy is the force with you no idea what a national community envoy is but uh, anyway preference to the force next one is for um the rock band the police um that's obviously sting started with and that's a badge with their crest that says the police may you be with the force and the third one, uh, again, similar theme. Uh, this has got a raised fist, which is coloured in tartan. And it says, may the tartan force be with you. Apparently, this was a Scotland badge to do with the World Cup campaign 1978. You're talking about Andy's, Andy's tartan army there. That sounds awesome. Ali's army and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. So another nice little Star Wars connection there. Uh, for the uh, the Tartan Force. Um, shame they didn't uh, carry a bit more of it in the World Cup with them, but there we go. Next one, an envelope with a compliment slip, two tickets and a window sticker for the January 29th, 1978 showing of Star Wars at the Gomart Cinema in Birmingham. So this is obviously a a lady who had booked tickets, uh, an adult ticket and a child ticket, and they weren't posted to her. They were held at the box office. Uh, the cinema manager or whatever's written the details of the booking and where the tickets are and uh, said that they are to be collected from the box office. That's all written on the front of the envelope. You've got the compliment slip, rank leisure services. You've got the tickets themselves, and then you've got folded in half, the Star Wars Odeon uh, window sticker, the one that says I've seen Star Wars on the sticker itself, and then it's got character portraits on the back. So nice little original bundle from January 1978, very early on in the Star Wars history in the UK. So uh, that's uh, a, a lovely little piece as well. And uh, that's my roundup for th this month, Richard. Great pickups there, guys. Really, really good. Nice seeing them. What an interesting mix again, but yep. Well done, and Jason, you went all the way to celebration and you brought back one piece of vintage. Um, just out of interest, how, how were the prices over there? Um, it wasn't so much the prices, it was just the, the amount of vintage there was. On the floor, there was significantly less vintage stores than I'd seen at previous celebrations. The same was also true of uh, the room sales, where it was, um, there was, again, there was just a significant amount of people just selling and trading patches so yeah mm. right then so let's move over to the action figure face-off seems to be getting more and more popular this format that we've got so well what we've got here 
Looks a bit of a toughy one in if you look at it, but Arnie Preston, good luck in defending the white Bespengard. Arnie Spoon's Norton, Bosk. Jason with the Ugnaught. And Pete with the almost impossible to lose Earring Pilot. So, you know what? I'm going to be intrigued to see how Jason's going to defend the Ugnaught here. So, we'll start off with Jason. Well, what can we say about Ugnaught? You know, if you've got Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, you've got Umpa Lumpers, or you've got the, the baddest little uh, wee fellow there is, Ugnaught. And, I mean, what a, what an action figure. He's got a nice uh, purple coat on him, and does he need a gun? Does he need a hat? No, he doesn't need any of that. He just needs, uh, he's got a white briefcase. Not one of these uh, newfangled one with wheels on it. It's a proper old school briefcase that he carries around. He looks absolutely awesome. He's uh, obviously appeared on Empire Strikes Back cards. So, you know, there's loads of different variations of all the cards that you can get. Figure variations, not that many. But, you know, he's the main man there. He's the guy who's, you know, if you've got a problem with your droids or you're trying to find bits of droids, go and see Mr. Ugnaught. He's your man. Buy one today. Is that it? That was it. Okay. Andy Spoons Norton, take the way with Boss. Yeah, it's, a, it's good, isn't it? The action figure face-off. Uh, often imitated, but never bettered. Uh, it's a great idea, Andy. Anyway, Bosk. Not sure I can tell you about Bosk, Richard. It's a secret. A secret action figure, that is, and what a great one! First appeared on Kenner 31 Backs, but was available as a mail-away offer on the Star Wars 21As, and later on the 31 Backs 2, when the secret was out. You only need proof of purchase for four action figures. Buy four, get Bosk free. Any kid would be chuffed to be getting Bosk. We now know he's a Trandoshan, but back then he was the lizard guy with the charm of the Star Wars Cantina aliens and the realism of the later figures. I've always loved Bosk. The detail is perfect, even down to the too small flight suit that must have shrunk after Bosk's mum washed it for him. You think he could afford a new one with all his bounty hunting money? He's a dashing lizard man, a yellow flight suit with his St. Christopher medallion front and centre, just what all bounty hunters need. As we all know, St. Christopher is the patron saint of space travellers. That spacesuit is actually a high-altitude Windak pressure suit made for the RAF. There's a character in the cantina who wears it too. I'm not sure. There is Boshek. He's a green one. X-Wing pilots of orange. And it's also seen in Doctor Who, a design classic. And did you know that Bosk is a family man with a new baby? It keeps a baby's mirror and a rattle stashed in his flight suit straps on both legs. His gun is nicely designed too. He can actually hold it. But I did always wonder how he pulls the trigger. Perhaps that is a secret too. The best Bosk out there is the hard copy on the back of the Palatoy 30 backs. On that one, there's a bit more detail. His trouser cuffs and his baby's toys are painted black to match his shoulder bands. I noticed today that he's holding his gun the wrong way around in that photo. He's going to club his prey rather than shoot them. Green or orange head, Richard, that is your only decision when you make Bosk figure of the week. Very passionate, very passionate. Pete, take away with the earwing pilot. Take it away, Rich, indeed. Everyone's taken away the the amazing sought-after weapon from this blooming figure. Now, it costs, what is it, over £100 now loose. But, you you know, you just don't need it. You don't need that gun. Nobody cares about the gun. The A-Wing pilot has an A-Wing as his weapon. So you just don't need it. Send me those blasters. If you have one, send them to me. You know, you just don't. No one needs that. 
Anyway, so the A-Wing pilot, he's a green figure. Now, um, what inspired that? George Lucas, apparently, whilst on location in the UK, was always a fan of morning television. Of course, the fitness guru, the green goddess, Diane Moran. And it's thought that he modelled the A-Wing jumpsuit on her. Wonderful green jumpsuit. How could we ever forget that adorable woman who would come on TV in the morning and get you to jump up and down, and then you could have your own action figure of it, although slightly less like looking like Diane Moran. Anyway, the figure, the detail is excellent from his serious looking flight face to his headset through to his stompy boots. The life support vest tightly attached to the figure shows, if you have a look closely, the bulge of the flight suit. So you can see it tightly strapped in. Amazing detail. Well done. The piece of silver on the front is often overlooked. You always think of the green jumpsuit. You never think of the little silvery bit. In costume images, it appears to be a place you hook those pipe things up to. And of course, the figure has him wearing that sports bra vest that the Premier League footballers all now wear. He was a trendsetter and a fashion icon. Who would not look fantastic in a green jumpsuit? I had no idea where you were going for half of that, but you went there. I did. <laughs> very, very informative, absolutely. Mostly lies, Richard, but, it, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's got Bosk's jumpsuit on. It's all the same. Yes. It probably is, yeah. Mm. We buyed it after watching Green Goddess. From Doctor Who, yeah. Let's move on over to Andy Preston to wrap this up with the white best bingo. Thank you, Rich. Now, as you said earlier, not an easy one this month, but seeing as I'm up against a lizard, a pig and Mr. Footballhead, I think I've got a good shout. Now, the best bit security guards to give them the correct name, the Cloud City Wing Guard. These are the Baron Administrator's elite security force. They answer directly to him and his cyborg aid, aid Lobot. Perhaps the first thing to note is that while everyone calls this chap the White Bespin Guard, this may not be actually correct. The character pictured on the card back seems to be of Asian origin. Not only has he got a moustache, he's also got a full beard. The character that our Bespin Guard seems to be modelled after is a different chap, and he does appear to be of white origin. He's got the distinctive tash with the drooping ends that we see on the action figure. He's accurately sculpted. He's got his smart dark blue uniform with the red trim, the gold braid and the leafy details and his matching hat. He's carrying a Bespin blaster ready to disarm an unwary stormtrooper at a moment's notice. This figure's hard to find in immaculate condition. The gold is particularly prone to rubbing off. He's found in two main variations, a short moustache and then the longer Fu Manchu style drooping version. Now, Richard, the rarest variation could be a special example with a gold-coloured hat, said to have been an exclusive figure offered as a prize in a competition run in Debenhams stores in Britain in the 80s. Were these prototypes? Was the gold applied to the hat by Palatoy? Were they painted by a Debenhams employee? Did they even exist in the first place? Now, I've seen pictures of these online, but I've never seen any reliable information that confirms that they are genuine. But nonetheless, it's an interesting part of the Palatoy collecting story. He was available right the way through the Empire and Jedi card backs, but his last appearance was on a Palatoy hybrid card, Jedi front and Trilogo rear. And he also pops up on the boxes for Slave One, the Cloud Car, the Falcon, and on the first Empire Collector's Case. 
And there you have it, the white or Asian Bespin security guard, perhaps one of the most underrated of the whole vintage line. Very informative that, Andy. Yes, and uh, yeah, I think I'm with you on that one and uh, possibly some shenanigans going on make back in the 90s, I think is uh, my belief on that. So, oh, where am I going to go? I'm going to go informative. You know what? You've always got to go with your heart and your heart goes in passion. And I think Andy Spoons Norton had the passion tonight. He exuberated what this section is about so well done Andy I think this is your first win is it ever um, but well done Andy you sold Bosk really well thank you Richard and then if anyone can tell me what Bosk's baby items are tucked into his legs I'd be very interested to know <laughs> I wouldn't know what Richard's word exuberated means <laughs> I probably just made it up I think he's, he's, a, he's, he's a teacher a... he knows words oh, well you'd hope so <laughs> Okay then, so on to this month's quiz. Uh, as I say, this is going to be spectacularly funny or it's going to be spectacularly bad. Um, so I've got one, two, did I give up the three rounds? No, I went four rounds. Four, four rounds. rounds, yes. Now oh. you're not in teams, you're not in teams because, uh, I just didn't want to put you in teams, there's no particular reason for it. And four rounds on four different areas. Now, these are, well the first one's definitely not about Star Wars. The second round is uh, not about Star Wars. The third round is loosely based on Star Wars. And the fourth one is, who knows, I don't even know what that is myself. Is that on the north, is it? The fourth? It is, the fourth, yeah. So, first round. The first round is all about, do you know your fellow podcast hosts? Ooh. Yes, exactly. So, what I've so done, easy. what I've done is I've gone, and this took me bloody ages and I'll never do it again. I went back onto stores from UK and I have got our five first ever posts. Holy shit. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spin the wheel first. So here's me name wheel, which is spinning round. And I wonder if I can do me thingy wheel as well. So the first one is Jason's. Oh, no, it's just, just tipped over the spoons. Andy, you get number five. Now, of course, this might be your your own first post who knows so let's have a look now obviously if it starts off with hi my name is richard then that's going to be bleeped or just ignored so which of the podcast hosts was their first post was this deco released a range of party products in the uk in 1978 including tablecloths, napkins, <laughs> plates, and cups you don't come often in sealed condition nice find Stop, stop, this is too easy, this one. <laughs> you know what? I wanted to say Pete then as a joke. That's got to be Andy P, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Andy Preston, uh, latest acquisitions. That was his introduction to life on the forum back in February 26, 2017. So, Andy, uh, Andy Spoons, you've got one point. I'm sure I was on the forum before then, but... I think if you've been know, on but, another forum... Are you lurking? You probably feel more confident to, if it's your first ever forum, you're more likely to have the, oh, hello, here I am. But if you've been posting elsewhere, you might come in kind of bold as brass mm. like that. I know about party <laughs> items. <laughs> I definitely was on Rebel Scum for years and years yeah. beforehand. But right. So. Person anyway. number two. Person number two is Jason Smith. And Jason Smith, you've got quote number one. Ooh. So let's go back to quote number one. number one. It's all gone blue. Bring back the brown. 
<laughs> what on earth? Well, so that can either be Pete, Pete Spoons, or could be you, or me. Or can me. we can we can we buzz in? <laughs> right, well, it's definitely not me, which leaves Pete or Spoons. I'm going to say or me could be me. I'm also. Or could be me. you. Um... Oh, I'm going to say Pete on that. <laughs> can, can I buzz in? Can I buzz in? You can buzz in, yeah, but it's not I, Pete. I'm going that's for me, because I was on the forum before <laughs> it closed, and so my first post won't actually be my first post on the forum. It will be the first on the new forum, and I might say something like, it's a different colour. Ah. And it was. It was Andy Spoons Norton, October 22nd, 2006. It's all gone blue, bring back the brown. We actually started off the thread, attention all SWF UK members. Wow. I would have never known that, Richard. If you'd asked me what my first post was, I'd have said something like, here's some handhoffs or whatever. (laughs) Right, next one is Andy Preston. Andy Preston, you are getting number two. Right, okay. Hi, hopefully the first of many posts. My young son lost my A-Wing pilot blaster, Endo Black, which is currently on eBay for stupid money, even more than buying the figure and the blaster together. I've already been ripped once as I bought one advertised as black, but it was actually blue. Anyone? Dot, dot, dot. Kind of narrows it down, Rich. My young son, it's... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not... Ooh, we know. We know it's not spoons, and we know it's not me. So I'm not I, sure, I'm not sure I'm my son was born then. What when was this? Two thousand and six. I'm not telling you. I'm thinking that's you. That's your good self, Richard. <laughs> it is indeed. That was my first post. Um, it was titled "A Wing Imperial Gunner Blaster, 5th of August, 2012." So that's one point for Andy. Which these next two. Pete. Oh, I wonder who this could be. <laughs> yes, I've just spotted the gaming hall now with this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can this get a kind of uh, progressively easier as you go through the round? <laughs> right. Hmm. Yeah, we go, Pete. And you Let me take <laughs> three. Hi, my name is, and I'm a Star Warsaholic. I recently decided to flog all my Star Wars stuff, but keep and finish what I consider the vintage collection and build a lovely wall cabinet for them and leave it there. My conditions are the following. No duplicates or variants. I have R2-D2 with his blue periscope. I don't need the other ones. Yeah. Condition. The played with look to match what I had as a kid, not interested in mint. Last 17, at first I decided against it, but I couldn't help myself. I had to have a manaman. I already had an anakin. Singular corded. I don't consider size noodles except as part of the collection. Yeah. Weapons. Repro are okay, like a man of oh, staff. That's part of the charm. <laughs> I've also, <laughs> Shocking, that is. I've also got the entire episode one figure set, so tempted to do the same as it don't appear to be worth much. I've never been really a completist collector. I just used to buy Star Wars stuff, especially when I travelled around France, Germany, Italy on business trips. I have some random stuff to sell <laughs> using eBay, maybe, and possibly here. Here's some stuff I'm looking to move on. Vintage Boba, 
Lando and the Stormtrooper. Goodness knows they are, and ended up the two Landos. I've got a 157 card of Power of the Force, Flashback, Trilogo, Power of the Jedi, Gwei of Tolly's Italian EU, etc. 12-inch box Power of the Force, which is hand new Stormtrooper, Look and Wampa, and many single ships. Vintage Battle Damage X-Wing, Vintage Torn Torn Rancor, Episode 1 Naboo Princess Electronic Cruiser, and a couple of mini rigs, and lots of other stuff. Limited Edition Naboo Fighter with mini rigs, Darth Vader masks, Boba Fett masks, plus Jabba. There's also a Vintage 12-inch Duke, but I don't think I'll let him go. Hello. <laughs> That's a long old first It was, post. right? So who was that? Old post. <laughs> Too long, didn't read. <laughs> okay, that was uh, Jason. You want to buzz in there? <laughs> of course, it's me. That was me. What, what year was that? That was first of January, New Year's Day, twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Jason, any ideas what your first post was? Considering that yours wasn't selected. Power toy card back variations, maybe. Your first post was. Some of you may know me from Rebel Scum and. IOP, period outpost. Been collecting a few years now, started out collecting all things Palatoy. My main focus at the moment is cardbacks, trying to collect the whole Palatoy cardback matrix. I currently have 363 unique cardbacks with an estimated 62 to go. Been branching out in a non kenna foreign cardbacks as finding new Palatoy is getting harder. Also have agreeing to one big character focus. Look forward to speaking to you guys and gals if there are any. Cheers. And that was Jason Smith. He was after women. 2007. Well, we, we fared okay there, I think, didn't we? We did, yep. A lot worse. So, score so far is Spoons in the lead with two, Andy and Pete with one each, and Jason with zero yet to score. I think I correctly identified my own post there. Yeah, well, if you had got it word for word. You said what it was. I told yeah. you about Palatoy cardbacks. If you had got it word for word, I would have given you five points. Right. Okay, so next one, round two. Round two is how well do we know our fellow collectors? Now, at CE2, there was a panel. So this was Celebration Essen. There was a panel in the collecting tracks between 4 o'clock and 4.45 on July the 28th, 2013. Jason, ideas what that panel was? Me and you were both there. Uh, I'm going to say it would have been um, Dave Tree on um, Palatoy. You know what? You've got such an amazing memory. You're completely incorrect on that one. It was actually International Star Wars Collectors. So what I'm going to ask you to do is name anybody on the panel from the 11 hosts. Now, I'm going to give you a clues because obviously you could just be picking random names out your head. So the clues are, this is what the panel said. International Star Wars Collecting. Representing Belgium, Peru, Mexico, Australia, Spain, Sweden, Denmark, Canada, France, Germany, and the United Kingdom. So, any of the 11, and we'll just... Ooh, ooh, starting off with Pete. Pete, any of the 11 you can. I'll go to the countries again if you need it. Um, I w- one sprang to mind when you said that the country. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going with Tim Veekhoven, but whether he'd be on there, I don't know. Tim Veekhoven was not the oh. representative from Belgium. That's really sad. I would so like to have been that. Right, next on the list there, and Jason, you've got an advantage in that you were there, but it is Andy Preston. I'm going to say Matthias Rendell. Matthias represented from Sweden, so there's were first. One, 
Jason. Well, I was going to say Matthias Randall, but uh, France, Stefan Farco. Stefan, yep, Stefan represented from France. Spoons, you take it away on the next one. I'm going to go have a bit of a stab in the dark. Was Andy Davis the UK representative? Unfortunately, Andy Davis was not the UK representative uh, on that uh, one, so back to Pete. Ooh, uh, Canada, uh, the only person I can think of, obviously Chris wasn't there, is Clint Garnis, maybe? It was not Clint, oh. no. It was Andy's Preston next. I'm going to try Javier Rui Lopez. Oh, yes, so close, but it's not Javier. No, it's not Javi. Javi did not do the Spain. Jason? Dave Tree, UK. Nope, sadly, it was not Dave Tree, UK, Ooh. but you're in the right area. And we're back to Spoons now. It was Luis, uh, Mexico. Can't remember his surname. Nope. Oh, uh, oh, come on, if you give us your surname. Oh, is it? I want to say... I've got two options. Diaz? I'm going to give you that one. It was Galvez, which is pretty much Diaz. Um, So I'll give you a point for that. Well done, Spoons, for getting the Mexico one correct. Um, We're back to Pete now. Give me the countries again. Right, the ones you haven't got. Belgium. Peru. Peru. Australia. Spain. Denmark. Canada. Germany. And the United Kingdom. Who beef the United Kingdom? Uh, uh, let's, let's just have a bit of fun with Craig Stevens. It was not Craig oh. Stevens, sadly. Nope. Moving a little bit away from where you were getting to before. Um, next is Andy Preston. Uh, I'll try United Kingdom, Mark Daniels. Nope, not Mark Daniels either. Moving on to Jason Smith. Gotta be Darren Simpson, UK. Not Darren Simpson. Oh, moving on. He was there. Yeah, he may have been there, but he wasn't. <laughs> this if you were there, you should be getting this. <laughs> it, it, come on, guys. It's, somebody it's, collecting tracks. There's a lot of You're people from the UK <laughs> on collecting tracks. Um, next one is Andy Spoons. Well, I'm going to go for uh, another sort of uh, curveball one. I'm going to go for Canada. Scott Bradley. Oh, I thought you were going to have it there. Nope, it's not Scott Bradley. So we're going to go through once more, I think, and then maybe we'll all have another stab at the UK one. So, Pete? Uh, Jason Smith. He was not so Jason Smith. drunk, nope. he couldn't remember who was on it. <laughs> Andy Preston? I'm going to go another Javier. Javier Florenzo Swars. It's not, no. Really wanted to be, but it wasn't. Jason? James Burns, UK. James Burns was the UK one. Oh, well yes. done. Oh, so that's one I'm terrible with names, so I'm going to go for um, I'm going to go for Australia. Pat O'Brien. Nope, it wasn't Pat O'Brien. Well, well done, guys. The ones that you didn't get representing Belgium was um, Michael Verputen, I think it's pronounced. Peru was Josefina Galvez. Australia was Mark Salotti, who wrote the coin in the Galaxy Book with James Gallo. For Spain was Jose Rosa. And if you remember, Jason, he held up the Colgate box flat. Um, Oh, yeah, I've got one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We're up to... Denmark was Henrik Wolf Rasmussen. Uh, Okay, yeah. For Canada, it was Shane Turgeon. Uh, 
Oh, and for Germany, it was Wolfgang Schlegel. Right then, so we're going to be tighter there. So in first place is Andy Spoons Norton on three. Jason and Andy Preston have two, and Pete with one. Bring up the rear. Now, okay, this is similar to the first round. So this is round three. When I type Star Wars, followed by one of our names into the Google Images, this is the first image that appears. Who is the host? Okay, so I'm going to spin the wheel first, and spin me colour picker. And it's Andy Preston. So, Andy Preston, you've got the first one. Go for it. There are some easy ones. There are some absolutely <laughs> bonkers ones. So, you've got number four. Right. One, two, three, four. Right. A picture of Warwick Davis taken from CE2 in Essen by a member of the audience. And what, what, what are you Googling for that? So, you type in Star Wars and then a podcaster's name. Right. Well, Who is the name? Um, this is for Andy Preston. Who is the ju- name that's typed in? We've just heard that you and Jason were both in Essen, and mm-hmm. Jason takes a lot of photos. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go for Jason. Sorry, it's not Jason. Yeah. I'm going to throw that out there too. I'm going to get. I, I've got a feeling. Um, I think it's Pete. Me. It yeah. is. It's Peter what? Davis. If you type Star Wars and then Pete Davis into Google Images, a picture of Warwick Davis taken from C2 and Essen is the first. <laughs> well, if I wasn't there. Right, I'm going to give <laughs> you guys a clue here. My name's Jason Smith. Smith is a very common name mm, and generally right. ungoogleable. You can't Google me because I've got such I a... I always Google you, Jason. Star Wars. Uh, right. There's a hint. Next person is Jason. Yes. So... What's the image? Jason, you've got in the wheel. Who, who got the last one? Was it was it Pete? The last one. The last one was Pete. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've got number three. Yeah. Right. A photo with Baby Yoda and a happy fiftieth prop. And a happy fiftieth. Yes. <laughs> I'm calling it a happy 50th prop. It's one of those things that you see on the top of a birthday cake with a stick and happy 50th written on it. Pete. Well, that Pete, haven't we? Sorry. I can't be Pete. Well, I'm Pete. I'm not going to mark off you for that. Happy 50th either. <laughs> happy 50th. Oh, someone who's 50. Not 50 yet. <laughs> it's a bit of a clue here, Jason, isn't it? <laughs> it's not going to be me. Could it be me? You're 57. I have turned 50. I'm going to say Preston. He, he must be 50 now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Preston. Yeah, it is Andy Preston. Yeah, a bit of hard work out one, Jason, but you got there in the end. Right. Next is Andy Spoons Norton. Right. And you're getting... Right. So, Andy, you've got number one. The Slave 3 model from the Boba Fett fan club. Good grief. What? The Slave 3? I've never even heard of the Slave 3. So who, who we got left? We've got... The Slave 3. G, we've got Jason, Richard and me, haven't we? Yeah. Um, of us three, I think... Slave 3? I think that's Richard, and that's going to be linked to, like, a Fanta Tracks thing or something. That is incorrect. Oh. So you want to jump in on that one? Uh, let's just say Jason, because it's funny. 
<laughs> it is Jason Smith. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's somebody called um, Jason Smith who might work perhaps behind the scenes on some. Yeah, it won't. It's items. not me. No, it's not you. But that's you just stop there at work, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> right, and who's now had a guess? Who's left? Left? Me, 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 me. Right, so it's Pete. Right, and Pete, you've got. So this is the image that comes back. Try logo Anakin mint on card. <laughs> Try... oh. Well, it could be either of you, can they? Let's face it, it's probably going to come up from a post. Neil Spoons, North, Andy Norton. It's your, how generic is your name? I'm going to use the same logic as Andy did and go, Richard. Which is incorrect. Oh. Does somebody want to go on that one? Boom. Oh, is it Spoons? Well, well Jason, it was Andy Spoons Norton. I believe it was from his Twitter account. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I assumed it'd be from, from the Diecast website for me. Yeah, it's not. So um, mine mine was the photo taken at Celebration London too. So that was the one that came up with me. Right then. So, oh, it's so tight. Everything's to pay for. So in the lead, we have Jason and Andy Spoons Norton, both joint on four. And bringing up the rear is Pete and Andy Preston, both on two. Oh, two. Awesome. Right. Round four, the final round. Mm. There's people cheering for the final round. Right. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. There are fifteen names as an editor. Or a member of staff listed on the SWCA.com. 15 names. One point for listing a name. So first person on the list is going to go with, is it going to tip over? Indeed. Jason Smith, you're the first one. One of the 15 names. Gus Lopez. Surprisingly, Gus Lopez is on the list. So he's listed in position one. So one point for Jason. Next... It is Andy Preston. Duncan Jenkins. Correct. Duncan Jenkins is also on the list. So that's one point for you. Next is... Spoons. Ron Salvatore. Ron Salvatore is also on the list. That's one point for Spoons. And next is Pete. Uh, I'm... Uh... Chris Jagulius, if got his name right. Chris Jagulius is also on the list. Yes. So, first time round, got a good sweep of four there. So, we've taken off three of the top four. So, Gus, Chris and Ron were one, two and three. We've done a little bit further down. So, back to, I think it was Jason Smith first. Who next? Chris Fawcett. Chris Fawcett's not listed. That is a real mm. surprise, but he's not listed on there. So, no. Andy Preston? Oh, I, w- I was going to go Chris Fawcett. Shane Turgeon? No, also not on the list. Andy Spoons Norton? I'm not sure the first name. Alvarez. Is it John? Yes, John Alvarez is on the list. Yes, he is. So, point for you, Andy. And Pete? Your mate, Pete Vilma, surely. Pete Vilma is definitely on the list. He yes. is indeed. So, well done. So, score so far, got Andy Spoons in the lead with seven, Jason with six, and Pete and Andy Preston both with three. Jason, you next. I just got two right. Is that not like a, a point 
Player one, though. Yeah. Did I have I missed one off you? Wait, you can have another one. Yeah. Wait, you've got four. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to say Joe Iglesias. Nope, Joe Iglesias is not on the list. Danny Preston? Steve Sansweet. Not on the list. Andy Spoon's not on. So is this like any contribution? What's nope, this is listed as editors or staff. Right, okay. There's a lot of editors or staff, aren't there? Oh, um, getting tough now. It isn't really. It is for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. You've got the list in front of you, Richard. It's mm-hmm. easy for you. I probably read out their names every week when we go through the uh, the licensing. Yeah, you're not far off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the names of my own family. Um, no, pass. Right. Okay, I'll take the point off you for the length of time you took there. <laughs> so you've lost the point. Pete? This is probably, probably the last one I get. I, I, so I mean, I look at this archive all the time, so these, mm-hmm. these names come in. So I've got to say Todd Chamberlain, because I'm sure I saw his name. Todd Chamberlain on is indeed on the article. list. Article. Yep, well done, Pete. Todd Chamberlain. So that puts you joint first now with oh, Jason. Oh. Andy Spoon's not on it. Andy Preston's way, way back on three. So, right. But I've, I've only lost a point. <laughs> you, did, you did lose a point. Andy Preston's way back on three. Yeah, right, so... Um, we'll just go through it once more, I think. Um, there are some pretty obvious names that should be on the SWCA list. As much as I don't always think of people writing articles. Right, so, Jason Smith, over to you. Uh, Ross Cuddy? Nope, Ross Cuddy also surprisingly not on the list. Andy Preston? Sky Payne. Sky Payne is on the list. Yeah, so, Sky Payne, that puts you on four points. Um, now, here we go. Is it going to be Andy's Moons Norton winning or is it going to be Pete winning? Andy's Moons Norton? I think if on the Sky Payne thing, I'm just going to have to go for Stephen B. Danley. Stephen B. Danley is on the list also, so I'll put you in the lead. Pete? Oh, my, I, I'm probably out by now. I can't think of anyone else. No, no idea. Oh, that's just such a shame. We didn't uh, want Andy winning this as well. I just couldn't think of it. <laughs> Right then, so Andy, you've won the quiz, um, even though I've took a point off you. <laughs> and if I had to give that point to Andy Preston, you would have all drawn and been first, oh. um, which is a real shame. So, another names on the list that you could have mentioned was John Wooten, James, uh, yeah. James Gallo, uh, Isaac Liu, no. Mike Mensinger. Yeah, uh, he, I was trying to think of him early on, but yeah. his, his face was becoming uh, Chris George Julius, and I couldn't, I couldn't separate the two. <laughs> Stephen Forcourt. Ah! Yeah, we said it, didn't we? And the archivist, Tommy Garvey. Oh, of course, Tommy. Uh, yeah. I would have given you bonus points for men- mentioning Jonathan McElwain, Yehuda Kleinman, Pete Vitzke, Amy Schoberg, or Michael Lonergan, who are listed as guest blog contributors. Oh. So, well done, guys. I don't know if that was a good quiz. I don't know if it was a bad quiz, but we did get some laughs, <laughs> out of that. It was uh, a quiz. It was a quiz, exactly. It was, it was an enjoyable quiz. quiz. <laughs> it hurt a bit, I must say, but it was enjoyable. Right then, moving on to the NA shout-outs then. So, Jason, um, wow. What we're talking to is wow. Take it away. Right, so this was uh, posted on um, Facebook wall of this particular collector on the, the first morning of celebration. Uh, oh, no, no, it was posted in the Star Wars Bootleg Knockoff Collectors group on the 26th of May. 
Joey Glazers with this, all in capitals, is how you start your celebration off. And it's a picture of not of just one mint on card, is eh? Of two. So he's got himself uh, an Emperor's Royal Guard, and he's got himself a Stormtrooper there. And he says the Stormtrooper is an upgrade, and the Emperor's Royal Guard is a variation I didn't have carded. Not one Uzi, two Uzis. First day of celebration. Can't be too bad. Can't be too bad at all. Andy Preston, you've got a really interesting day in the show notes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, my shout-out is one that came up on the Echo Vintage Group, and this was from Scott Jones. And boom, straight off, double telescoping prototype Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi engineering pilot for sale. From a Kenner source, AFA 80 with CIB certificate. Uh, That's Tom Darby. Um, Absolute guaranteed authentication. Has cross-hatching on the chest and K and 27 on the feet. So the cross-hatching, that would have been from a wear test. Um, they're seeing how well it stands up to, uh, to, to to rough play. K and the 27, those would have been the identifying marks for that particular figure. And uh, Scott Jones, I mean, uh, talk about an, uh, an, an overstatement. These do not come up very often and very hard to get in the UK. He was speaking to an auction house, but thought he'd post here first. Um, he thought it would do well at Hakes, but happy to sell at a fixed price to a collector for a fair price without giving everybody fees. And he was asking £15,500, including goods and services fees and UK delivery. I don't actually know who bought this. Um, there were three PMs that uh, were reported on the group. One was from Atak Irfan, one was Ashley Holland, one was Chris Alvarez. I'm guessing Chris probably has picked this up because that's right up his street. But whichever lucky person ended up buying that a fantastic piece uh as i say engineering pilot a yellow double telescoping lightsaber interestingly which uh, some of these engineering pilots did come with absolute bulletproof warranty and uh, yeah a lovely lovely piece congratulations to the buyer yeah absolutely great item there but only person doesn't quite the, get the point of newest acquisition does he? he's not guess the guess the newest owner competition so you're going to start off the next quiz of minus one, I think. Right, the item I've come to is, you know, a lot of people think about, ah, it's not that special, but to me it really is. It's a loose Darth Vader die-cast vehicle, and, or die-cast tie, and it was sold by Craig Stevens for the fantastic price of £25. And I just looked at it and I thought, you know what, it's a lovely item in the fantastic condition at a price whereby you could have went back three five years and still paid 25 pound for it and it's really nice seeing a loose tie item and for a price that is, is very very fair um so it was advertised as die cast Darth Vader tie fighter a fleck or two of dust but otherwise in very good condition the wings and the pilot seat fit tightly it's a standard colour, looks a little bit faded under the bright light. And he took the little Darth Vader action figure out um, in, in his seat. £25 bargain price, and it was purchased by one of our listeners, David Reader. So, fantastic pick up there, David. Um, you know, there's, there's something special about these loose um, Darth Vader die-cast ties. In fact, all the, all the tie vehicles are, are great, but I really like the Vader and I like the tie fight as well. So, fantastic pick-up. Uh, be sure to hit Ian Sanderson up for some of his stands. Um, so, Andy Spoon's Norton, apologies. I probably just pinched your item there because I'm sure you were getting really excited about that. Uh, let's go over to your item. No die-cast for me, Richard. How dare you? I've seen a lovely post today 
It's uh, from DB94 on Star Wars Forum UK, page 1874. I believe it's Colin Tours is his forename, but Colin, yeah. And he's delighted to share his Father's Day presents, so very topical. He's got five copies of the Star Wars Weekly Comic. He's got the Sounds of Star Wars cassette, which yeah, is a great, great tape. A lovely loose biker scout. Oh, and I did live. Sorry, Richard. And an absolutely beautiful diecast Millennium Falcon. Um, but the, the key to this story. So it's obviously it's it's lovely that he's he's got these items um, for Father's Day from his uh, child children. He's going to take his time and enjoy reading the comics whilst eating homemade gingerbread. And the biker scout is going to go on to my childhood speeder bike and a Falcon will be getting stared at all day. Never had it or even saw it in the shops as a kid absolutely love it and then his final comment oh and i retired on thursday and took my fire gear home you can see in his photo he's got his fireman boots and trousers behind so absolutely brilliant job to have in the first place you know should deserve all our respect being a being a fireman but congratulations colin on retiring and on some terrific father's day items Yep, you mentioned another diecast vehicle there, Andy, so you're going to start the quiz next month at minus one as well. So whoever starts the quiz next month, both Andy's are minus one. But great items there, absolutely brilliant. Love that, love the, love the tie in the Father's Day as well. Um, so Pete, I've just having a look at your items there as well. Another one, wow, what a great set of items you've picked up. Yeah, this is from, well, I didn't pick him up personally, but there we go. Um, David Phillips. I wonder if it's David Phillips who used to play for Wales and Coventry. I wonder if it's him. Mate, I mean, he lives on the corner, so I'll go and, uh, go and knock on his door. But uh, this this was a post which got Andy very, Mr. Preston, very excited. Um, so I thought I'd better mention it. Um, it's a, I'll read his post. Hi, folks. Thought I'd share a recent haul of goodies. Death Star Sharpener. It's a little faded, but still a great find. Main reason to share is that I've not seen some of these colours in the pencil top range before. They came in little bags, not sealed, I might add. So it's a, it's a desktop pencil sharpener. It is very faded. Um, it looks like it's been in someone's window forever. A little bit beaten. No, no sharpener bit, though, unfortunately. Then there's a collection of erasers. Uh, there's a couple of CTO ones, Chewbacca, and Solo, Darth Vader, and an R2 one. Look, completely unused. And then there is a Emperor's Royal Guard. I think that's an eraser. Is it not, Andy? In the little box bit. And then there's two pen toppers, the Darth Vader standing with his arms crossed and the, I'm assuming it's Wicket the Ewok. But there's also these other pen top things in different colours uh, that came in little bags. Now, according to Andy Preston's knowledge, very interesting knowledge, um, he wanted to know about the bags because they were unsealed. But um, Andy speculated they were part of these um, Helix erasers in the fun erasers packaging. Um, and they came in there. And the, the owner of these or the purchaser of these originally had uh, kept them in the bags but um, for safekeeping. But I wonder why he opened them and then then discarded that rather than just keep them sealed. But there we go. Maybe use them as pen toppers. I don't know. But um, a nice little range. Those sort of things you don't see often. I wonder how where he got it from. And I wonder if he is the, the Dave Phillips from Coventry City days. I wonder. Uh, and there's a pink Vader as well. So there we go. Another side yeah, of the theory with the pink ones is that it was a batch that um, it should have had red and blue colouring in to make purple like the 3PO in the picture there. Uh, but the blue colouring got missed, and yeah, uh, yeah that, we ended up with a pink Vader. Jason, you've got one. Yeah, I think, that's what you? Jason Joyner says, and he said there was a box, there was a large amount of those that he, that went through 
him at one point and then distributed out into the collecting community. I've I've got one, one pink one out of the the box that I've got a, a box full of. So yeah, maybe we should add more pink Vader. Well, great items there, guys. Um, one well spotted. And if anybody has an item next month that you'd like us to cover, by all means hit one of all, one of us up. But let's head over to Rebel Briefings. Escaping real wars with Star Wars. Retrobi one Kenobi. Get your lovely props here. The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Right, Richard, escaping real wars with Star Wars. No one wants to escape Star Wars. We love Star Wars. Yeah, great, great story. Good spot here by Andy Preston, I think. So, Andy, do you want to lead with this one? What did you say? An Echo Base Vintage Facebook group. Cheers, Rich. Yeah, as you say, lovely story. This is something posted up by Stuart Forbes, uh, 9th of June. And uh, not the usual sort of post you see on Echo. It's mostly buying and selling and uh, asking if stuff's real or fake, etc., etc. But uh, Stuart said, I'm going to share something a little different here. Like so many of us, I love to buy old beat-up ships and restore them, clean them up, fix the electronics, etc., bring life back to old toys. Well, yesterday, that went from a hobby to something meaningful. After weeks of delays and hold-ups, a mother and her six-year-old son came from Ukraine to stay with our family. Driven out of their homes by war, they came here to seek shelter with only a suitcase of their possessions that they'd been able to save. They were traumatized by war thousands of miles from their home. I could see fear and weariness in their eyes when we picked them up at the airport. When we got into their new home, they were exhausted, both physically and mentally, and they slept well. But today, as they contemplated their new lives, the kid found waiting for him an X-Wing I'd restored, a 90s TIE fighter I'd picked up on eBay, an ATST that I might have picked up from this group, as well as a whole bunch of figures, some of which I got from here. His little eyes lit up in a way that frankly almost brought me to tears as he grabbed the X-Wing and tried to work out how to open the wings. He knew about X-Wings. I took a moment to show him how the mechanism worked. Even though there was a language barrier, we found a way to bond, and showing him how to press down on the R2 to open them was a lovely moment I will treasure forever. What was a fun hobby has now become a way to bond, with a child struggling with PTSD. It's only been two days, but I already know I'm going to be an uncle to this child. I hope Disney Plus gives us Ukrainian dubs of Star Wars so we can watch it together. Star Wars has always been something special to me, but this hobby that we all love, that we all share, can be so much more powerful than we realise. It's helping to heal a child of the trauma of war. Well done, Stuart. What a fantastic post. What a lovely thing that you're doing for that mother and son. And uh, I hope that their recovery is continuing uh, and that your bond is continuing to grow over Star Wars. Well done, mate. 
Absolutely great, great story that. Um, it's times like that that makes you think of all the good that's been done in the community. And whenever we think of good, you know, it's easy to talk about, you know, things like happening stars from the UK. There are so many different stories in there. But you can't go down that path, I think, without mentioning people like Jez Allenson and, you know, all the stuff that Jez did with his running Stormtrooper. I forget the name of that young boy, but if you remember the boy that was at Pinewood Studios who got all the, the toys and that that were clubbed together for, you know, you know the, the amount of money, I think it was somewhere between thirty and £40,000 off the top of my head for charity. Um, some really, really good examples of stuff. Um, and also many of them linked there go base as well. Um, I mean, Andy Preston, I'm sure you're aware of some. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everywhere you look, everybody is doing charitable events, charitable fundraising. There's so much good that comes out of this community. Um, the 501st and the UK Garrison guys, um, they do a lot with Make-A-Wish and doing appearances and, uh, and and visiting hospitals and so on. As you say, Echo Base, lots and lots of the, uh, the, the events and the conventions and so on are raising money for charities. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's so wonderful to be a part of and to, you know, see the real difference that we as Star Wars fans can make to people's lives sometimes. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Retro, <laughs> retro Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, I know what this is about, Richard. And it's like, it feels weird to like retro stuff, though, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but there we go. Well, I've seen loads of people gushing about these online, saying they're absolutely awesome and that. And I don't know what it is, but I really liked the Retro Wave when they first came out. Um, saw them in Asda's and places like that. I thought, you know what, they are fantastic. But I'm going to be honest with you, these do absolutely nothing for me <gasps> whatsoever. So, Pete, it's a You're not excited about the, the Darth Vader one? Nope. So, really? Go on then. You discuss them and sell them to me. Well, uh, well, uh, I don't completely disagree with uh, what you said there, because, I mean, uh, they've been producing too many of these, and they're just a bit like... Uh, but the Darth Vader one is epic. It looks like a Darth Vader we maybe should have as a kid. He's got slightly red eyes, and uh, I think the scope's slightly different, obviously. I don't know, and he's got a cloth cape as well. It does look good. Uh, I've got a feeling all the boys on here, have, apart from Jason, have, have pre-ordered some of these Darth Vaders. Because I think that's going to be a figure that everybody wants. It looks brilliant. Proper lightsaber too, Pete. Yeah, exactly. Rather than you, when it comes out, your arm falls off. Yeah, it's always Breaks. there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, a, it's a different that. different sculpt. He's a bit more muscular. He's got his inner inner robes sort of sculpted onto his legs. Yeah, as, as you say, it's the Vader that arguably we should have got in the Return of the Jedi line. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just what the one vintage Vader, that would have been, if they'd released that, I think that would be, oh, it's a little bit on the sexy side, that one, I've got to say. The rest of the figures, it's retro range. Um, I've got to say. Grand Grand Inquisitor, I like him. Yeah, I mean, the big robot thing, that was his name, Ned. Ned B, or whatever his name is. I mean, he looks quite good, but it just, I don't know, the design's a little bit on the plain side. I mean, the figure looks great, but it just looks a bit out of place. The, sure they... the Ben Kenobi looks like he's um, an episode one release. That's what I thought when I saw that. I mean, I, I suspect I will buy these. But yeah, I, I, I'm not blown away by them. But that Vader, yeah, the Vader's Grand Inquisitor, the, the fifth brother I quite like as well. I, I can see myself getting those. And if I get those three, I'm going to buy the rest. Yeah, I think I think on the, the, the retro ones, I kind of I was going to collect all of them, all the ones that weren't the original line figures. And then I kind of, um, that second wave of the Mandalorian ones is like, ooh, not really that 
they didn't they weren't that exciting and then this lot vader is very exciting i think oh i just kind of revert back to collecting the ones i really really like because i think he'd look great on the vintage cupboard but the rest of them uh not quite vintagey enough maybe i don't know yeah i think i think that's right more vintage please but less vintage they needed a plastic plastic cape on Ben would have been better, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean that looks that cape looks too modern. It looks it looks a little bit. Oh, wait, let's let's be fair. It looks a bit more kind of Han Solo um, Endor yeah, kind of cloak yeah, detail. Bit, so Bib, Bib Fortuna's it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah, that as well. With those with those lapels. I think Grand Inquisitors have got have got plastic capes, haven't they? Looks like yeah. it, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, but, it just, it, it's just that robot. I don't know what, it's, it's just it's just a bit boring. Ned B. Ned B, you need to be more exciting. He was quite exciting in the last episode, but the figure's is, not that exciting. Is Reaver's cape um, cloth as well? No, I think she's plastic. plasticky on this photo. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I might be getting myself a Reaver as well, for sure, then. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to buy these. But, uh, yeah, Vader's the standout one. And uh, as we've said on here before, what they... What, what would really excite me is doing more figures from the original trilogy that weren't released back in the day. Sand Trooper, Rebel Fleet Trooper, Uncle Owen, Biggs. I mean, how, how many? How many can we do? We can keep going. So I, I'm, I'm different. I wouldn't. They don't interest me in a way. That's because this is something. These lines are. It's new stuff. If you see what I mean, I, the vintage line is the vintage line, and that's that's the nostalgia. It would it would it would blur the boundaries for me having new figures in with them to just to to complete the the cast as it were. And I know some you know some people like the custom figures. I don't know you've got some customs, and I've never really gone that route. Whilst this, I, I totally separate this from the vintage. They look vintage, but that's a line from a different a different show. It is, but I think it will open up. I think if these do well, because it's like a, a new range of figures kind of thing. I think they will keep going with it because i mean they, they have been churning these out quite regularly now you know you think they, they got two waves out for the bubba fett show reasonably quickly after season you know of that that season and they've gone with figures for this show as well and they've got them out you know during the show which is good so they're obviously onto a thing here they've actually got their act together so i assume we're going to get the same for the andor series probably they might even go bad batch as well um because that's coming soon isn't it that's coming in what july or something august so I think we'll we'll get. I think they're they're on top of it now. It seems to be they're working now with Lucasfilm, the movie side of it, and they're getting the sculpts done and the figures out. So. And, um, and any I, of you are are you pre-ordering? I'll do the Vader. Okay, because I tend to just buy the. So I've got all bar three of the Mandalorian figures, but I I just buy them when I go to Forbidden Planet and see what they've got. Sort of do it do it old school. Well, I always open them, you see, so I, need, so I try and buy them damaged, you know, the packaging damage. Sometimes Amazon has a few of those returns because Amazon have a dreadful reputation for sending figures, cardio figures out. They just throw them in a box or throw them in an envelope and they get returned regularly. So I normally wait a little while so I can just open them without too much guilt. <laughs> Let's go to Amazon. See, I didn't, I've never thought about buying yeah, just, Star just, Wars and Amazon. Just wait until, yeah, oh yeah, crikey. Just well, they've always got tons of stuff on. Just wait until the the, the first wave is out and it starts coming back because they can't be bothered to put it in a box. But you get socks in a box, but you won't get carded figures in a box, and they get returned damaged. And I normally pick them up for like seven quid or something so I can open them. Yeah, because I've not opened any of mine because I, I 
too much the collector's mentality. It is, but uh, I started having them loose. So I thought I've got to continue it loose now. And it's actually, I do, I do prefer them loose. To be fair, I'm, I'm not a massive. The cards look nice, but actually, the cards look nicer in my folder <laughs> without a figure on now. So, and well, the figures nice. You can get Grief Cargo for eight ninety nine. Oh, you don't spend that much. <laughs> if you get, get, down, get yourself down to Smiths, you get them for three pounds. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crikey, at the moment. Just, 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 just. You can get them cheap if you hunt around. Some of them are getting really cheap, but you know, so always that thing, isn't it, where you have these figures that come out. They, I mean, like uh, the Entertainer and Smiths. Lobot is <laughs> the vintage collection. Lobot has been peg warming. And uh, then they, of course, realise, and of course, you've got these just tons of Lobots, and they were flogging them for like a fiver each. Burn them down, with fire! Burn them with fire! <laughs> I went down to get one or two, thinking I'll keep a few. But yeah, someone, someone apparently had come to the store and bought all of them at that price, thinking that obviously a lot of the vintage collection range does. Was it Dan Curl? Yeah, it might well have been. Some, some of the, some of these things do tend to pick up a little bit on the vintage collection over time. They do tend to have a little bit of life to them. Um, there's that Bomb Vinden character who's peg warmed, what about eight or nine years ago, and now he's you know, you know, well thirty, forty quid sometimes. So uh, you got to be careful <laughs> in terms of hoarding. Yeah, anyway, still, right. I still want one of the um, what they called the the stormtroopers from uh, Mandalorian line that you could only get with was it a board game. Yeah, they've been creeping up again. They're about thirty-five pounds for a bit, and they're now forty-five pounds. And I'm not sure I can be bothered paying that much for uh, for one of these. But the completest of me says I need it. If you want a loose one, get it. Just get it from Tonghuri online. That's I've got my loose one from. It's just the same same retro collection scope with a bit of weathering, isn't it? It's a little bit of a little bit of grey on them. There's really no comparison. But yeah, no, I'm I'm not bothered with that. If you want them loose, it is cheap online. You get them from Tonghuri. What are they calling those black troopers from Kenobi, out of interest? The black troopers? Yeah. Yeah, they're at the front, weren't they? Yeah. They're yeah, not no. death troopers, are they? No idea. No, they're, they're not death troopers. They're, I did see a name for them online, but I can't remember what it was. Because I'd be interested in seeing super troopers, yeah, ABBA ones. I'd be, <laughs> in, I'd be interested in seeing um Brettwood version of that. Yeah. But no, this set doesn't do it for us. Maybe it's because they're boxed together like that. But no, that just didn't do for us. Not for me. Yeah, but interesting to see if they do a second wave on this show, on this series. But it seems to be that they do. You know, I mean, they did two waves of Boba Fett, but I think I think there's enough characters really, is there? I mean, you could do a little layer and a little robot-y thing, and that's probably about it. There's not much else. Do a Bail Organa maybe, but idea. I'd be surprised if they do another one. So they might do a layer and a Luke and a layer. You know, in a little little double kind of jarry looking multi-pack thing that'd be quite fun Rebel base, one minute and closing. get your lovely props here why have we gone french what's going on why have we going to france for richard well i don't know why to be honest with you <laughs> we haven't gone to france just doing silly voices no prop store auction prop store have got another auction coming up think it's within the next couple of days so by the time that uh, this podcast is released it probably will all be over but uh, in the meantime we have been scouring the catalogue and we've been looking for the uh, little interesting bits that catch our eyes and uh, I, th- I think we've each picked two or three to talk about so if i uh, if i perhaps kick off 
the first one I noticed was Yoda's hand from the Empire Strikes Back. And this is a piece um, which is uh, an original puppet hand. It's a three-fingered foam latex hand, painted green, yellow resin fingernails and sculpted details, wrinkles, knuckles and veins. The hand was sympathetically sealed to prevent deterioration to the latex. And it comes mounted on a metal rod attached to a black wooden display base. Latex stiffening, cracking and paint loss, white paint stains on one nail from age and production. But uh, I could just picture Yoda with his hand out, lifting the X-Wing from the swamp. And, you know, Yoda's hand, that three-fingered hand, it's so iconic, so recognisable. That would be a lovely piece to have. Sadly, I'm never going to be able to afford it. The other one that I spotted, and again, a lovely, lovely piece, but uh, not from the original Star Wars. This is from the special editions. And this is Obi-Wan Kenobi's home and moisture evaporator. These are miniatures, about 22 inches by 16 and a half inches by 10 and a half inches tall. And this is a model built at ILM uh, by Paul Houston. Uh, it was built uh, specifically for the long shot as you establishing Kenobi's home. Uh, you've got a foam core base with plaster and resin detail. Uh, it's painted off white with a rough stone texture um, with weathering. It's got about nine different accessories, little bits that come uh, with it and were um, dotted around the scene to add a bit of extra detail. And again, iconic piece, so recognisable from the movies. Uh, screen matched, all the weathering, all the details matches up. And again, lovely Star Wars piece um, that uh, would look good in anybody's collection, I'm sure. Normally when I say these kind of collections, I go for something that's not Star Wars because I like other franchises. So I had a look at the Lord of the Rings stuff. I had a look at, uh, you know, Red Dwarf, things like that. But nothing really stood out for me other than the Star Wars items. So the one I'm going to look at is the Emperor's Royal Guard helmet. And it's just absolutely brilliant. I love it. I love the shape. I love the colour. I love these guys in the movie, even though they don't do a lot. The text from this one is, A production made Imperial Guard helmet from Richard Marquand's Star Wars, Turn the Jedi. The Emperor always travelled with his elite protectors, the Imperial Guard whose signature red robes and helmets add colour to the scenes in a film that would otherwise be very stark. Created by costume designer Nilo Rodis Gemero, this helmet is made of vacuum-formed ABS plastic with a semi-transparent red urethane visor adhered to the inside and a loop on either side of the neck for securing a cape. The helmet is made in two halves that are joined together. The entire helmet is painted in a specific shade of, get this, candy apple red. Brilliant, eh? It exhibits adhesive residue on the unpainted interior and scuffing in the exterior finish, estimated between twenty and $30,000. Absolutely amazing item. I would love that. Well, I'm going to go for uh, an item not from star wars to start with this this surprised me this is from american graffiti so a good star wars connection george lucas director and harrison ford starring as bob falfa and this is bob falfa's hat it's a kind of uh, straw stetson very uh, iconic for those who have seen the film but i've I've been a little bit surprised. I mean, actually, well, there's a there's a bit of history behind it, and I didn't never realised this before that George Lucas wanted Harrison Ford to cut his hair for the film. Harrison refused and suggested he wore a hat, and this this is that hat. Uh, for you know, clearly it's got that Star Wars link with uh, George and uh, and Harrison, but it's a fairly niche film, isn't it? I wouldn't have thought there's many outside the die die hard 
modern Star Wars fans have seen it. Clearly, people around at the day might have done. But the estimate for this is is between twenty five thousand and thirty five thousand dollars, which I thought thought seemed high, but I've not not really got anything to gauge that. I don't know what you know if it's Indiana Jones's um, hat. Can imagine that selling for for big bucks. But this yeah, this seemed to seem quite high. So that was that was my first item. The second one is unbelievably expensive. And I would I would love this. This is a a screen matched ILM Red Leader X Wing model miniature, um, and there's currently one bid, absentee bid at half a million dollars. It's got a, a ceiling estimate of a million dollars. It's a tiny little uh, X Wing used used from the film. Loads of weathering on. I mean, it looks just like a little, you know, you might buy a model kit and paint it up yourself. But the fact that it's screen matched, absolutely wonderful. Something I could only ever dream about. Uh, but a beautiful item. Uh, I did want to give uh, be a bit naughty and give a, a shout out to something a little bit more affordable, and that's a, a set of uh, Phil Tippett's Black Falcon torn torn reference photos. But it's also got a few of the uh, the Han Hoth outfit in there, back and side photos, um, Han on the torn torn. So they're just nice, relative relatively good price of an upper estimate of two and a half thousand dollars. I don't think I'll be bidding, but you never know. I maybe have a few beers, put a cheeky bit in. And and I just wanted just to mention, you know, friend of the show and, and sadly no longer with us, the J.W. Rinsler collections up there. So there's loads of items from John's collection. So, yeah, it's worth, worth having a look at those. Pete, what's in there that's tickling your fancy? Tickling my fancy, indeed. Well, first off, Andy Preston selling his coat, Star Wars coat. Can't believe he's selling it, Andy. Now we can see what the price was. Uh, so, <laughs> not mine not mine so yeah uh, Norwegian unit crew jacket but it's a little bit different because someone has sewn on with the arms a Revenge of the Jedi patch with Yoda on it um, which is interesting but they've got it up for well starting bid is $2,500 bucks um, but they reckon it's going to be five to 7,000 bucks is that about what you paid Andy are you allowed to say I paid paid a bit more than that. I think this one's going to go higher as well. They're they're in uh, quite quite high demand. They've got that that weird patch. It's a bit strange they've sewn that on, but it, it basically says blue polyester blender Parker US size forty two. Is that the same as yours? Yeah, about mate. I, I take a size forty two, and mine's a little bit small on me. Okay, well, the old days everyone was thinner. Uh, features yellow and navy stripe upper sleeves, a Norwegian unit patch on the left breast, and a Star Wars patch on the left sleeve. After filming was completed, a Revenge of the Jedi Yoda patch was hand-sewn onto the right sleeve by its original owner. This jacket exhibits several marks of evidence of patches being previously sewn onto the front, but they have since been removed. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's, been, it's like a patch jacket. It's missing the Vader in Flames patch, isn't it? Which is opposite the Norwegian crew one. But uh, you can come, come across those reasonably easily. So you could always put one back on if you wanted to. Well, yeah, let's hope no one does that. Just leave it as it is. Put holes in it. It's not good. But, yeah, there was that. So I thought that was quite interesting. I, you know, I thought maybe Andy had cashed in or was going to try and cash in. So interesting that goes for. Then there was a, a kind of a modern-y thing, which kind of took my uh, attention. It was a slave lair item. Um, it was a, the Femme Lot 420. Femme Fatales magazine, 1999, hand-painted David Voigt Carrie Fisher magazine illustration. Um, and it comes with a graded copy of uh, the magazine that the, the, the original um, illustration was actually on. I was just quite a bit, I was just a bit sort of like taken back. It was a lovely, it's a lovely kind of painting. I'm going to say why it's kind of. Um, Carrie Fisher looks really old in it. If that's Slave Leia years, 
then she looks like she's about 40 in it. So I'm assuming the artist took, um, when, it, when he painted it in the 90s, took more references from a bit later on than Star Wars. Probably couldn't find a great picture, but her face just looks slightly older. And also the composition image is odd. So it's Slave Leia on something. She's kind of got her arms on something. Her left hand looks a bit odd, I have to say. So it must have taken out from another reference image or original. But behind her, you would think maybe, you know, Jabba's pass. No, of the Death Star and two X-Wing visors behind her. And I can understand for a cover, you know, something a bit different. But it's a little bit weird because I don't remember X-Wing fighters <laughs> flying around her head behind the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. But there we go. But yeah, a slightly odd item. But again, that's up for two and a half thousand. But I don't know. I'm not really sure whether that's going to be going to go for anything like that. I would be surprised if it is. I've got to say. But um, nice image. A little bit strange. Jason, I think you're going to go hats as well. Yeah, I've got a couple of things I've picked out, which are at the more reasonable end of um, the auction scale. Uh, the first thing I've got is a pair of Star Wars hats, one in kind of like bluey purple, another one in white. And these are Factors hats from the promotion of uh, George Lucas' Star Wars New Hope. They were originally sold to consumers in Japan, and a large number of the hats were also distributed to Lucasfilm staff in uh, 1980 and one throughout the production of Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, these have got an estimate of between $500 and $700 and a starting price of $250. So that's kind of an affordable collectible. Um, the other thing is there's a, there's a number of vintage collection, vintage collectible items from Charlie Lippincott's collection. So there's a um, whole kind of range of marks and various things that you can get that he he, he once had. The one I've picked out is uh, a Darth Vader acrylic paint-by-number featuring glow-in-the-dark accent from Craftmaster. So this is a kind of model of Darth Vader that you can um, you can colour in and paint. And the, uh, the starting bid on that is $50, and the estimate's 100 to $150, which I think, um, you know, for a bit of uh, vintage, even for a any kind of random bit of vintage is um, a fairly decent price. So there you go. Two two things at the more collectible end of the market. Well, good luck to anybody who's been bidding on prop store auctions. And uh, if anyone picks up some exciting stuff, do let us know what you've got and uh, how excited you are by it. And so as promised at the start of the show, we're going to be focusing on celebrations. And, you know, Celebration Anaheim's just finished with Celebration London announced for next year. Um, but we had one of our members there, uh, Jason, you were at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. Um, compared to previous celebrations, can you give us a brief overview, first of all, of what you thought about it? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was kind of like on the fence for a long time about whether I was going to go to this because obviously it's been delayed several times due to COVID. They had kind of on paper quite quite severe COVID restrictions, so you had to be um, vaccinated to be able to get in. I didn't have a problem with that as a requirement. And they also had a requirement that you had to wear a face mask inside at all times. Uh, and that, that that was going to be enforced. Um, I kind of got, got to the point where, you know, I thought, well, if I'm going to wear a mask all day for four days, that's really off-putting and I, I'm probably not going to go. And then I thought about cons that we've had in the UK where going in, they had the same requirements. And in the end, it wasn't enforced and people could either wear the mask or not. And I thought they'll, they'll probably end up doing that because there's going to be so many people there. The staff just won't have time to go around telling everyone to keep repeatedly putting the mask on. So in the end, I went and I didn't wear a mask unless I was told to put a mask on. And in the four days, I was told to put a mask on three times. Um, I wore a mask for a total of maybe two hours while I was there. And I was once told off for, for running when I was actually just doing a brisk walk. But apart from that, I mean, it was, you know, in terms of it was it was lesser than previous celebrations I've been to, I would say. I mean, you know, on the collecting track, there were maybe... I don't know, there was maybe about a third of the people that you would expect to be there weren't there. You know, a lot of them, again, they had COVID concerns or whatever. I thought guest-wise, it was fantastic. It was the best. I mean, I they, they do a lottery for the, the, the main opening panel for each of the days now. They don't allow people to queue up anymore. And they even even did that before, before COVID. And um, in the lottery, I, I won the main... In, in Anaheim, there's a kind of separate main auditorium which holds like 20 30,000 odd people and i won the main stage for the opening panel so i was just thought i'm absolutely delighted i've got the opening panel and i've got celebration stage whatever else happens in my celebration that will be fantastic and as it turned out it was fantastic it was you know i've been to a, a you know half a dozen celebrations and a number of the big panels and it was it's the best panel that i've been to and we'll we'll talk more about um what they said in that panel in a bit but that, that was absolutely fantastic um you know I, the other thing we're going to celebration you're going over there because i'm from the uk i'm going to going with a big group of uk collecting friends and hardly any of them were going and i kind of thought about it when well you know i, I do have a quite a large number of american friends that I kind of hang around with. And I thought, you know, the fact that all oh, my UK mates aren't there, it probably won't be so much of a problem. I'll be able to hang around with them kind of most of the time. And in the end, that was fine. So that wasn't a problem at all. There were a few collectors from the UK that I knew that were going. There was Peter Lee that I saw. Uh, Craig Spivey from Generation Skywalker was there. All of Fanta tracks were there. I don't think any of them were missing. So, there, you know, there's a large number of them kicking about. So, um but yeah, I mean, overall, I'm I'm really glad that I did I did decide to go in the end because I think I would have uh, regretted not going in the end. So yeah, yeah, it was really good. So I mean, I followed a lot of it from home. Um, I didn't watch all of the YouTube videos, and unfortunately, a lot of it was on that you know that stage that they have with Andy Goodyear's and uh, Jordan Hemp and a few people there. I found a lot of that a bit too cheesy um, watching it online. Although when you're there in person, it's absolutely fantastic. I did watch a lot of the panels, as many panels as have been broadcast. So we've got a huge list of announcements here. 
and you know each one by itself is absolutely brilliant but one that i'm really looking forward to is andor and i'm not sure what to expect from it because is it going to be gritty and dark like rogue one which you know was criticized by quite a few people as being too dark and a lot of people a lot of people thought rogue one was boring even though i thought it was absolutely brilliant but equally i can expect that and i'm really interested and intrigued to see where they're going to take an andor series and which direction they're going to take it in so the one that i'm looking forward to most from the panels is andor um, starring Diego Luna who's coming back as Cassian Andor premiering on August 31st 2022 so alongside the release date news Disney also shared teaser trailers for it before it's going to take 5 years prior to Rogue One um, mind you that trailer was absolutely hammered online I think I must have seen it about 50 times um, across the 4 days of YouTube videos um, it's confirmed that the first season will consist of 12 episodes and the second part is in the work for another 12 episodes. So it sounds like they've got a lot of faith in that. Yeah, um, there was the, the announcement. Now, I'm not into gaming or anything, but um, I think this whole Fallen Order computer game, there's been tons of references to it in latest Star Wars shows. And uh, Jedi Survivor, which is the sequel to it with this Cal Kestis guy, that is uh, that was that was announced. That's 2023. Uh, which for gaming fans would be massive. Um, yeah. Next one, they've confirmed the uh, first look at the, the upcoming Disney Plus season, Ahsoka, and they have teased that the live-action versions of the uh, characters from Rebels, Sabine Wren, Chopper, and Hera Syndulla, will be in the series. And they also showed a mural of Ezra Bridger, so good chance that he may appear as well. This was announced in um, the opening panel and celebration. Um, it's a new show called Skeleton Crew. It's a new Disney Plus original series that will launch in 2023. And will star Jude Law, uh, created by Spider-Man No Way Home's John Watts and Christopher Ford. Star Wars Skeleton Crew will follow a group of 10-year-old kids from a small planet who get lost in that galaxy far, far away. They must try to find their way home. The story will take place after the return of the Jedi and will fit within the timeline of the Mandalorian and Ahsoka. Uh, the big one, Disney is revealed, is going to be the third season of the Mandalorian. I think we're all looking forward to that. So that's going to be February 2023. Uh, Disney Plus, where all the other ones are. Now, this was uh, shown behind closed doors, so I've, I've certainly not seen it, but others may have. I don't know whether J- Jason saw that yet. So there's a sizzle reel that um, kind of showed us characters that we already knew. The Armourer, Emily, Emily Swallow, Grief Carga, Captain Carson Teaver and uh, Pelimoto. Big fan of Pelimoto. Um, but the big focus was Katie Sackhoff's Bo-Katan, who looks to be on a collision course with Mando and Grogu, that dark saber, eh? Yeah, fantastic. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of trailers, brand new trailer for Star Wars Bad Batch Season 2 has been confirmed for Autumn 2022. Release window for animated Disney Plus series. The trailer and release window news was revealed at Star Wars Celebration and teases that some time has passed since the first season as the crew looks a bit older and is wearing some new gear. It also looks like Emperor Palpatine and Commander Cody will factor into the season alongside a Wookiee Jedi who may or may not be gunky. So really looking forward to Bad Batch. I thought the Bad Batch uh, one was a, a really fun show. I think I probably should go back and revisit that one. Yeah, another series of Star Wars Visions, uh, which is the anime kind of little... It's sort of, I'm not sure if it's out-of-universe kind of stuff or not, but uh, 
I think some of it was kind of like loosely based. I'd like to go a little bit deeper into some of the characters, or not characters, maybe sort of storylines we know of or ideas. But that's coming in 2023. Um, I think it's just be a bit braver with it and uh, look a bit more Star Warsy. More animation. Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, an upcoming anthology of original animated shorts. Coming to Disney Plus this autumn, uh, this will tell tales of Ahsoka and Count Dooku at different parts of their lives, but also seeing Liam Neeson returning to voice Qui-Gon Jinn. Next one, Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation is set to arrive on Disney Plus on August the 5th, 2022. And we'll see Rose, Ray, Finn, Poe and Chewbacca taking a vacation after defeating Emperor Palpatine. They will quickly learn that other Star Wars characters who have attempted to take a peaceful vacation have had have not had much luck. Sounds a little bit like uh, the Star Wars holiday special. That one does, doesn't it? A new one, I think. I think Disney's uh, done too much of these kind of uh, ones. But this is Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures. So that's uh, going to be on Disney Junior as well as Disney Plus and aimed at pre-kindergarten children, essentially preschool kids. Um, and it's set during the High Republic era. So something a little bit different all around. And I suppose it's not going to appeal to uh, many of us, but I'll certainly be watching to uh, see what it's all about. Well, there was a lot of, is he going, is he not going, who knows, but Harrison Ford did indeed stop by Star Wars Celebration to help share the first image of Indy 5. Really looking forward to seeing Indy. For me personally, and I know a lot of people are going to groan at this, I find the Indy movies hit and miss. I didn't really like the first two. The third one, Temple of Doom, I thought was brilliant. The fourth one, I thought was a bit met as well, so I'm really hoping that Indy 5 is going to go back on their form. I'm going to step in here because I was in yeah. the panel when this happened. And this was the most amazing thing I think I've seen in a panel. So basically, when at the start of the whole presentation, uh, there's uh, the auditorium's there. There's a big, massive TV screen, and there's a curtain underneath it. And one of the presenters made a point of peering behind the curtain and saying, oh, it's just a brick wall there. So there's nothing to see there. And then at the end of the presentation, and they went, oh, and one more thing. And they brought out John Williams. John Williams walks out. The curtain, the curtains, no, the curtains opened up and there's a full orchestra where this, quote, brick wall was meant to be. And then John Williams steps out um, to conduct them playing the theme tune to Star Wars, which kind of, you know, bought bought the kind of uh, the house down. Everyone was cheering. Then they played indiana jones and again the the audience erupted and then harrison ford just walked out and started wishing john williams a happy birthday and you know harrison ford is the kind of guy who he doesn't do conventions he doesn't do star wars conventions and there he was in front of my my own eyes i could see harrison ford talking about star wars and um that was absolutely fantastic richard you might need to go back and say what you said again did you say you didn't like the first two but you liked yeah. temple of doom yeah yeah temple of doom is number two although chronologically Sorry. it's number one yeah you're right i didn't like the first two but i like the last crusade i thought the last crusade was like brilliant the, well i gotta say you didn't like the first one How Raiders dare of the lost Ark. no not really well that's <laughs> we've got to hurt it but also they changed the order didn't they i think in it, the end i think temple of doom now technically in chronological order, comes yeah. before Raiders Lost Art, but no, like, no one cares. Oh, don't yeah. worry, don't How worry can you that. not like Raiders? It's, nah, I, it just didn't do for us. Never did. But it's got Star Wars figures in it. 
got Luke Bespin. I, I could if I if I never had to watch any of the other films of Raiders, I wouldn't be that fussed. But uh, sorry, uh, indie, but I would have to watch Raiders of Lost Art. It's an absolutely fantastic film. And here's, here's another fact, indie fact for you. Temple of Doom was made, obviously, by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And they made it because they were really, really bitter about their wives, ex-wives. So they made the most darkest, bitter <laughs> film that literally just hates all women. And, we, uh, had, we had a bit cut out here, didn't we? Well, literally cut out. The uh, removal of the heart was only added later on. So original screenings didn't have that in in the UK. And it was all about, it was all, if you watch like, the documentaries on it, it was all about because they were really angry about life. So they made the most darkest, twistiest film they could get away with. And also, any female character was just not even given much of a time of day. I mean, that woman just doesn't get anything, really. Uh, what's the name? I can't remember what her name is now. But, uh, yeah, it is uh, it is quite a dark film. It's darker than it should have been. Go on, Pete. You're going to tell us about Willow. No. <laughs> i tell you what. I've got to say, right, Willow... Right, they've got official teaser at Star Wars for the new Willow uh, TV series. I've got to say... I've got to say, it really, it took me out because uh, Warwick Davis's voiceover, it just, I don't know what was going on there. I mean, was he trying to act or not act? It just sounded so stale. Uh, uh, He's not a voiceover man. Given I was there watching the whole uh, bit on um, Willow, I've got to say it was was another wow moment because the the first thing they did is they brought out Ron Howard. The Ron Howard came out and started talking about... um, about Willow, and then uh, Warwick Davis kind of came on as a kind of afterthought. But the fact that Ron Howard was there was fantastic. And it's fair enough. But the, yeah, there was something about the trailer. It didn't work with his doing a voiceover. Normally, a good old voiceover is a bit of like, you know, and now, you know, the next series of Willow. It was him talking. It's like, no, stop that. Stop it. Stop. Just stop it. Stop it now. But yeah, uh, set apparently 20 years after 1980 original. I cannot remember anything about Willow. I haven't watched it since it first came out. Um, yeah, good luck with that. And the last announcement, Marvel Comics have re- revealed that the next two Star Wars High Republic comics coming to our galaxy will take place centuries before the Skywalker saga. These launch in October 22 as phase two of the ongoing High Republic initiative. And they're going to introduce a new character named Vildar Mac, and they will take place on Jeddah, obviously the holy moon that was introduced in Rogue One. So some absolutely fantastic announcements there. I did actually see one of our podcasters was there at uh, Anheim's, not strictly speaking true, because of course Chris Porteous was there also. And I believe that Chris Porteous has some footage that uh, he recorded, so let's cut over that now. Alright, it's Chris here. It's uh, Wednesday the 25th of May. It's our first morning here in Anaheim. Jason's gone off to gallivant about Galaxy's Edge when I'm just prepping some camera gear and going to head over to the collecting track stage and get in there a little early and see what's going on. So hopefully Jason checks in with some audio from Galaxy's Edge. So uh, here I am for the Vintage Rebellion at Galaxy's Edge. Um, I've just been on the Millennium Falcon ride and um, it was awesome. So for those of you who've been on Star Tours, it's very similar in setup to that. So you get in, there's a dude there who kind of a robotic kind of animation robot guy who tells you all about what you're going to go and do. And you get a bit of spiel on that and then you walk all through. And then 
it's another one of these rides where you get in and it's video that's played and you kind of fly around in the Falcon and do stuff. You can either be a, a pilot or a, an engineer or some other type and throughout the ride it, it will tell engineers press a button, pilots press a button or gonna press a button and you press the buttons. I don't know if it actually does anything to the ride or not. Um, I, I could have pressed it half the time to make any difference, but it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience and if you haven't done it, I would recommend you come out here and have a go. Resistance desperately needs your help in our fight against Kylo Ren and the First Order. Affirmative. Transport is ready. Nine 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 are personally seen and delivered. Thank you, Lieutenant. I've just been on a ride of the Resistance ride, which um, it's basically really big. Um, it's kind of like go karting, big go karts that kind of spin around automatically. You can spin through, and you you go whizzing around, and there's loads of video and lots of bangs and whistles and it was lots of fun so again another quality ride here um suggest you get yourself to galaxy's edge get yourself on rise of the resistance all right it's chris here i'm on the convention floor star wars celebration anaheim it's friday may 27th I'm going to go find Jason and uh, see how his first two days have been. Hi there, this is uh, Jason Smith, Mr. Power Toy for the Vintage Rebellion, and I'm here at Celebration, and this is day two Friday. So uh, I've already had one day at Celebration so far, and that was such a great day. So I was really fortunate to uh, win the opening panel, the Lucasfilm Showcase, on the Celebration stage. So I got here first thing yesterday morning, queued up for that for uh, several hours, got into the auditorium, and then it was just, it, I mean, I've been to quite a few celebration um, opening ceremonies, and this was the best one, yeah. It was just like the, the, the range of guests was, um, was just incredible. So you had uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau talking about their, their stuff, the, you know, the Mandalorian and all the other things they're working on. Ron Howard was there talking about Willow with uh, Warwick Davis and um, they had Endor and uh, those guys talking about the new Endor series. Obviously, they had uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen talking about Obi-Wan. And then the big reveal, he said, they said, oh, we're not going to show you a sneak trailer. We're inviting you all back to watch episodes one and two, five hours before everybody else in the evening. And at that point, the whole stadium kind of erupted um, in applause for that. So that was really good. All right, Jason. So how, how's the how's the swag situation being like? I'm looking at him right now. He's got medallions from head to toe. He's got every pin I've ever seen. What What's the swag experience been like so far? It's been quite hard work so far for me. No, normally, um, there's in the Hilton, you get large collections of people and there's a lot of swag trading going on there. But it all seems to be mostly patches this year. So uh, I'm, I'm trying really hard today to hand out my uh, celebration swag, which is um, it's a card back of Chewbacca with a little pin on it. So if you see see me walk around with one of those, I've got loads of those to hand out. Um, and yeah, so yeah, swag trading has been really good. I've been to a few collectors panels. Uh, obviously, the screening I was talking about yesterday. And, and the amazing thing at the end of the opening ceremony panel was uh, they had John Williams there for his 90th birthday. And then Harrison Ford came out to wish him happy birthday. So. That was amazing. Great giveaway. So we, we all got an Endor poster. We all got an Obi-Wan poster in the evening. And there was this amazing thing to do with Pringles they were handing out. 
which are currently selling on eBay for about five hundred dollars. Oh, people are listing them for five hundred dollars. I don't know if they're selling or not. But um, I'm on the trade floor for the first day, so um, I've just I've just been and bought a Lego exclusive for my mate Rob Marsh. Uh, so I hope he's very happy with that. And I've just been round and collected this big massive patch from all of the, the USA collectors clubs, which is, that was lots of fun playing on the games and that. Uh, and I've now got to go and look for a plush ebook Princess Nisa. So for all you readers at home who don't know what that is, it's a little furry teddy bear in a pink coat. All right, Jason, we got to do our best to find some Nisa stuff so we can impose it upon the collecting market. So we got to clean up all of it here today. So I hope you find something when I check in with you later. Yeah, well, uh, I, I know I know there's a lot more collecting stuff for Princess Nisa because I was sat in the panel uh, collecting track yesterday where a lot of it featured. So yes, I've got more stuff to look for now. Cheers, everyone. See you later. All right, it's Chris Porteous here for the Vintage Rebellion. I got Chris Jorgulius here with me. It's Friday. Yesterday, he did a panel on the collecting track about the rocket-firing Boba Fett. How did that panel go for you? How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling really good. You know, I was psyched going in. I felt the material was good. We had a weaving a good storyline. Packed the house, which was a good sign. Everybody was excited on it. We had myself, Brian Rackfell, and Jim Swearingen, who was uh, worked in Kenner Prelim Design at the time, and he built the Kitbash Boba Fett that every, all the hardcore collectors know about. So it was the three of us up there and um, basically told the story from start to finish where Boba Fett came from and all the way to the end, like how, how the figure was developed and you know why it was canceled. And we had a lot of good Q&A at the end. The audience was really into it. One of the people in the audience stood up and she's, her dad used to be a testing technician at Kenner and it turns out it was, it was the guy that was the first one to show the J-Slot Boba Fett back in the 90s that was shown in uh, Action Figure Digest. So that was, that was interesting. And I had, been to, I had been to his house, I told her, uh, 20 years ago, I had visited her dad and talked about the, his figures. So it was pretty, pretty interesting how that turned out. Nice. So it's not your first time presenting that panel, right? You got to test run it a couple times? We did do that panel. Um, Brian Rockfell, myself, and Daryl Johnson, we did it. It was at uh, the ICCC 2019. And Michael had asked, you know, can we do a panel on Rocket Fit? And when I started working on it, I saw how the material was put together. So I really we put a lot into it and because I knew that I was going to port that over to a celebration panel. I was just wondering about that because I was just curious how it evolved over time. I, maybe I don't study the SWCA enough, but I don't remember seeing the photos of the sculpt before. Was there any photos or content in there that was uh, not too widely distributed prior? Yes, a few. I think the sculpt photos, I don't know that if they were ever put on the SWCA. Um, and those are ones that had turned up after we had done a lot of you know, initial work on, on, on the Star Wars Collector's archive about Rocket Fit. But the sculpt actually, you know, it was in a private collection in, in France and it was in the Louvre for a while, a number of years ago with, uh, when they did a whole exhibit on sci-fi. Um, there was props and toys in there and that Boba Fett sculpting was there. So it's pretty famous from that standpoint. Awesome. Well, um, anybody who's listening, you'll be able to check out that panel on the Collecting Track YouTube page. It'll probably be there by the time you're listening to this, so go check it out. Thanks, dude. Chris Army represent. I'm here with Mark from the Ohio Star Wars Collectors Club. How's the show been for you guys so far? It's been uh, rather hectic, but it's been a lot of fun. Nice meeting a lot of people. Tell me a little bit about the, uh, the multi-patch sets you guys are doing this year. For the Ohio Club, we've done two... Darth Vader cases. One of them was a black Darth Vader case uh, filled up with uh, 16 characters that we have not released in previous conventions uh, from the Kenner line. 
We also released a gold Darth Vader case, which was a prototype Vader case, and we filled that up with very rare, unreleased figures and rare, rare bootlegs and that kind of stuff for a lot of fun on uh, some deep cuts on Kenner Collecting. Did you have a chance to check out room sales at the Marriott last night? I did not check out room sales last night. I was at uh, Disneyland with my son. We had a good time with that, but I heard that was rather exciting at the room sales too. Okay, so uh, what uh, what went down at Disneyland last night? They had a uh, Star Wars night last night. Um, it was just open. We had the whole park, and it was all Star Wars themed. And we got to ride the Rise of Resistance and walk around Galaxy's Edge, drink some blue milk, saw some fireworks, and you know we just had a really good time. All right, Mark from the Ohio Star Wars Collectors Club. Have a great show. Thank you so much. You too. I noticed by the club tables this year at Celebration, there is a booth for the collecting track, and none other than Duncan Jenkins happens to be manning it at the moment. So what is up with the collecting track booth on the show floor, Duncan? So the show floor is so busy, there's uh, so many great things to see and do down here, but we wanted to let people know about the third floor, which is where we have the collector's lounge. A lot of great things going on up there that we're sharing with Rancho Obi-Wan this time. We've got an excellent exhibit on Boba Fett to Bo-Katan, and then, all, of course, all of our collecting panels. So we're just sending people up there, and we're doing the scavenger hunt from here as well. Is it accurate that this is like the biggest Rancho Obi-Wan exhibit that's been at Celebration? Yes, definitely. We uh, got together with uh, Gus Lopez, myself, uh, Vic Wirtz, and Lisa Stevenson, and uh, Steve Sansweet, of course, from Rancher Obi-Wan, combined all of those together into this one big exhibit, and it's by far the biggest one we've done before. All right, so um, what panels are you involved in this year? Tell me a little bit about those. So I have two panels. They're both today. Uh, one of them also is with Gus, and we're doing... Um, the non-Kenner prototypes uh, with Will Grief and Chris Julius, and um, so anything, you know, Kenner gets all the love for prototypes, and so we're going to do some of the uh, vintage era non-Kenner stuff, and look at that. And then uh, after that, we have one that we are talking about uh, the exhibit that we have at the Rancho Obi-Wan. All right, well, I'm glad you're down here making sure people are aware of the collecting track up on the third floor. Have a great show, man. Thanks very much. So here I am uh, at the Vintage Rebellion for at the celebration, and I think I've just spotted a Princess Nisa, mate. Is that a Princess Nisa you got there? Yeah. Yeah, can I have a look? Sure thing. Yes, have a look at that. Let's have a look at the Princess Nisa. Obviously, uh, with the podcast, I've been looking for one of these for the last few episodes, so there it is. It looks fine. How much for that beauty? Sixty dollars. I know you've got to haggle at these things. Would you take fifty dollars? I would. No, no. How about fifty-five for the Nisa? Okay, I would do that. That's a done deal. Shake yep. hands there. Right, there we go. Job sorted. I have got myself a Princess Nisa. I'm here with Kevin from the Kentucky Star Wars Collectors Club. What have you guys got going on this year? Tell me a little bit about some of the patch sets. So we're working with uh, clubs from all different regions around the United States on a Rancor set. There's a ring that goes around the outside, eight different clubs, eight different characters. Kentucky has the Max Rebo piece. Each club, each booth has a different method of obtaining that piece. And then once you get all eight, you can cash them in at the Pennsylvania club table for the amazing, big, huge center Rancor versus Luke piece. Yeah, I think Jason Smith has already achieved this this patch. Now, it, it really must be seen to be believed. It's probably uh, like uh, 11 inches across or something, right? Yeah, I think I think it's like with the with the outer pieces, it's like it's like 12 inches. That's crazy. It seems like the patch game is escalating each year to the point of uh, it's already the entire back of a jacket. Where does it go next? It's it's lunacy. Like I, I did some sorting at the hotel room this morning, and I've got like 
a million patches that are all magnificent. And I have no idea what I'm going to do with them. Good stuff. So how have you found the show so far? Are you uh, meeting a lot of new people and spreading the word about the club, or is it a lot of familiar faces? Absolutely, yeah. We've met several people from Kentucky or who used to live in Kentucky and uh, interested in checking us out in the state, and that's the main reason we're here. All right, Kevin. Thanks for the information. Have a great show, man. You too. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Jason Smith, Mr. Palatoy for the Vintage Rebellion, and it's um, day three of celebration. And um, I just want to tell you what happened um, Day number two, that was the, the, the Nisa hunt on the trade floor. And um, yes, I did manage to find myself a uh, plush Ewok Princess Nisa. Uh, I had to haggle with the guy a little bit, but I, I do have a Nisa. And she has been to uh, at least two collecting track panels so far. And uh, then I spotted another one. There was like a little uh, army of Ewoks and there's another one on the floor. I'm just trying to convince Chris that he might want to buy that one. Yeah, we're going to go over there and, uh, and see if we can get a Nisa coin bank, and then we will impose that on one of the other guys, most likely. Sounds like a plan. So uh, should we go and get this coin back then? I can see it's still there. All right, let's see what happens. Right, we're looking at a Princess Nisa coin bank, I believe, from uh, the Wicket the Ewok line. It's up there on the shelf. Uh, can, can we have a look at that, please? Here we go. All right, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your table? Alyssa Loney. It's been going really well. It's been really busy. It's a constant stream of customers. We're at booth 2752, the Toy Cave. All right, so I think we're going to have to get this Nisa coin bank. It's still in the box. The box is on its last legs, but uh, that means the paint's real good on the item. So that, that looks pretty nice for $30. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I think, I think, I think we're going to take that. That looks really good. Yeah, perfect. There we go. All right, then Nisa is bagged up. <coughs> Still on the floor on Sunday, the last day of the convention, and I've just stopped by the rebelscum.com booth, and I'm here with Joshua. How's the, how's the show been going for you so far? Uh, it's pretty insane, actually. We're having a lot of fun. What's it been like representing Rebel Scum here? I see you got some, it looks like some new merchandise for the with the website branding on it. Uh, what's the reception been like? What's the average person like who comes by the Rebel Scum booth these days? A lot of the people that are coming by are freaking out that Rebel Scum is back because honestly it was down for a little while. There was a lot of stuff that wasn't being covered properly. Uh, I picked up the website June 26th of 2021. And ever since then, we've been working diligently on getting everything back up to par and getting it rocking and rolling again, including new merch. So a lot of people are, I mean, we've already sold out of a lot of our shirts. That's awesome. Well, I had to do a double take myself when I saw the logo on the shirt, so it's great to see you guys out here. I see you got a lot of uh, some of the more exciting modern stuff for sale, a little bit of statues, a little bit of modern Hasbro stuff. Uh, what's the story on the toy side of things? So the toy side of things is originally I owned and operated Order 66 toys, and you would think most of the toys are from Order 66, but most of the toys here today and that we've had all weekend are actually from the Rebel Scum com archive. We had a large warehouse full of pallets, full of stuff that we've either picked up over the last, you know, two decades or uh, items that have been open and photographed, stuff like that. So obviously some of the statues are the ones, some of the statues we have for sale here are the ones that you would have actually seen on the website when they came out. All right, well, that's awesome. The booth looks beautiful. It's great to see uh, Rebel Scum being represented on the celebration show floor. Have a great last day of the show. Thank you, my guy. Hi, everyone. This is Jason Smith for uh, the Vintage Rebellion on the, on the floor of celebration, and I'm here with Todd 
DiMartino at the Collector Archive Services booth looking at their new bubble preservation system. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yes, thank you, Jason. Um, what we have here is there's always been a concern once you grade carded figures that a, a, a lot of people, when they send them to a grading company, they'll protect them with bubble wrap, putting them inside star cases, etc. And then once they get graded, they're a little bit vulnerable and exposed when they get mailed back to the customer. In the past, over the last 23 years of, of, of the grading's been around for carded figures, there has been several um, examples of figures that kind of propel, you know, right out, right out through the top of the bubble. Let's say um, there's been a lot of uh, rare figures that unfortunately have been ruined over the years um, due to no protection within the grading case. So what we have here is we're doing a complete preservation system. So not only is the blister protected, it's protected on all sides, plus the stem, plus the face, but also the card as well is protected. So what we do is we have an entire six by nine protective system that goes over the carded figure. It uh, protects the, the blister from all around. If your carded figure is a little bit wavy, if it has a little lift, litho tear, or, or even if it has a loose um, uh, punch, it will hold it down, hold it in place, and it'll not only protect your card, but most importantly, it'll protect the entire um, blister that you have. So how many different blister types have you got? We, yeah, we're working on one for every different one. We already finished all the Star Wars characters, all the, the uh, Empire Strikes Back. So how many, how many different blisters was that, roughly? Well, some of the characters share the same blister. Yeah, of course. So, you know, so out of 90 figures, it'll probably end up being about 60-something different blister protections for all of the Star Wars characters. Nice. Yep. This is the way the blister has been done with us and our competitor. We just kind of just protect, you know, put some acrylic on it, just protect the outside circumference. But as you notice, the face is not protected or the uh, stem is not protected. And, you know, not to be uh, obvious here, but it's, it's, it's a little bit ugly. You know, you have a, a lot of acrylic, extra acrylic that maybe people don't want to look at. Here it is done. Here is a completed uh, example of it. So it is invisible to the naked eye. You can't see it. It doesn't obstruct any of the view. Most people don't even know it's on there from a foot away. So um, obviously one of the things that can happen when they put the, the bubble blisters on, they can be at a slight angle or they can be offset. How do you account for that with the, the blisters that you're producing? So each one of these blisters that we produce, we actually have it, it's, it's about an extra uh, quarter inch around the size. So if it comes from a factory where the blister is a little bit to the left or a little bit low as we all seen them, um, or even at an angle sometimes, we can get the, the blister protection slided over and then we have a laser cutting machine that we mark all the areas and we cut it out to uh, match that carded figure. So some of them are actually custom if you do have a little bit off-center uh, blister. Sounds good to me. Thank you very much for um, talking to us today. Uh, this is uh, Jason Smith for the Vintage Rebellion at the Collector Archive Services, booth number 2348. <coughs> Hey, it's Chris again. I'm on the show floor. It's Sunday the 29th, the last day of the convention. It's just opening up, and I'm at the lovely Toy Chamber booth with Todd Chamberlain. You know him, you love him. He's got all the oddball stuff going on here, and I'm sure I'm going to buy something right after we have a little chat. So how's the show been for you so far, Todd? It's been really good. It's been, uh, I was better prepared uh, for a change in terms of having things pre-priced and bagged and prepped and ready to go. I actually brought less than I usually would because normally it gets a, it's, I get overwhelmed with having uh, too much stuff in here but you know people are energetic I mean they're excited to be going to shows again and uh, 
I, I kind of, you know, specialize in a variety of items that not a lot of their dealers bother to carry. And so I think uh, it's fun, you know. I like to try to sell a lot of lower dollar vintage items that, you know, aren't going to break the bank, you know, buy something that from 83 that's only five bucks. Uh, yeah. You got, you got a pretty wide selection of stuff and usually multiples and a lot of paper stuff, a lot of just oddball vintage stuff. Have you noticed any trends this year? Like what's popular this year? I don't know that I've noticed anything that is a, a particular different trend this year. It's more just the, I think, a continued increased interest in, again, non, you know, not interest in Kenner items is as strong as ever. But I, I, to me, there's a combination of longtime collectors who've really filled out a lot of their their toy stuff and either can't find or can't don't want to pay the prices that things are going for and so they're looking for some variety or newer collectors who I mean they're they don't want to spend $200 for you know an individual uh, action figure and so you know to be able to find something that has cool graphics and, and has some nostalgic appeal uh, that I've just seen a lot more. I've just seen a continued interest in that, and, the, and that things that I took to celebrations even 10 years ago, and I might not have sold more than a handful, and I can bring I can here and sell sell dozens. Uh, and so I'm one of those collectors who, about 15 years ago, again I'd collected. I, there were still Kenner pieces I wanted, but I either just couldn't find them or couldn't afford them, and I'd like. Some people go in the direction of getting more granular. I mean, there's like there's the trend. I mean, definitely you see the trend of some collectors really, really like action figure production variations and country of origin, you know, weapon, you know, how do the weapons match up? And, and so, like, that's really fascinating for a subset of collectors and that that's the direction that they go in terms of being able to continue to find things. And people, you know, active collectors like to collect and be able to find new things rather than people don't want to wait you know, two years between purchases because they can't find anything. Uh, the direction that I went, I said about 15 years ago, was okay. I'm gonna. I've always liked this other stuff, but it, again, it was always about finance. I always would have collected school supplies and bedding, and I mean, it always it had a limited amount of them. But I just never had enough money to buy both. That even though the prices were better back then, it's still between you know being in grad school and you know early in your career you just don't have the money to uh to buy everything and so uh i think a lot of other collectors are are kind of hitting some of those same like those are the kinds of conversations i have with with people right well i completely agree like i haven't bought a ton of uh vintage production stuff at this show it, i i think it's just sort of like like i'm just getting into sort of a different phase with my personal collection but i see stuff here like for example todd's got like a crew production sticker from the first movie that's a, it's the triangle logo that says the Star Wars for $50. Presumably that's given out to crew on the first movie. That's an awesome thing for $50. That excites me more than a lot of the carded figures I am still looking for, right? So uh, I think uh, you're, do, you're doing something really right here. I, I, I personally notice you setting some trends when, when you sort of look what you have available to bring to a show and, and pick a few random things that you might not have taken out of the closet for a while. They, I, I noticed a tiny spike in popularity, so that's pretty cool. So um, after the show, where can, where can everybody find your stuff? A lot of the stuff I take to shows, I, I only take to shows now. And, and part of that is, fr from a selling perspective, labor. <laughs> and my time is, is a big part of that. And so, you know, I sell a lot of 5 and $10 items. And the amount of time it takes to pack and ship individual items or even to negotiate, even if it's for a bigger purchase, uh, I've tried to work a lot on uh, 
packaging things up nicely for protection and, and labeling and things like that. So, the, I mean, there are certain things that I only uh, will sell at shows. But I'm going to start doing more shows of some kind in the future. But, you know, people can contact me through email or through Facebook. And uh, I've got a website, toychamber.com. Uh, I don't keep that super current on what I have, but if you contact me and you have, if people have a specific want list, uh, I will look through things I have. Even things that are show stock, I will look through it. I don't go and photograph, you know, I, I don't have time to photograph $105 items. Uh, and so, and, and frankly, I just, again, it, it gets it getting harder and harder for me to restock. And so I, I'm just like, okay, this is, this is stuff I'm gonna save for shows because I may not have enough for the next show if I don't spread it out. All right, well, so basically, you guys are mostly out of luck, and you should check out Todd's booth at awesome shows like this, where it is. It's hard to believe what you're looking at around here. So thanks very much for your time, Todd, and uh, I hope you have a great last day of the show. Great, thanks. It was good talking to you. And yeah, I did just buy one of those Triangle logo stickers. All right, we're just outside the Collector's Lounge. Jason's here waiting for his last ice cream patch. Who's going to deliver that last ice cream patch, Jason? Well, uh, apparently, uh, Mac Dunbar Bickmore is on his way here. So I'm just waiting in anticipation to complete um, the probably the, the, the most uh, sought-after swag collectible set at uh, Celebration this year. So, um, yeah, got the rest of it, got my top. So I'm just waiting for my last patch now. So Yeah, hopefully he shows up. All right, so I'm walking around the show floor and I've just bumped into Joe Iglesias. Joe had a panel on the collecting track yesterday all about, all about oddball vintage items. So I had a great time at that panel. Uh, how, do you, how do you think it went, Joe? I think it went great. Um, everyone was really enjoying themselves. We made it interactive with a uh, licensed or not uh, section towards the end. I think that really went over great. It just seemed that everyone in the audience was enjoying themselves and we had a blast doing it. I've done panels with Yehuda before. This is my first time doing a panel with Darren, and he rocked. Um, but it was just—it was just a good time, and I think we got a lot of information as well as a lot of good laughs out of people in the in the audience. I can attest to that. This will be on YouTube on the Collecting Track uh, YouTube page. Um, Yehuda's job as a presenter is just not to be believed until you see it. Like it, it, he was incredibly engaging. It was hilarious, and you guys really had the crowd going with some of the funniest unlicensed items ever. Um, tell me, so what's the show experience been like for you so far compared to other other celebrations? How are you feeling about the show? Um, honestly, because of all the time between conventions and some of the uh, hobby drama that's going on right now, I really think that Celebration being right now brought a lot of vintage collectors together in a way that they haven't been in a while. Everyone's just been super happy. It's been an amazingly positive experience. It's very much renewed my feeling of unity amongst a lot of the vintage collectors. That's great to hear. Uh, you know, we do, we do see a lot of weird stuff going on on Facebook these days, and it's nice to sort of get down here and realize that uh, a lot of that is nonsense once we all get together. It's the most welcoming group of people that I've ever met. Some people, it's their first celebration, like Jim Jones, and he is welcomed right into the fold by everybody. There's no elitism, there's no inner circle, there's none of that crap that people talk about. It's just a bunch of people that either collect weird toys, collect licensed toys, collect, you know, just collecting toys that all enjoy the same thing and have a blast together. All right, Joe. Well, it was very nice seeing you. I absolutely loved the panel. Uh, have, a, have a great last day of the show. Thank you very much. It was great seeing you and everyone uh, listening. Buy more Star Wars toys. Chris here. I'm back at the hotel. It's officially the morning of the 30th. 
Jason and I had a delightful dinner in the children's section of Bubba Gump's, so we didn't have to wait for an hour to get a table. I wanted to record a little wrap-up with him, but the guy's fast asleep and I can't blame him. I'm flying back to Toronto in a few hours. Just wanted to take a second and say what a great time I had. Spent a couple days rooming with Jason. Spent a couple days rooming with my friend Mike Freeman, who also came from Toronto. Big thanks to everyone from the collecting track team, especially Mark Ruciano, who did the lion's share of the work when it came to recording all of the panels this year. Do check those out. The channel is simply called Collecting Track on YouTube. I wish we'd recorded more. I know you're all left wondering the important things like, did Jason finish his Georgia Alliance Wilro Hood's ice cream patch set? You'll just have to wait a few seconds and hear that from him directly when the guys record the next show. Chris Porteous, last Vintage Rebellion survivor of Star Wars Celebration Anaheim 2022, signing off. Yeah, so Chris obviously posed the question to me whether I actually completed the ice cream patch there. I was um, missing the last patch, which was the R2, and it was like the the three-pack guys, Jesse and Mac, who were uh, giving that out. And eventually I hooked up with them at the swap meet just before I went off to the hot balls meet. So I I saw them at the swap meet, got what I thought was my final patch, um, then discovered that I needed uh, an archive party patch which I've got I've, since, since I got back to Celebration and uh, from back from Celebration. And then, of course, I'm, I'm now missing two other patches. But I did manage to complete my patch. The other the other thing I never talked about um, when we were recording stuff, I did some stuff at D- Disney Plus of, uh, at uh, the Disney Park about all the new rides and stuff. But on uh, the day before Celebration, me and Chris went to the Rebel Force Radio rooftop uh, bash which um which was really good so we we got there kind of we went to dinner first so we kind of got there kind of fairly late on and it was basically they it was on top of the on this rooftop bar and they were recording an episode of the podcast they had lots of kind of guests they had danny logan there little boba fett sam sweet was there i mean there were lots of lots of big names all recording their stuff they do a great thing with these uh with these puppets there's a puppet lando and then there was a there was a another puppet, and they just do this kind of comedy kind of act with the puppets, which was absolutely hilarious. And I'm so glad I went for that. They had they had these really good kind of themed cocktails. So uh, one one pair of the cocktails they looked it was like in a kind of a kind of round a very kind of flat rounded glass, and they had kind of like slices of green lime in it. So it looked it looked like Baby Yoda. These drinks did. They were really good. So we, we ended up kind of trying one of each one of the drinks. Obviously, I saw Jimmy Mack and um, thanked him for his great book on uh, Canadian Star Wars collectibles. Um, that's a kind of running joke. There's there's two Jimmy Macks, and um, I'd contacted the wrong one and said that I was a great fan of. Um, thanking him for coming on the podcast and the other guy went um I, I don't know who you're talking about i wrote the book on canadian collectibles so anyway i've spoken to both jimmy max now obviously um yes i'll stand sound sweet there for the first time i got a great selfie with danny logan yeah he was there with his with his um partner and kids and yeah got a very nice selfie with them as he, as he was going out well, very nice chat these days so um very good bash. Really enjoyed going to that. The, the other one that I, the other bash that I had booked was two days later on the Saturday. It was called uh, Hop Wars, and it was a whole kind of subculture of 
beer collecting that goes on and it was the meetup for that where you would take along any Star Wars themed beer that you had and you would swap it with other other collectors. I, again, I got there quite late. I decided that I could get there on foot, uh, which turned out to be a very bad idea because it took over an hour for me to walk there with this rucksack of uh, beer that I bought over from the UK. And as it was, the, the American collectors were really keen to get their hands on this, this beer. What happened in the UK... Um, there was a guy who um, made the original kind of mold for the helmets for the film back in the day. And he started re kind of making the helmets, you know, for, for cosplay and whatever. And he got a cease and desist from either Lucasfilm or Disney a number of years ago. He went to court in the UK. He won the case. So he has the right to stick the Stormtrooper helmet image on anything he wants in the UK. As long as it's not sold outside the UK, you can just whack it on and you can sell it. So... Of course, he got a microbrewing company to uh, do Stormtrooper Galactic Ale. And all the Americans are logging on the website going, right, how, we, we need this for our collection because we're complete as collectors of the, of the beer range. And they can't get it shipped outside the UK. So I came over with what I thought was a case of this beer, so 12 of these cans. And I opened up, when I got to the meet and opened it up, I thought it was a bit light. It had six cans of beer in it, and there were like 100 beer mats. So they kind of half filled it with beer mats. So I ended up giving beer mats to everyone. They were very thankful for the beer mats and um and then obviously there was a there was a panel in the collecting track about that so um that was another great night out the other the other nights out that i had there was like the main the main kind of hotel for all of uh, the collecting kind of track people are and vintage collectors is the hilton and the other one the marriott is the one where all the the cosplaying 501 first type people kind of stay so i was quite the other, the other days that i didn't have events on i was kind of like in the hilton bar kind of hanging around doing stuff there so a couple of things that i missed when we talking about when we recorded those interviews yeah sounds like you had an absolute swell time there jason now one of the things that we all enjoy doing when we go to celebration of course is the collecting tracks and there were lots and lots of collecting track panels on there. And we're not going to go through them all, but um, instead we're just going to focus on one or two that perhaps I've, we I've wish got a we had. Before we start on that, um, so um, obviously I'm, I'm well renowned for going to um, all of the collecting track panels. I've let the team down this year, and there was two that I didn't go to. But can you guess which two panels I did not attend? Anyone guess which panels I did not attend? Now you, you know for a fact I, I that the, I the, the opening panel, and I was also at the screening of Ben Kenobi episodes one and two, which they did five hours earlier for everyone who was at the opening panel later in the day. So, which panels did I miss? Women in computing. No, because that was not on the first day of the con. They're all in order, so it's, there's, not, there's it's a, not a real, it's not a real one, Jason. Not no women worry. in computing. He so. loves computing women. <laughs> right, they're he all in order. Them. So which panels did I miss? Oh, I think Jason, you probably skipped because you know it all anyway. Making an action figure. No, that was the first panel of the second day. So I would say probably start to as a thirty-five. Yes, that was the first panel. I was actually in the opening. Uh, I was in the opening panel in the main celebration stage where that one took place. Lego. You couldn't get in. Uh, no, the, the last kids. panel, the last panel of the day on the Thursday, which you're going to have to tell us, Jason. It was, the, it was the it was the Gus, Gus and Co's props and costumes panel, which also turned out to be the Chase Star Tot. 
Which was Maz. So if you haven't got a Maz, that's the, that's the chase top. Well, looking through the panels, I mean, there's so many good ones there, but the two that I really would have went hell for that to attend was the history of Kenan's Rock of Fire and Boba Fett. Great, great panels. Uh, great guys on that one. And we know a lot about the Rock of Fire and Fett, but I believe that there was some kind of new information presented at that panel. I um, haven't watched that one on YouTube yet, but I am aware that it has been very, very recently released, so I'm going to check that one out. And also, for me, I would have said the Heroes Hudson Hoojims, Star Wars Comics and Marvel. I would love to have been at that panel to learn about collecting Star Wars Comics and Marvel. Two waivers that are right up my street. Andy Preston? Yeah, thanks, Rich. I think, again, had I been there, I would love to have gone to uh, the one that Jason missed, actually, the Star Wars original props and costumes. That's uh, Gus and the prop store boys. And uh, that's always interesting to listen to. There's always um, fantastic stuff on display. And um, it's lovely to see this stuff. It's lovely to hear about it, where it came from, how they've acquired it, and uh, to get to actually see some of this up close and in person. So that one, definitely. The other one I would have loved to go to was one where Steve Sanswick was presenting 30 years on. I can't believe it's 30 years from concept to screen to collectible. The book that launched a thousand collections. I dare say a lot more than a thousand. Um, early 90s, Sanswick released this book. Lovely, lovely book. I mean, I'm sure we've all uh, at least seen it, if not got a copy, uh, full of um, vintage collectibles from the action figures through to all sorts. Um, it's inspired an awful lot of collections. Uh, I, I don't think it was my introduction to collecting, but I certainly got one very early on. So it would have been lovely to hear that retrospective. I think all of these panels are going to be up on YouTube, aren't they? Because uh, our very own Chris Porteous was recording and yeah, is, are, uh, is editing. And uh, yeah, so definitely going to go and catch up with those two. Pete, you just chimed in there. What, uh, which two would you have gone to see had you been in Anaheim? Yeah, I, I always, whenever I go, I always say, I'm going to do all these panels and then never go because you're running around trying to get to other panels. But uh, um, I mean, I've started watching them on YouTube because there's a few people we know are in them, Sean Moynihan's and a couple. I watched the Women in Star Wars collecting. I wanted to see what, what was going on there. It was quite interesting. Um, and a big a big panel, actually. There was Robin Bocker, Anne Newman, Vicky Bitter, Lauren Kupka, Brooke Moorhead, Amy Soberg and Alyssa Loney. And he had a good age range as well. So you had a couple of youngsters on there as well and some of the older, uh, more established collectors. And it was interesting just to hear a couple of, you know, the, you know, because we all assume, let's face it, most collectors we see are blokes. We've had a few female collectors on here, but it is mostly blokes. And it was just interesting to hear their perspectives on things. And, you know, everyone seemed to agree that, that kids just aren't playing with toys and it's actually quite an important part of, you know, kids' development that toys should play with. So, you know, I think it is important that we get we get the, the youth back into enjoying, you know, these things without everything having to be on a screen all the time. Um, and it's also interesting to hear how the youngsters, uh, there was, I think there was a girl there, she must have been about, let's just say she was about 16, 17. And she had got into Star Wars for The Force Awakens. And, you know, her, her and her dad were doing some brilliant cosplaying together. And then she started, you know, starting to collect stuff and she's got a nice little pool collection going on. Um, you know, it, it was just great to see someone who's, you know, who's come into it, not through sort of vintage Star Wars stuff or stuff back in the day, but, you know, the latest, you know, the legacy uh, side of it. And, um, yeah, it was just great to see that, that enthusiasm 
of how the youngsters are getting into, you know, uh, keeping the hobby going. Because, you know, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's a bit harder these days for that sort of thing to happen because, you know, we, we've come from a generation of of you know, things we can hold in our hands to, to things we hold in our hands which are no longer toys. Um, collectible so it was quite fun to see and it just just to get a different perspective of star wars collecting and then the other panel i, I watched through because you know me and my tat so this was star wars oddities and this was a panel held by yehuda kleinman Yo- joseph iglesias and darren thomas and i was a little bit disappointed because most of it has featured at some stage on our podcast um and I'm, I'm sure the one I'm going to very briefly mention has probably had it, but I've probably forgotten about it. And this was these archive miniatures. Uh, Neville Stock made them, apparently, really, really early back in the day. So when I claimed that um, we had those uh, <laughs> those really early uh, figurines on earrings, this might have been the first actual um, Star Wars figures released. They came out actually in 1977, only a few months after Star Wars was released. They were obviously you know, bootleg kind of figures. Um, but I couldn't believe the wonderful artistic nature of them. Uh, I don't know if you guys have, have seen this before. I, I don't think we've ever covered them, but they were absolutely amazing. I couldn't believe how wonderful they were. And the, the sculptings were brilliant. But yeah, a lot of stuff has either featured in Gimcrack over the years or as we have talked about. Um, some wonderful, wonderful things, you know, like UP figures, all that sort of stuff, all, all fantastic tat. But um, yeah. Um, that was anything I had never seen before, so I was quite surprised with that. I mean, on, on the one thing about Star Wars Oddities, Yehuda is such an engaging uh, panel presenter. So to hear him speak about anything, it's it's really entertaining. It was a very entertaining panel. Yeah. So. Had you seen those those archive miniature things before? I don't think so. No. The first thing they covered, I I, I couldn't believe it. I was thinking, how has that not come up? Um, they are little die-cast things, so I'm sure Spoons has got more anyway. I mean, nothing to me. Really? I, I just wanted to say, Pete, are you saying that we're often imitated but never bettered? Yes. But, yeah, go watch that Go watch that panel. The first thing they cover is archive miniatures. Absolutely amazing. I, I, I was really intrigued by them. But the rest of the stuff, tat. <laughs> Wonderful tat. Andy, which panels would you have gone to if you could have gone? Is this me, Andy Spoons? Yeah, because Andy Press has already been. That's that's a good point. Uh, yeah, if I'd gone, I've not seen any of these. If I'd have gone, I think I would have been very interested in the non-Kenner prototypes because I don't think I'm aware of, of any non-Kenner prototypes. So that would be just you know, no, you know, new knowledge, very interesting. I don't know if you... Do you know... Um, can you think of anything off the top of your head? What that would have been discussed there? Just, um, is we've got things like the Trilogo sausage wrap, haven't we? But that's not really a prototype. It's um, it's something that was binned, but so kind of never made it to uh, to be cut up and used as card backs. I can't really think of of many I'm other things. I'm just trying to remember what. Obviously, the problem for me is that having been to almost all the panels, it's very difficult to kind of pick details out of some of them. So I'm just trying to remember what prototypes they're discussing. There would have been Canadian stuff there, I would have thought. And, um... Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be watching that when it's on uh, on YouTube. Maybe, maybe I should watch again, since I seem to... <laughs> I think you need to go and refresh. Uh... There's a lot of Lily Liddy prototype stuff out there, isn't there? Was that sort oh, of thing covered? The... I think, but there's, again, there's, I mean, I assume maybe 
you're right there, Andy, but that's kind of the, like the un, it's the overstock heads and limbs and things. You see a lot of them, don't you? Are they, are they technically prototypes or, or are they just out, yeah, overstock? But yeah, I, I'd be very interested to see what, what's on there. So we'll be watching that one. And the other one, um, just because it sounds interesting, would be Star Wars collecting in all the continents. I assume that'd be a run through of, uh, of nice Star Wars items from, uh, that was a very large panel. I think there were about seven or eight people on that panel, and it was basically they covered something for every continent. They did manage to get something from Antarctica as well, and I think it was um, it was some kind of drink that they'd um, one of them had picked up on a, one of the expedition trips on the boats when they were going round round Antarctica, and it was like Star Wars branded um, drink of some description. So. Okay, <laughs> so not not what I was imagining at all. Maybe I won't watch that one. No, it was very good. What about yourself, Jason? Which two stood out for you? Well, I mean, well, I mean, if I could go and see any two, I'd, I'd, I'd go and go back and see the ones I missed. But um, I'm going to focus on ones on the last day because, as I say, once you go to, if you go to all the panels, they, they, they tend to blur into each other a bit. But um, the day after the Hop Wars event, um, the beer thing, they did a panel on it called "Party Like a Star Wars Collector." which uh, had a lot of the guys who were at the the Hot Wars event were there presenting. Amy was there. She was very happy because she got the, the, the box for my beer and one of the beers and stuff and mentioned that I bought this beer over. But basically it was covering all the different collectibles you get to do with um, Star Wars. It was like beer mats and beer pumps and, you know, all the different kinds of beers you get. And it was very intense. Very entertaining panel. So and they all they all drank beer during the panel as well, which was uh, quite fun. Um, and the other one, which was the last panel of the day, was Jesse and Mac, um, the people with the R the, the elusive uh, R two D two ice cream patch, uh, doing three pack presentation. Um, so that was really good. Um, where I was sat, they had like um, um, a three pack on on the desk, and because Mac is quite quite short. I couldn't actually see Mac. All I could see was the three pack in front of him. So uh, that was that was quite funny from where I was sitting. But yeah, it was a very entertaining uh, panel and talking through all the different three packs you can get. So yeah, it was very good. Yeah, so absolutely fantastic set of um, collecting truck panels here. Really, really good. And check them all out on YouTube. Many thanks to all those who take the time to put them together for us. Okay then, so let's get some more interviews with people who are actually there from Fanta Tracks. We have Matt Booker and Mark Newbold. Joining me now on the Vintage Rebellion podcast, I've got Mr. Matt Booker. Uh, Matt, a lot of you guys will know um, from Fantatrax, um, the uh, Star Wars news site. Matt does a lot of um, um, journalism for there, um, a lot of podcasting. Uh, Matt's a massive uh, Boba Fett fan and collector. Um, and he's also a shop owner. Uh, if ever yep. you're in Corsham down in Wiltshire, um, do pop along Corsham Toy Shop and Automatic Comics. Um, you can see uh, a lot of nice Star Wars tech in the background there, Matt. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, you yes. did years ago, didn't you, mate? I certainly did. Yep, yep. Sci-fi, toys, memorabilia, collectibles, general toys, comics, match you guys. So, uh, yeah, um, in Corsham in Wiltshire, get on down there. 28 years, still playing with toys. Fantastic job! I quite enjoy it still. Yeah, it expanded a year or two ago. So uh, yeah, moved to got... five doors up. 
going from strength to strength. Fantastic. Yep. So, Matt, this, this month on Vintage Rebellion, we're talking celebration. We're looking at celebration past and looking forward to uh, celebration future in London. Um, you've obviously been out to the last one in Anaheim. Um, yep. Tell me about your, your celebration experience. It was my ninth celebration. So London will be my tenth next year. Fantastic. There's not many can say that. No, no, it's a bit of a long haul, but thoroughly enjoyed it. Really good to get back into it after all the nonsense in the last few years. Finally get to do Celebration Anaheim again. Wonderful venue, wonderful people. Blooming long way to go. Pounds of dollars rubbish. Went there to see friends. That was my main thing. I've, I've been doing so many. I've got, you know, I do so many other American events with Fanta Tracks and all the nonsense I've done online previously. So I've got a lot of friends over in America. One of my mates of like probably nearly 20 years flew in from Hawaii. And great to see him. Had friends in from Australia. Just people all over the world going back, talking Star Wars, bumping into the same people day in, day out, and just hanging out and having fun. Brilliant, some- isn't it? One of the highlights yeah. of celebration for me, meeting people that you you know online but haven't met face-to-face or all friends yeah, that you've that. very often or yeah. people from overseas. yeah. It's brilliant. And uh, every, everywhere you turn, every time you go around the corner, you bump into somebody. And <laughs> it's uh, I, to get around the I, show floor. <laughs> day one, got onto the show floor, came out the doors to go up to the podcasting room, which Mark Newbold was hosting. Yeah. I come out the doors, and I hear, hey, Matt, how you doing? And I turn around, it's Daniel Logan. I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> <over there." laughs> brilliant. Comes over, has a bit of a chat, take a selfie, and on he goes. He was signing all weekend there and loving it. Excellent. So it's just good bumping into friends, people you've known for a long time, people you've only known online. Yeah, that's what the event's about for me. You know, I don't go there now to buy lots of merch. I don't go there to do all the panels or I don't I don't do signings anymore. I kind of got done with that. I met everybody I wanted to. Yeah. I, but not cheap these days as well, is it? Was it $300 no, for um, Ewan? It's a time equals money thing. You know, Ewan's first ever public signing, time equals money, how many can you get through, does he look up at you, no, it's a conveyor belt, oh, I don't like that, well, if you want to have a private meet and greet with Ewan, he'll charge more, because he's a high-end person, and he can charge that, and if you don't want to pay for it, don't. The last person I paid big money for was Celebration London 1 with Mark Hamill, and I paid like £100 more or off there. £85, I remember that. £85 quid and yeah. 10 really crap. And a free, and a free photo. Yeah. But after that, I was like, Those were the days. yeah, but it's inflation. And after that, I was like, you know what? I don't really need any autographs anymore. I've added a few over the years, but I only stuck to original trilogy guests. So I only need to see Frank Oz and James Earl Jones in person. And I'm done with the OT. Yeah. Of the, I've interviewed Harrison Ford and all the rest of it. So I've kind of hit everybody I need to on that. The prequels, it was great to see and in person. I saw him three times at the show. Cool. So that was fine by me. Don't want it's autograph. Don't care. It just you know, it does. I'm not chasing those things anymore. I'm in it for the experiences now, rather than stuff. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. So yeah, in terms of the experiences, I mean, I've, I've never been out to uh, California, Anaheim. Um, what's the uh, what's the venue like? You said it was a very good venue. Um, venue good, nicely laid out, quite concise, quite concise and condensed in the fact that the all the extra little rooms for podcasts and exhibits and all that lot. Most of them are in the same building, but stacked up in the front. Yeah. Up escalators and you're not walking. I mean, my feet were knackered. I spent <laughs> the last few years walking around in a little shop and that's it. And I'm a big lad. So after five days of walking around that show, because I did the setup day as well, my feet were done in. So yeah. really sensible, comfortable shoes. 
don't know, it doesn't matter if they look cool, sensible, comfortable shoes. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Now, that, those escalators look good. I uh, I saw some good footage of those in the, the running of the hoods. The, yes. The hoods yeah. with their ice cream makers going up down the escalators. That yeah, was, I like that hilarious. Well, there's running of the hoods and there's also Pink Shorts guy joining them now. Yes. So guy's doing that as well. Yeah, like, so two, two, or two or three of them as well. Uh, yes. Ken, Ken Nightingall, the boom operator. Yeah. That was his name. Yeah, yeah. Awesome stuff. Just fun. <laughs> Utter nonsense. Really good fun. Everybody who gets it gets me like, what's that all about? And you're like, oh, it's running in the hoods. Oh, what's that? And you explain to them, like, oh, okay, that's cool. And it's, it's just a fun, silly bit of nonsense. It but, is. It's one of those celebration traditions now, isn't it? Wouldn't be the yes. same without it. Yeah, Excellent. I've been in panels years gone by when they've run through and you're like, hang on, what's that about? I even saw a running in the hoods at Rancho Over one year and it just made us all smile in England. It was only about five doing it, but it's like, nah, that's cool. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so um, the general area around the convention centre, plenty of restaurants, hotels. Did you have to go very far? Good restaurants. The best thing about Anaheim, and I didn't use them this time, actually, because I didn't have time. But the best thing about Anaheim is they have food trucks outside. Oh, right. They're in the big promenade outside the convention centre, leading down to some of the, uh, with the Hilton Hotel on the left. Along that bit, they put 10 or 15 food trucks. Oh, that makes life convenient. You go out and have really good quality fresh food. They only pick allegedly the best vendors there. And it's not all just tacos. There's all, there's none of them seem to compete with each other. There's one doing donuts, there's one doing ice cream, there's one doing tacos, there's one doing paella, different foods, whatever it was out there. And it's like if you've got time to go and have a have a munch, go for it. And the, I did it last time I was out there and had a couple of meals out there and was like, Yeah, you're paying a bit extra for it because they must have to pay a fortune to be there, but it's a nice little extra touch. You don't yeah. get that other ones no the uh, celebration london the, the the big huge queues for very expensive food inside and not a lot outside and uh, having to sort of grab and grab and eat on the run and <laughs> get, nah. get your food when and where you can it <laughs> for celebration london slightly to the west under one of the big hotels there's a tesco's express get your ass in there in the morning get yourself a meal deal can't yeah. beat and if all else fails a pint at the fox but two <laughs> two and a bag of peanut <laughs> brilliant so your celebration highlights, Matt, you've already mentioned seeing you and three times. That's pretty good going. So you, you must have got into some of the panels then. I got into the Attack of the Clones panel. And Thank that God. was fantastic. And him and Hayden were a secret non-announced addings to that. So that was a nice bonus. And Mark and I and a couple of other Panthers went and watched that together. And it was just like, you know what? It's not really the biggest panel, but it's 20th anniversary of clones. We'll go to that. You know, you had lots of good stories from Anthony Daniels, and I think is, is it, was that one streamed. I don't even know which ones are streamed or not. But I it, think was, it was. I did, didn't didn't see much of the streaming this time. Intended um, to catch up on that over. From what I'm aware, they stream many of the big panels, which was a weird one. Yeah. So I don't know I what was on there, but I yeah. know they've already always interrupted the panels, haven't they, when they show the uh, the, the um, secret footage. For yeah, you guys yeah. only, but uh, no, as, as you say, some of them didn't get streamed at all, did they? Which was a shame. No. If you want to see the secret footage, go to Twitter, go to other places like that. <laughs> it's always somebody who records it. Isn't I, people will record it. I mean, I was in the um, streaming hall for the first main panel. I didn't get into the main hall because I was off doing something else. And I was like, oh, I better go to the panel. Oh, I can't even get in. Right. I'll just go to the sub hall and watch it streaming. So I was gutted I missed seeing John Williams play live for the second time I missed it, which was annoying. But you've got to prioritise your time. You've got to try and cram as much in. There is always too much celebration to do absolutely you can, can never do it all no matter how hard you try can you nope. no unless you can clone yourself and have five you going around and memories are all collected into one you can't do it <laughs> yeah did, did you make the end panel 
Hey? Did you make the end panel? No. Closing ceremonies doesn't interest me anymore. Yeah, fair enough. I just check online and go, oh, it's here, the next one. Great, that's good to know. I had good tips that it was going to be London anyway from a good few people in the know. So I I don't worry where the next one is. I just yeah. know that it'll be a next you'll, one. You'll be there regardless. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I want to go and do a Japan one. I want to do Japan. So I, want to, I want to visit Japan. Yeah. There's only you can do. So it's, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see one there. Mm-hmm. Germany, I really enjoyed. So there's plenty of good ones to go to. London's going to be fantastic. People yes. are already in the shop. Oh, can I get tickets? It's like, there's going to be a problem. I'm like, Excel's a big venue. And they've never in a celebration in London used it to capacity. Yeah, I've seen seen plenty of people panicking online about getting tickets, but so there'll, there'll, be, there'll be plenty to go around as long as you don't leave it too long, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think there'll be plenty to go around, and if they find that they can sell more space in the event and have more people in, they will probably just book a bit more space. They'll probably book a venue for it and then say at the last minute or update the convention centre, right, we need this much space, or we can accept this much space. In fact, I recall that from 2016. I think a, another large batch of tickets went on sale after they yeah. said they were sold out. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah, anybody out there who doesn't get a ticket first time, don't panic. <laughs> no, I mean, Anaheim's a different one that I think, I don't think Anaheim sold out because of the whole who are in the world at the moment. But it yeah. was it was a good capacity. It was nice to see so many people out enjoying it. Plenty of amazing cosplayers. Some really cool ones that like, well, I've had three years off. I'm going to do a really cool cosplay. So there were some really fantastic ones to see. It was just nice. It was nice to see some of the classics back. It was just good to see people. Excellent. What about some of the exhibits? Did you get into the Mando one? I did get to the Mando experience, and that is, out of the nine celebrations I have done, the best exhibit ever done. Fantastic. The photos look brilliant. They've got so much there. Yeah, I've still got to upload my gallery of photos from that. I've not had a chance. It takes a while to upload photos from your iPhone to your Facebook and stuff. But yes, seeing them bring so much stuff to that show. And I spoke to somebody in the know there and they're like, yeah, we had loads more stuff to put on display. We ran out of room. <laughs> wow. If you've seen videos of the Bantha, which all the fans trackers like, there's a Bantha, we're going to go and talk. Yeah, to I saw, saw the group photo in front of the Bantha, that was lovely. Yeah, I did. I've done some uh, Instagram reels and I was chatting with it, asking if it followed Bantha tracks and all that nonsense, just having fun with it. I waited until there was no view <laughs> for it and went a bit of fun and messed around as you would because I'm a grown up. Um, the Grogu in the Naboo Starfighter was just wonderful. And allegedly there was a camera on it, on, on the area, and then there was two puppeteers out the back literally with radio oh, control brilliant. hearing it so Grogu would turn around and give you a little wave and it's like i know it's only a puppet but that's Grogu, <laughs> and he's waving at me and that's really nice it, how, how lovely is that it was just adorable it was just so cool to you know everybody thinks it's a bit of merchandising it bloody well is there's one up there behind me i've sold loads of Grogu stuff it's got lots of people who aren't into star wars like we are as legacy fanboys and fangirls into Star Wars because they've gone well I had nothing to do during lockdown I'll get this Disney person I'll watch this Mandalorian everybody's waffling on about and I've had people come in in the shop who haven't been Star Wars fans who've gone and watched it and gone oh that's really good that show isn't it mums who've like watched it with their kids and gone it's a really good TV show I'm like yeah go and watch the rest of it yeah no it has been a really good gateway and uh, as, as you say introduced Star Wars to potentially a new generation which is fantastic yes yeah the other one, one that you must have enjoyed was uh, the Rancho Obi-Wan exhibit being a, I got a, there. Yeah, wonderful. Steve, Gus, and all the rest of them and Duncan put on an amazing exhibit of some beautiful pieces. 
I mean, my FET collection is probably four and a half thousand pieces. I've I've never bothered counting it since for a long time, but I know I've got far too many bits of stuff with Boba Fett on. Going around that exhibit again, got that, got that. What the hell's that? I don't know what that piece is. It was lovely. I've seen any particular of... highlights. If if you could have taken away two or three bits and added to your collection, what would you have gone for? All the rocket firing effects. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have three three rocket firing effects. I'll have three rocket effects. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a highlight. I don't collect. I've got one vintage carded set that I got from all uh, from my father's from years ago. And other than that, I've not gone down chasing that because that bit's just too much money. The droids carded fat. That's what I'd really like. Gus has got, I mean, I've been to Gus's house and seen his collection and he's got Dickie Beer's foam stunt fat jetpack. That's incredible, isn't it? That was in Steve's collection originally and got passed through to Gus. When that, Steve was, was that on display at Celebration? Yes, it was. Brilliant. So I had the second selfie with that going, you know, that piece I think is a wonderful piece of history. That, that's a really nice piece. I did a full gallery of it, put it on Fanta, I think day one, and then sh we shared it on Facebook and all the rest of it. And then Rancho shared it as well for the rest of the world. Because I don't think they'd have time. Every time I saw Steve and all that were up there, they were just slam busy. Yeah. Super. So, yeah. so yeah, any, anybody wanted to check out Matt's photos, by the way, fantatrex.com, you'll see all the galleries and all the info on there. So yeah, get yeah. To that website. lots of it over on the Facebook page. I shared it on there and on the Instagram, I shared lots of stuff. It's uh, hanging out with the guys at the Boba Fett fan club with Aaron and the rest of the gang there. I write a bit for them and I give them a lot of information. We chat a lot over the last few years. Since Celebration last Anaheim, I met Aaron there for the first time. And being a Fett collector, I'm on a couple of Fett focus group forums and stuff. Got to hang out with Aaron a bit there. Met Mark Anthony Austin, who's Boba, he Boba Fett from New Hope Special Edition. Yeah. British guy as well, bizarrely. Moved out to America to work at ILM and worked on films then. And is doing. he's doing a Netflix series of something at the moment. And he's worked on the Godzilla movies and he's worked on Ready Player One. He's in the special effects industry. So a great guy to chat with. And he turned up for the Saturday. Wasn't signing because he wasn't the official signing roster, but he was there having chats with people and taking photos because he lives down the road. He's an LA-based guy with Aaron, so that's excellent. Cool. Yeah, that's a nice, nice little bonus. Funny, you, yeah. you you get these people turning up for celebration, don't you? Just unannounced and just uh, in the crowds or in the in, in the booths for a little while. And yeah, it's we went to the Boom to Pod Race, uh, the Boom to Preview event the night before the show started. Yep. And some of the guys in one of the Star Celebration main Facebook group, Spencer had hired uh, a venue, a, a bit a sports bar with some dirty, greasy food. Lovely. And he put on an event there and he had about eight or nine signers, including Craig Miller, who wrote the original fan club magazine. Yeah. And a couple of the Jawas from The Mandalorian and Boba Fett. And one of them has appeared in Kenobi now. Yeah, is that the one that Eric Walker was at? Eric was there. Misty Rosas, who I finally yeah. got to meet with her online for ages. She's the uh, performance artist behind Queel and Frog Lady from Mando. I yeah. met her, did that event. That was wonderful. A nice little mixer of people who turned up. Samantha Raleen our famous uh, favourite female stormtrooper. She was there, got to hang out with her, and we one of our team presented with her an action figure of herself and got to sign that. That was a really good little event, a nice little warm-up before the show. Show. They're lovely, aren't they? The, the, the sort of off-campus events. The off-site events. Sort of, uh, un unofficial events, yeah. Mark was telling me about the 501st batch, which sounds really good. Yeah. Did you get to any of the others, Rebel Force Radio or anything like that? Didn't, know because the Rebel Force Radio was the same night as the... That event I went to, I didn't yeah. go to the first bash, but I went with a mate from Hawaii who used to be from um, New York, New Jersey. Me and him went to the Kobe premiere instead. Superb. 
and I'd got invited to a D23 party that evening as well from the media. So we were, oh, do you want to go to this? And you got a plus one. So Kev had to be my lady friend, and we went. He went as my plus one to it, and we had good fun there. The Kenobi premiere. Watching two episodes of Kenobi with seven thousand other Star Wars fans is how to do it. Just unreal. If you're not hyped sitting at home with your family watching it, watching it there is the bigger hype. And it was just wonderful. Yeah. All the cast were there pretty much. They all came on stage afterwards. I spotted Matt Wood in the audience and had a chat with him. And he was walking with Sam Witwer. Ewan walked right past me and I said, oh, great to see you, Ewan. Thanks for coming and whatever. I said something really quick to him. And he turned around and gave me the sort of that thing. And I was like, oh, that's great. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. All the cast were there. Jimmy Smith came on stage. The young Leia came out. You know, you had Ice Cube's son there. O'Shea Jackson was there. Rupert Friend was there. Rupert, Rupert Friend, Rupert Everett. I, I keep yeah, getting yeah, Gr- Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, yeah, dead, not dead, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the cast turned up for that and did a picture on the stage. It was nice to see such a big, and they were like, this is our premiere. We've not all seen it. Wow. So it was the premiere for them as well. I mean, I think Ewan and Hayden had seen it, but a lot of the other cast probably hadn't seen the first two episodes finished and finalised because they're, they're busy working on other stuff. They're working actors. Yeah, very cool. And the so, Vader reveal at the end of episode two, that must have got the crowd on the feet. Yes, completely. We didn't, because you got, when you watched it, because I went back and rewatched it, when you watched it, you got, a, what happened previously? Yeah. Eight and, uh, from one from two and three? We didn't get that. We just went straight into the episode. We didn't get the what happened first bit. We didn't get the reminder of, oh, you're at Celebration. I think you can remember episode two and three. <laughs> yes. Where home was a bit more refresher for them, which I, I, I understood. Just nice. Yeah. Went to Excellent. the party after that. Got to see my mate Mike Senna, who's one of the droid building crew, and told him, because he was working at the D23 party, that he got a name credit in the credits for being the droid wrangler in it. So the R2 unit that's in, well, the R5, I think, R4 unit, the conical dome one with all the spray paint all over it in that episode, and one of the other R units, he was the wrangler of those, so he got a name credit. So I told him, super happy that he, he worked a lot of stuff, but he got, an, he got a credits in it, so he was chuffed to bits on that. Got to meet Chris um, Bartlett at the Canteen event as well. He just turned up to hang out. He wasn't signing or anything there. But he's been, in all the new TV shows, he's been the droids in them. Yeah. Awesome. When you say cantina event, sorry, mate, is, is that at the bar in LA that's decked out like the cantina? No, no, well, the Boontory, it was called the Boontory Cantina event. Oh, okay, gotcha. Did get to the cantina on LA on a Hollywood Boulevard, drove past it on the last day, and there was no parking around, so it didn't get to go. And I, I said to JC at the show, I need to come and see you because I've never been there. But just, it, I tried to cram, I did cram so much. <laughs> it's ridiculous you can't fit everything in can you, you, you nope. no matter how, how well you plan <laughs> planned a lot did plan yeah, a lot yeah. I, it was a really good show i ended up doing a panel out there on filming locations with jerry beckett who people would know from rebel scum from years ago he's yes, British. Of course, yeah excellent so, and, him, uh, on that subject your uh, your adventures didn't end in celebration, did they? Because you went off and, uh, and and did some other exciting things. I, I did three more days of Star Wars adventuring afterwards with my knackered old feet. Went and with the Scorican Netherland guys and Sander from um, one of the guys from Belgium, from the TK fan club, and a couple of other people. We went and visited Tython. So the filming location from Mandalorian where Boba Fett came back. A couple of months prior, I got an invite to this. Me and Mark Newbold did. And he didn't even go. He went to Disneyland instead because he didn't organise his Disney. 
tickets. So I ended up going on that. I invited Aaron from Boba Fett fan club beforehand. And when I saw Mark Austin at the Boba Fett booth on the Saturday, I said, look, we're doing this on Monday. Do you want to come along? And he's like, oh, my doctor said I should do some more exercise. I'll text you and let you know, Matt. And he came along as well. Brilliant. So up there. We went and did a hike for a few miles up into the hills in North Hollywood and visited the final resting place of the Razor Crest, where that went pop. And Fantastic. Yeah, I've seen some of the photos online. Again, go to fantatracks.com. You'll find it all there. Yeah. But amazing. You found so many of the locations of um, screen matching. Yes. Yeah, so James, uh, James Jower, people know him as, he had screen matched lots of it, and another guy there had been, and Bill had sorted out, and he lives locally, so he'd been a few times and screen matched lots of locations and speak to people walking around there when it happened. So that yeah. was really cool. And then Death Valley as well. Two days in Death Valley. Hottest place in North America, one of the hottest places in the world. Uh, we decided to go out there. So we went to where the Razor Crest flew in, on Mandalorian yeah. and did loads and loads of New Hope and Jedi filming spots as well. Super, yeah, R2's Canyon and some of the Jawa shots and uh, yeah, the, road, the, the droids walked down towards Jabba's palace. Yeah, that was cool. So all of that fan fantastic. That, that bit isn't exactly how you imagine it. I think there's a lot more map painting than you realise in that. Because <laughs> it's the road down there and you're driving in your 4 by 4 Well, James's car wasn't even a 4 by 4 We're driving down there going, oh, this is all right. Oh no! It all, yeah, he goes. What? Well, we stop here, get out of the car, gets the photo out, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, he's here." Okay, yeah. that's Brilliant. kind of cool. Yeah, oh, I'm not jealous at all, Matt. Not at all, honestly. It's, <laughs> it's something Gus Lopez got me into. I'll blame him, and he'll happily take full responsibility yeah, for it. Well, you, you and I have both done Fincer, haven't we? Which is incredible. And uh, Fincer yeah. is wonderful. I did all that for the panel that uh, I was on and people were just in awe and one of the guys who was out there jake castellello who is a film director on animation in america in hollywood he came to our panel and he was out in fence when i was there and it was like oh how you doing dude what are you working on now oh i'm doing the x-men 97 cartoon oh wicked <laughs> so he's he's working on cool stuff and he all the photos of us doing the panel he took for me because we were on the stage doing it and we didn't only be the audience because people it was oversubscribed. More people turned up to that panel than we had room for. They were sitting and standing around the edges. It was really cool. We were amazing. Amazing. Turn up. Is, so we were going to the main panel. Is that, is that one streamed? Is that one available to watch? No. Uh, all the small ones aren't. The only ones that are streamed afterwards, are, they're not streamed, but they're the collecting track panels. Yeah. I I never make it to those. I'm too busy. So I end up watching those online afterwards. So the Star Wars collecting track guys record them and edit them themselves. Yeah. Our, our very own Chris Porches. Yeah, does all that of, of uh, vintage rebellion. Um, yeah, it does does a fantastic job with all those. So uh, yeah, there's a couple. I'm going to get get into uh, get into some of the others as soon as I get the time. Yeah, I've got a few of them backed up because I didn't watch the rocket fire effect one because I knew if it, I know enough about it anyway. But I still want to watch the panel and see if there's any tidbits of information I can glean and learn from that. And they're always good. I've, I, the previous celebrations, they've always uploaded them, and I've watched all of them in the end. And they're always fantastic little panels. Lots of little it's nuggets. All, yes, as you say, always something comes out of those that you don't know, no yeah. matter what the subject. But yeah. well, well worth seeing. Yeah, definitely. Well, I don't want to chat too much about locations, Matt, because I'm hoping to get you on the Vintage Rebellion again some other time, and uh, we'll take a really deep dive into location visits yes. and uh, everywhere you can go and uh, a bit of Star Wars tourism. So that'd be something really You'll to look forward to. All. With so much TV and films coming out now, you will never hit all the locations. When Disney started doing new stuff, Gus was like, I've nearly done all of them. All right, what do I do? I need this one and this one and this one. 
and me and him after episode seven came out did puzzlewood and he came and did farthest from and he was there and me and him the day before i went and did puzzlewood and did some of the spots there before the last celebration london and he was like, right, yeah, this is fine. I'm like, what are you going to do with all the new filming coming out? And he goes, I'll never be able to hit the location. He's done a lot of <laughs> and I'll never catch him. But yeah. you've just got to selectively pick. I want to do where the sour barge was, but James was like, it's literally one sand dune that's changed over the years and you can't really see anything there because of the way they filmed yeah. it. Where there's not a lot to see there. So it's not high on my list of priorities. No, I think, I think you can geolocate it, can't you? And you, you might be lucky enough to find a few bits of sand like, coming up through the sand, but... Not a lot, not a lot. Not, not, a not lot left these days. It's not one that excites me. I love the sail barge scene. Don't get me wrong; it's fantastic, but it is just a lot of sand. Whereas yeah. Finster, it's a lot of snow and ice, but it's amazing because you're staying it's the in the same snow and ice and the same backdrops and yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> there's snow, there's rocks, there's a hotel, and nothing else is there. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no trees, no greenery, nothing. It's uh, no. yeah, it, it, it is Ice Planet Hoth. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Fabulous. Just dragging you back to celebration, Matt. We talked a lot about Anaheim, but uh, of course, the big announcement was that uh, London is coming up next year, as we've heard, not not very far away, nine months or so. What are you looking no. forward to in London? I assume you'll be there and Fantatrex will be out in force? I think so. Yeah, I'll be there. All the other fans any, are going to Any predictions, any forecasts, what they're going to focus on? Who might we expect to see? I think there should be a focus on Andor. I know it'll have been out and been done by them, but they are working on season two is announced and it is coming and they'll be filming yeah. that later. And 12 episodes of series, which is great. Plenty to get your teeth into. I mean, Kenobi is not enough to get into. And we've had a couple of episodes of Kenobi, the same cat and mouse chase with Leia bit and capture, not getting captured and saving and stuff. I think Andor, I think they've got a longer form plot and plan for that. I Hypothetically, I think they could have been a, 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 a Rogue One I don't, I don't know. I don't think we're working on a Rogue One prequel, but the whole line in in Rogue One where Cassian's like, "This is my literally my wet ops bad boy team, and we go and do naughty stuff and to get the job for the rebellion done." Yeah. You know, the shiniest and cleanest and whitest of white guys. We are a down and dirty bunch of gangsters doing stuff to get the job done to defeat the Empire because he proved it in the f start of the film. Show. It's a great premise, isn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah. As, as you say, hopefully we'll see a bit more about that, and you know, maybe some costumes and models and so on at, uh, at London. Yeah, uh, it's also is it fortieth um, anniversary of Jedi, so yes. I would imagine they'll probably go heavy on Jedi. Um, yes, perhaps get more casting crew. And... I yeah, I want my work shirt to be um, Ewok body cleaner upper. Ewok. <laughs> There, there's, there's a workshop they can do for that, and Travis and the gang will have already been designing that already because they'll have known ahead of time it was coming. I just hope they manage to sort the celebration store out better, and I, I hope they manage to sort out exclusives better because that is still a complete mess. Yeah. It's, you know. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, I heard the stories again, lots of long lines and uh, people getting fed up and missing out when they got to the front of the queue. And I got into so, the celebration store, yeah. and I've done nine celebration stores. And they've never got it right. And I retail. I'm a retailer. I'm through and through. That's my blood. And I've just gone and spoke to the right guys and gone, look, just if you're doing a T-shirt or a program, have little hot dog stand type booths around the convention centre. And all that booth sells is the program. You'll sell loads of them. Yeah. Have a booth that just sells that T-shirt in large. That T-shirt is in large at this booth. It's $20. Walk up and buy it. 
Keep it refreshed. Keep it replenished. You'll sell more merch and make more money because that's what you're there for. Far too sensible, that, mate. It's, <laughs> it, I bang my head against the wall with that. I don't even try to get into it oh, anymore. Not to the new Tell me, how, how did the lottery go for the panels? Because that, that was new this year, wasn't it? So I had a media pass. Wait for stupid o'clock and queuing up. No, I had a media pass, and a media pass doesn't let me get uh, in. I can't enter any lotteries for anything, so I didn't even bother. I know a couple enough. of guys in the media, because I'm in a, a group chat with some of the other media guys from other websites and stuff, and one of them's like, you know what, I went last minute and I bought a ticket for the show. I went to the, whatever they use, on peak, whatever it is, they used to, uh, no, light, isn't it, to resell tickets. And people had decided last minute they weren't going to go. And people weren't even getting their full face value on their tickets back. They were going for cheap just to get rid of them, to get some money back on their outlay because they weren't yeah. attending. And I know a few media guys who went and bought a cheap four-day pass to then enter the lottery. But they told me it's a celebration. I was like, oh, I didn't think of that. So I didn't worry about it. You know, I filled my time to the max seeing friends, doing panels, doing events, going to different things and going to some of the bits I wanted to go to going around the dealer hall and taking all the photos of Fanta so people could see what was on at the show, chatting with the companies there and doing that. So that's my kind of what I've, I've niched into doing now rather than going sitting at 20 panels in a day and wasting five hours queuing for them the rest of it. So it's, you Fabulous. Know. And just four days immersing yourself in nothing but Star Wars. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah, more than happy. It's a good, fun show. Come and join the next one. Anybody in the UK should be attending. You know, tell the wife you're going to go and do something really exciting that she wouldn't enjoy and she's not into it. Or if she is into it, bring her along. My missus is coming. She can't wait. You bring the whole family? No, no. They're, uh, um, I imagine they'd probably be interested in coming along for a day or half a day, but uh, yes. um, they, they know I'm going to be taking a really deep dive in. So, uh, <laughs> no, they, I imagine they'll be doing something else. But, yeah. Uh, no, I got my ho hotel rooms booked. I'm looking out for the tickets going on sale. We're planning what we're going to do is the Vintage Rebellion. So uh, yeah, it's all good. Very exciting. Are all the X-wing crew coming up. You what? Sorry. Are all the X-wing crew coming up? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's at least six of us. Brilliant. There. So. Brilliant. Yeah. It's been really looking man. forward to it. So definitely, Andy, Karen, Wendy, yeah. Tracy, Jeremy. Cool. Plus anybody else who we, who we can drag up. Try and drag some others up. Make sure you get your yeah. pop up in the West Country. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Big smoke. Oh, I know. It's weird, isn't it? It'll be it a great show. You know, it'll, I'll spend even more time there chatting with people because um, we're on our home turf. We know enough people over here over doing events for, God, long we're doing it 25 years now. We've been doing events, you and me. Easily. Yeah, yeah easily. Yeah. And I've got customers coming to the shop in their 20 Oh, can't wait to go to my first celebration. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm an old fart at this now, but it's it's what I enjoy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, too right. No, it's uh, it's it's our it, it's it's our um, Christmas and birthday and festival and everything rolled into one, isn't it? Yeah, it's our happy. Matt, I will thoroughly look forward to it. I will thoroughly look forward to seeing you there. We'll have to have a couple of beers together. Definitely. And, uh, um, and yeah, as I say, I will definitely tap you up about having a longer chat with us on the Vintage Rebellion about locations. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be really good. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Pleasure, um, as I say, fantatracks.com. Go there, get your Star Wars news, get all the info on Celebration uh, Anaheim, all the upcoming news on Celebration London. And uh, if, as I say, if you're in Caution, do drop in and see Matt. Um, Caution Toy Shop, Automatic Comics. I'm sure we'll give you a good welcome. Yep.
Good to see you, mate. Thanks a lot, Matt. Take care, mate. Cheers. So joining me now on the Vintage Rebellion podcast is somebody who I'm sure needs no introduction to the majority of our listeners, and that's Mark Newbold from Fantatrax. Um, Mark uh, is a very active member on Fantatrax, um, on the website, on the podcasts. Uh, you'll have read his articles in Star Wars Insider magazine and on the Star Wars official website. He's written books. He's contributed to magazines. He's, uh, he's all over Star Wars. Welcome, Mark. Good to speak to you, mate. And you, and you. Thanks for inviting us back on. It's uh, good to be back. Excellent. So uh, we're talk talking about Star Wars Celebration uh, on Vintage Rebellion this month. And of course, you're just back, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Topped up with suntan, so can't complain. <laughs> Excellent. Long way away, LA. And uh, we were just saying uh, before we started recording, not that many Brits went over this time. How, how was your journey? It was fine, actually. There was uh, myself uh, and uh, Paul Naylor and Matt Booker. And there was a few Fanthers went over and a few of us travelled together. And, uh, yeah, it was a decent flight. I mean, it's 11, 11 hours going there. It's a bit less coming back, thankfully, because of that good old tailwind. But uh, it's a slog. I did get a couple of films in, but I managed to get a bit of a sleep. But no delays, given, you know, there seems to be uh, all sorts of travel madness going on at the moment, uh, as there always is when people want to go on holiday. We dodge most of that. Uh, yeah, and I a next to me, which was nice. So, so it was a good, good trip over. That's good, and that's interesting to hear, I'm sure, for our American listeners who are going to be doing the whole thing in reverse next year. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nice going to, nice going, because you, you get that extra, extra hour, you're there, you're there quicker. Going back home, not so much, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully not too much jet lag. Not too, well, oh, it, it slays me, because we've been fortunate enough, we'd had a family holiday in March uh, to Florida, and, and that seemed to knock me for six, because it was the first trip for, a, obviously with everything that's been going on, it was the first yeah. trip for a while. So that knocked me over a bit, and then, but this, yeah, I mean, it, like you say, it's an eight-hour difference. Um, I got back and I thought I was going to walk through it, but yeah, it did. It caught up with me a few days later. But uh, hey, <laughs> no so we have good good memories to look back on, even <laughs> even if oh, you're yeah. struggling. Uh, you're um, well, you, I'm sure you went for lots of reasons, but one of the main reasons you went was, of course, you were one of the hosts on the uh, the, the podcast stage. Um, yeah. Tell us was, a little bit about that. How, how did that go? Was that, was that a fun experience? It was. It was a very fun experience. It was. Um, I did it in London in 2016 in Chicago. You did, uh, did it in 2017 because we were there with a family holiday, so it just didn't seem fair to to fold that in with with the family holiday. <laughs> I was lucky enough to get get away from uh, uh, for a couple of days for that, as it was. So, but this time, yeah, it worked out very well. It was it was nicely organised. We had some good shows on the stage and some big shows as well. Star was explained is a is a very big. Uh, podcast. Uh, they they packed the room out. Sky Talk has packed the room out. Pink Milk packed the room out. So it was quite a few big shows. Um, we were on. Uh, not that I'd call us a big show, uh, but uh, Coffee oh, can I would disagree with that. That's <laughs> <laughs> not for me to say. Uh, but we had good laugh. It was good fun uh, uh, on our panel anyway. It was good fun. But everybody, everything went smoothly. Skull walking through Neverland did their variety show, and that was interesting. So you know there was loads of stuff going on. Everybody, as far as I could tell. Um, had a good time and enjoyed it, got something out of it. And and again, it's an important part, I think, of celebration in a similar way, not the same, but in a similar way to the collecting track and to any of the like Stoll's University with the fan panels. You know, it's fans expressing their creativity in very different ways. Obviously, as you know, through Vintage Rebellion and everything else you do, the collecting side of it is very deep dive and, and intricate and involved. And, and there's a great history to that. 
and everything that Gus has done for the track going back to wow to ninety nine. But also, you know, with any fan panel, any any discussion panel, it's got that old blog feel to me. And podcasting is is far more recent, of course, but it's a similar thing. It's how people want to express their their thoughts and opinions and love for Star Wars. So yeah, very very enjoyable. Hope we get to do it again. Absolutely, and uh, I'm good to hear that um, the panels were well attended. That you had a good room full for for much of it. Podcasting, as you say, certainly taken off lately. Um, it's you know it's it's a, a very much a growing medium, and it's yeah. good to see that people are buying into that and uh, looking to uh, come along and see you guys in person and um, you know show, showing an interest in all that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a good turnout. There's some shows that even you know I'd not heard of because there are a lot of Star Wars podcasts, as we joke quite regularly. You know, every time you turn on the computer, there seems to be a new Star Wars podcast. But, you know, everyone's got different opinions. And I think this time what they did, and it was a conscious decision, they really picked across the demographics. There was younger podcasters and older podcasters, which I guess we fall into that bracket, sadly. Um, he said grumbling. Uh, and then <laughs> people from all around the place and just different interests and everything. They really cast the net wide this time, and it, it really did work. So it was very good. Fantastic. And we're, we're not old, we're vintage. I like that. I'm remembering <laughs> that. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, so uh, podcast stage, I think, was on, uh, it, it was primarily afternoons, wasn't it? D did you get a chance the rest of the day to get out and experience something, a celebration for yourself? A little bit. They, they tended to start about 11 o'clock. <laughs> so the first the first day, the Thursday, the, the big panel, the Lucasfilm panel, uh, kicked off at exactly the same time our first panel, Cantina, Cantina Talk started. So so we, 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 we didn't see the big panel. I didn't get to many. I've got a few guys helping me out, and they got to quite a few. I just got to – and I'm not grumbling because I had a good time, so it's not a complaint at all. Uh, I got to the Attack of the Clones panel. That was the one big panel I got to. I did get up to Rancho and had a good merch around Rancho, got on the show floor and saw a lot of that. So it's not like I didn't see anything. Yeah, always uh, nice to catch up with Steve. Uh, it always is, yeah, and he's, he's, he's looking well, and uh, Rancho looks – fantastic <coughs> excuse me if, if, if anyone's seen any of the pictures from there uh they really did a bang up job they had a lot of space this time uh, and the sort of the collectors track had an area next to it where all the patch trading was and all the talks were um it was it was really well laid out i hope they follow that template for for future ones so that was brilliant but yeah the big panel i got to was the attack of the clothes panel which was brilliant because mostly because uh, well, one of my friends, Martin, was was working on the stage behind stage, so he was telling me a few little interesting bits about how they'd planned for it and prepped for it and all the rehearsals and such, which was fascinating, obviously. Yeah. But also, uh, and Ashley Eckstein was the host, which was great. But Tamira Morrison just came out and quite clearly went completely off script and was just <laughs> doing his thing. And he's, he was, I mean, we've, we've all seen him at shows before. He is especially bubbly right now. He's clearly thrilled about, obviously, Book of Boba Fett and... and, and being you know back right at the forefront exactly exactly and then and then we were fortunate enough you and uh, mcgregor and hayden christensen came out at the end and talking about attack of the clones which i think is a film that gets uh, an unfair rub really i think it's a far better film than people give it credit for so it was good to celebrate that yeah absolutely um it gets a, a lot of bad press doesn't it we were talking about this on the last podcast with it being the 20th anniversary and, yeah. uh, you know, yes, there are moments in there that are not so good, but there's an awful lot to love about that movie as well. So, uh, yes, yeah, nice to see it getting some attention. And uh, um, from what I've seen, Hayden and uh, you and they're, they're both very proud of their work on that movie. Oh, it, that, that really came across. I mean, for, for Hayden, obviously, it was his first. It was Ewan's second, of course. But uh, And Ewan did the usual thing when he's like, oh, what's the name of that film? Is it Attack of the... You know, he, he plays... <laughs> I can just know the name of the films he was in. 
don't know why he does that, but it was quite funny. It came over very well. Uh, but but Hayden, yeah, clearly. I mean, he, as as you've seen, as we've all seen with with Kenobi, still not finished quite yet. The the the, the whole tone from those guys is they're thrilled to be back, genuinely, and pleased to be reconnecting. That came across. You know, there's a really nice, easy friendship between those two because those two went in, in the trenches together making that that third prequel trilogy film, especially Revenge of the Sith. And so, uh, yeah, that that all came across really well. And it's I'm pleased, I'm genuinely pleased that you and because Hayden's kind of been coming back over the last few years. Gradually, he did a London film with Comic Con a couple of years ago. He was at Celebration in Orlando, yeah. so kind of gradually coming into it. They both did voice work on Rise of Skywalker. We'd need to remember that as well. But but. Ewan really has come right back to the forefront and seems really up for it, you know. Which, which is excellent. I mean, obviously done the celebration. He's also doing, is it Comic Con in Glasgow? That's right. Coming yeah, up and, yeah. Uh, yeah it'd, be, it'd be lovely to get into celebration in London. It would. Well, that's the dream, isn't it? You know, and we can, we can look forward now. And you think back to 20, 2007, that first one, and it was like, wouldn't it have been great? But you can understand them not doing that because it was two years after Sith and, you know, they want to move on and do other stuff. But now, we're, we're sort of in that phase of where we were sort of, or not quite, but back sort of where we were with Celebration Europe, the first one, when it's 30 years of the original Star Wars, and now it's 20 years of Attack of the Clones. And in, you know, next year, of course, it's Jedi 40th. But, you know, it feels like you're celebrating the prequels again. They're getting a, a fair shake of it, which I, I'm very pleased. Enjoy yeah, that. Absolutely. Speaking of you and Obi-Wan, did you get to see any of the Obi-Wan stuff? Did you get to the, uh, the screening? I didn't. I I didn't. Sadly, it was at the same time as the uh, the bash, the um, the big five uh, first bash, which oh, I was so I, so I missed it. So I actually watched the first two episodes on this very phone. Uh, I managed to, <laughs> to log into Disney Plus and watch the first two episodes the following morning. So uh, so I need to watch them on a proper telly. I really should watch them on a proper telly. But it was great. It was great. It was a pitch black room, so it was like being at the back of the cinema. So it was good. Excellent. How was the five first party? Really good. Martin, again, uh, who I mentioned earlier, Martin Keeler, uh, who, by the way, does a fantastic podcast called Star Wars Spins, which I highly recommend with Dave Tree. Uh, he uh, helps put on the event and sort of show leads, if you like. Uh, and this time there was some great music. It was Darth Elvis was playing, who does one of our podcasts, Desert Planet yeah. Discs, with Carl. Uh, and um, uh, the Force Capacitors, they're usually called the Flux Capacitors, they were on, uh, who were, I've never seen them before, and they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, Atomic Blonde, one of the DJs, DJ Elliot was on. So it was a really good array of music, but just a party vibe. It was it was the one night where you really just <coughs> and I'm a terrible dancer, but I just danced all night. I loved it. And a, and a free bar, which was probably not the smartest thing for me to be doing. There's probably some <laughs> photographs out there, but hey ho, that's the risk you take. So no, it was a really good night, very good. Fantastic, sounds good. Yeah, I, I missed the one last time in uh, London, but. Yeah, I have to see if I can get myself an invite to uh, to that if that if that happens again. Yeah. And uh, just before we wrap up, speaking of London, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to? Are you uh, are you likely to be doing um, stage hosting again? Or I'm hoping so. I never assume. I I try. I don't want to assume that I am because one, I don't want to jinx it, and two, I wouldn't like to be that presumptuous. So hopefully, I I am. Um, there was no great drama this time round, and there wasn't in Chicago. So I'm hoping that I've, I've kept the, sh- the ship fairly steady. So hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, I'll, I, I should find out relatively soon. So I'd like I'd like to think so, but I, I can't say yes, but I hope so. Uh, and Fanta Tracks are making our plans as well. So we're certainly going to be there in some form or fashion. That's all starting to come together. Because like you say, uh, you know, it's only nine and a half months away. It, it's, it's another one of those 
like Europe always feels like it's like a mad rush to Europe. You know, you never wait two years for a celebration in Europe. It's always like, we've got six months, get the patches made. So it's all absolutely. Oh, yes. Prep is going on already all, all over the country, I'm sure. <laughs> totally. Yeah. totally. And it'll be great to see all the faces, you know, you guys and, and all the other sort of uh, UK folks. And, and of course, we'll have probably more of an influx of people from Europe as well. So we'll see, <coughs> excuse me, we'll see a lot of our European friends as well coming from the continent. So that's always that's always a joy. And hopefully, given that the pound and the dollar are so <laughs> equitable, especially for the Americans, we'll get more Americans come over. So it should be a good mix. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the real joys of celebration, isn't it? It's getting to see old old friends, make new friends and having four days. You've got plenty of time to catch up and spend a bit of uh, quality time with people. So uh, okay. uh, really looking forward to that. As, as you say, seeing, seeing you guys and seeing uh, all those people that, you know, you, you don't get to see that one on a regular basis. That's it. And it's nice when we bump into each other at UK events. Of course it is. You know, we've got plenty. We've got a busy summer, so there's lots, lots of stuff coming up and lots of opportunities. But celebration, like we always say, it's our Super Bowl, isn't it? So that's that's where you want to do it. Certainly, there's something special about that. Fantastic. Yeah. That's a good note to leave on, Mark. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Anybody out there who wants to catch up with Mark, do go and check out Fanta Treks. I'm sure you all do already, but uh, so much on there. All the Star Wars news, all in one place podcasts to suit anybody whatever you're interested in star wars um you'll find something to enjoy on there so uh, get over there fantatracks.com that's where you need to be brilliant that's a better advert than i could ever do thank you <laughs> you're welcome thanks a lot mate take care all the best right great catch up there guys sounds like you also had a blast and matt book i was on one of the panels as well talking about you know, his film locations as previously discussed. So let's move on to the main panels in. And obviously the main panels are just absolutely brilliant. So some of them have been to before, I was a little bit underwhelmed on, but sounds like a lot of these were absolutely brilliant. So I'll come to you first, um, Spoons, um, because in our list of panels, you've put your name down to two right at the start. So which two really stuck the chord for you? See what I did there? <laughs> do indeed well i really i'm not, I'm not a great interview uh, sorry I'm not a great autograph person but i really do like seeing the uh the actors doing interviews telling their memories so ian mcdermott talking about his time on star wars he's been there pretty much not quite from the start but he's been there from the original trilogy he's still there and no doubt we're going to be seeing him in um some kind of series before too long aren't we so he's 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 been there a long time and i think listening to his tales would be absolutely fantastic and the other one not that i'm a huge fan of attack of the clones um it's yeah there's been a lot <laughs> a lot on attack of the clones recently uh, yeah I don't, it's, it's star wars I'll, I'll watch it but not a huge fan but i am a huge fan of david w collins when he used to do his star wars oxygen uh, bits on Rebel Force Radio, and then he's got his his own podcast after that. Always really interesting insight. And when I was at Celebration Europe in London last time, I went to his uh, his talk there on the Empire Strikes Back music with my my eldest daughter. Fantastic. He's, he's a great 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 public speaker and very interesting. So the other one I go to would be Attack of the Chords. I think um, is. Uh, you know that'd be that'd be the interesting one. Uh, so that's that's me. I think David W. Collins every day, every day. Yeah, good good shouts, uh, spoons. Really love David W. Collins when he did his podcast with um, Jimmy Mack, the Beyond the Soundtrack. Uh, really really good. And some of the non-Star Wars stuff I did solo by himself was absolutely great. Some of the best best uh, podcasts out there. Certainly worth checking out. 
So yeah, it's just so informative. Kind of learn loads about music from from listening to those. So it's, yeah, just it's something you know, expanding horizons, isn't it? That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Um, Andy Preston. Thank you. Yeah. Now the the one panel that I would really love to have been at. This was the light and magic panel, um, which was on the Friday morning. And the this is basically introducing a new documentary series, yet another series coming to Disney Plus, starting on July the 27th, called Light and Magic. And this is all about ILM and its history. If I start off by saying that the hosts of this panel were Lawrence Kasdan and Ron Howard, that tells you the sort of caliber that they've got on. But uh, they they also had... Uh, from ILM, Dennis Muran, Phil Tippett, Joe Johnston, Patricia Rose Dynan, and uh, the Lucasfilm Vice President Linwin Brennan, uh, all talking about the, uh, the, the the history of ILM um, and uh, telling stories from throughout the uh, the saga. Uh, just a few little bits I've picked out. Dennis Muran was uh, talking about why this new series has been done. And uh, he was saying that it's trying to capture the more personal stories from uh, within Industrial Light and Magic. And they're looking not so much at uh, how it's done, but why it's done and the, the people and uh, and what have you. The, uh, Joe Johnston said it's the story of ILM from the inside out. Um, so really a, a true insider's view. Joe Donston went on to talk about where the inspiration came from, from the first ships right in the beginning. The the, the X-Wings uh, came from Lucas's love of street racing and uh, um, dragsters and souped up cars. Um, and uh, that that was that was where the X-Wing came from. And the, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of speed and the, uh, the sort of bashed together appearance and then he also said um, designer millennium falcon there's been various stories about this but uh, joe johnson said apparently a stack of dirty dishes in his sink uh, that helped to bring to light the uh, the saucer shape at the center of the falcon uh, phil tippett creature designer he was talking about um, jedi in particular Cy snootles max rebo uh, talking about how lucas would come round and uh, look at the creature designs and um, just really off the cuff choose you know who was going to be who he sort of looked at size digital said that that's our singer he said you know the that blue guy there with the flipper ears he's going to play the the organ um he looked at the uh, a, a fish-like creature he said yep that's admiral akbar a, a lot of this sort of off-the-cuff decision making by lucas Tiffit was also talking about his style being like a documentary filmmaker and just sort of like he wanted to go and explore this world he created patricia rose dynan um she was talking about the uh, the, the sort of fun that they had at ILM, um, talking about the hot tub where they were relaxing. Um, John Dykstra had picked up a refrigerator on a forklift and was dropping this off to see it explode just as a limo came in, carrying George Lucas and Gary Kurtz and some big wigs from 20th Century Fox. Uh, apparently they got out the limo, they took one look, got back in the limo and left. And uh, <laughs> she said, I knew we were in deep, deep trouble. But uh, they they had to relax. They had to unwind because they were working so, so hard. Um, Joe Johnston said that you know, he, he was only in the hot tub because his work was done and uh, he'd been working so hard that day. So uh, a little bit behind that story. And talking about the spirit of the company and the legacy of the series and that being still alive and well today, the spirit of George Lucas is still very much there. And they they want to succeed not only for themselves and their teammates, but also with George. And that is very much the ethos at ILM today. You're going to be quite upset with me. I, I did have a ticket to this panel, but it was one on the one of the overflow stages. 
And I kind of decided when I was going to celebration, if I get something for the main stage, I'll go. But if it's not an overall stage, you're just looking at a TV screen. So if I want to see it, I'll see it afterwards. So I did have a ticket for that. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see these guys, you know, some some of the, the, the real ILM luminaries um, and to, to hear what they've got to say. I'm really hoping that they get to come over to London. The other panel I would like to have gone to was the behind the scenes secrets and details of the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett. Um, so you had various people again from ILM sound and um, special effects, the uh, uh, legacy effects supervisor, visual effects supervisor, etc., etc. They were talking about the techniques they've used, in particular the volume and an interesting little anecdote um, where John Favreau had uh, James Cameron come to visit and was showing James Cameron some of the um, initial footage from The Mandalorian and uh, seeing Mando wandering around this uh, sort of beat-up environment. Cameron thought it looked really good, thought it was a, a composite done on blue screen, absolutely shocked to learn that it wasn't, told how it was done. He, he sort of leaned forward, took, it, took off his glasses, stared at the screen. He said, really, that's amazing. So for James Cameron to be impressed, you know it's good. Talked a little bit about Grogu. Now, he was planned to mostly be CG until they decided uh, John Rosengrant, who is a, uh, a creature effects guy, he believed that a practical version could be viable. So they had the puppet built and the uh, all the electronics, all the animatronics. And uh, so he, he's really the man that brought Grogu to life. Talked a little bit about the sound and the voice, Cad Bane in particular, how they processed the voice of the actors to do that. And uh, Dave Filoni was taking a particular interest in that because he's got a real love for Cad Bane, the character. Again, talking about the actor that stood in for Luke Skywalker in, uh, in, in Book of Boba Fett, a um, guy called Graham Hamilton and how he was on set with Hamill um, doing the, the, the body doubling. And then they uh, obviously digitally mapped Hamill's younger face over over his Lots of info there, um, and uh, obviously this is the current face of Star Wars, so great to hear about some of how it's all being done today. Absolutely, a lot of depth there, Andy. Well researched on that one, but totally agree. Some brilliant, brilliant stuff there. Two that I would like to have seen, one I did watch on YouTube, was Star Wars Attack the Clones 20th Anniversary Celebration. I did enjoy Attack the Clones movie. I've always always said that from a long time ago. Yes, it's got bits in there that make us cringe a little bit. And I do remember thinking when I watched Attack the Clones, I almost turned over to my daughter at one point and apologised for some scenes in the movie because it was so bad. But generally, it is a good movie and I really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of good stuff in there. And I thought some of the guests that were on stage were absolutely hilarious. I thought um, Daniel Logan and... Um, Timmy and Morrison in particular were absolutely brilliant. They had the audience in stitches and really got it aimed at the right pitch. So that would have been a, a show that I would have liked to have seen on stage. The other one is the Marvel Star Wars comics. I'm really struggling with Marvel at the moment. Um, the timelines, the crossover series, the you know the links. It's it's really really difficult to get a, a grip and full handle of Marvel. The, there's no real definitive timelines. There's, no, there's nothing that you can really set out um, to get your collection kind of order. Marvel editor-in-chief um, C.B. Sibeluski and some of the Marvel's top talent um, from comics were presenting a panel with lots of new announcements and lots of reveals from a galaxy far, far away. So I like to have planned to see where the series are going, what I need to focus on and what I need to do to complete my collection. Now, oh, Pete. Pete, Pete, Pete. What? You start out, you're disappointed or something? Japanese vegetable carving. 
I that wasn't there this time, was it? Well, take it away then. What did you pick? Well, yeah, I would have. Well, I've been to that one already. I'm not sure they come back. Uh, I think they've did all the vegetable carving they can. But so those are the panels that are more interesting, though, Richard. You don't want to go to these big panels. They're rubbish. I would have. Well, I, I always there's, there's something I always look out for the name Tom Spiner or Spiner or how you want to pronounce it. Any panel he's on is always going to be interesting. And uh, he was on a panel. I mean, they used to do the kind of like the secrets of. Uh, you know, development of scenery and stuff. He's into props and FX and stuff. But he, again, he did a behind the scenes, the creatures of Return of the Jedi. So Return of the Jedi is full of crazy creatures. I'm, I'm hoping they covered, because I haven't seen it yet, I'm hoping they covered Wal Cabashite, who's my, my favourite. And also, he's, he gets quite a scene in uh, Return of the Jedi if you turn your mind back to that film. I would, I would love to know a bit more about him. So I will try and find that somewhere a panel of that or maybe someone recorded it because he's he's always someone who's worth listening to um i remember we did a panel back a couple of years ago when last went to celebration where he gave the development secrets of the cantina where there was like a sign on the top of the cantina and all sorts it was absolutely just absolutely fascinating i was i was glued to it and the sad thing was the panel wasn't full it was really sad really sad so i'm hoping that would have been because that is the most i think all those development kind of panels and you know, people who actually were there, worked in it and, and know the secrets is always fascinating. The other one, something I, I try and find, it normally uh, clashes with big panels, is the cosplay competition. It, I mean, it's just, I remember Craig Spivey was doing his Luke Skywalker thing was, it's just a brilliant parade of amazing costumes. I think this year the winner was a Genosian warrior. Um, this woman was in it in the costume. Absolutely stunning it just looked like something out of the film it's ridiculous even though it's not particularly like a you know a, a staggering looking character but the costume was so beautifully put together and with a lot of you know care and attention without being a kind of like professional cosplayer there's also a group who did the bad batch um you want to see them i mean they look like they've walked off a movie set the costumes are brilliant they look the part um there was another great luke skywalker as well from the crate scene in the last jedi he looked. He was doing a lot of photographs around celebration. You probably seen him. He looked really good and really eerily brilliant. But that is, I mean, if they do it in London, which I'm sure they will, just try and get it. It's just so much fun. Uh, they had a panel of judges. I think um, Steve Samuelsweet is on the, on stage being a judge. It's always a good laugh because a lot of the cosplayers get into a little bit of character and get a bit silly with the uh, <laughs> with the, with the panelists. So it's always always a, a good fun. But yeah, definitely I would recommend those if you're going to go to London. Hunt those out because they are absolutely amazing. The detail in that Tom Spiner panel is always brilliant. Yep. And Jason, which two panels will stand out for you? The the one the opening panel that I went to, Lucasfilm Studio show, Showcase, that kind of went over all of the new things which were coming out, for me, is the best panel I have attended at a celebration. So I know I've talked about it already. The other things that happened in that panel that I haven't kind of really gone over in detail, they kind of opened up with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So they had um, Hayden Christensen there and Ewan McGregor. Um, and, of course, they hadn't announced that Hayden Christensen was going to be at the event particularly. So that got a very big cheer. And then Hugh McGregor very cheekily said, uh, you know, normally at this point we would show you um, a teaser trailer for the, you know, the show that's coming out. But we don't have one of those. And everybody was like, oh. And then they said, but what we do have is you can all come back here to this 
auditorium this evening at 7 p.m. for a world premiere screening of episodes one and two five hours before it, uh, it airs on Disney Plus. Uh, everybody just erupted in there. The whole auditorium went absolutely crazy at this point. And um, I'd, I'd been kind of wondering, I thought, you know, I'm going to celebration. How am I going to watch episodes one and two of Obi-Wan Kenobi while I'm there? And there it was. I got to watch episodes one and two Obi-Wan Kenobi with you know, 20, 30,000 Star Wars fans. And it was just absolutely amazing. They had to do a whole this red carpet where they had the costumes on it. And then they had um, popcorn and drinks to give away uh, and stuff like this. And, it, you know, it, it, was, it was really good. Big also, question, Jason. Did you get the kind of Pringles? No, um, I missed the Pringles. These Pringles were basically it was a kind of Pringles where the, they were wrapped with a special o- golden and golden black Obi Wan Kenobi casing on it, and there were also um, I think it was cornflakes or something as well. But I mean, these immediately went on eBay for about six hundred dollars. But no, by the time I got there, these things had long gone. So. Um, but the other thing that was really when they got uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau came out and they said, oh, well, you know, we'll be talking more about the Mandalorian in, in a later panel. But they did announce that they were they, they were doing a, a surprise um, Mandalorian exhibition. And let's let's talk about that as a separate thing after we've gone through the panels. But they, they made that announcement, which was very exciting. And then, of course, the whole thing kind of ended up with the whole um John Williams and Harrison Ford thing, and it was just, it was just absolutely awesome. The other panel that I would have liked to have been at, and again I'm I'm a kind of big panel guy, it was the the Mandalorian panel again with Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau talking about the next season of Mandalorian. But I didn't win the lottery for that, so um, never got to see it. But I'd have loved to have seen that. Yeah, Mandalorian panel would have been absolutely awesome. So you mentioned the Mandalorian, Jason. Um, you mentioned the you know Mandalorian exhibit there. Did you go and see it? And um, I tried. It? So what you had to do for the Mandalorian surprise exhibit, what they did every day, and they did this for getting entry into some of the exclusive shops and also for the store, they would open a what's called a, a virtual lightning queue. So if you if you um, went into your Star Wars app at a certain time of the day, it was basically it was eight thirty, it was nine a.m. for the celebration store and a couple of other things. You could queue up, get in a virtual queue, and if you were successful, you could then book a slot to go to the whatever it was, and you wouldn't have to queue up for ages. So, obviously, um, the first day, everyone's trying to get uh, in the queue for the celebration shop. And you remember when we bought, all, you buy all the tickets for celebration, you get that annoying little green man that walks across the screen. So you, you, the, the app would do that. So everybody would have this little green man on their app, and they'd be looking at this thing. And he would kind of slowly walk across the screen. And then for me, we'd just get to the end of the screen and then it would kind of say all uh, reservations for today are sold out. And they also use that for the for the Mandalorian panel. So at night, I think it was um, 8.30. No, it was it was 8.30 a.m. every day. You could get in the, 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 the lightning queue for the Mandalorian surprise exhibit. So for the because they announced it on the first day you couldn't do it on the thursday but for friday saturday and sunday i got into the queue for that each day to see if i could get a ticket to go and just wasn't successful i mean basically as soon as the thing went to when they said the you know the the, the queue was open everybody hit the button at the same time and there was just it was very hard to get 
any any tickets in that. I, did, I have seen photos of it, and um, all you know, the photos look fantastic. Maybe somebody else could speak about that if they've seen the photos. Nope, sadly, I've seen nothing about that. Yeah, the other thing that I took quite extensive photos on 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 the last day, I chose to go to um, the the Rancho Obi Wan Boba Fett exhibition first thing in the morning when I got in because I knew it was going to be empty then. So I was able to get good, clean shots of all the cabinets without any people in it. So I, I went around, had a good look at those, took the photos for that and posted them all. I think, Andy, I think you managed to look at all those. I did, Jason. Yeah, some fantastic stuff there. And uh, um, stuff that, I mean, again, Matt Booker, a, a very seasoned fake collector. There was stuff there that he'd never seen or heard yeah, of. Yeah, so that was really good. And then I, I managed to... Um, Queue, get into the celebration store, run around it like a headless chicken for 10 minutes, and then get back out and into the first panel of the day for the collecting track. So, um, yes, I did have a little run around the last day. But, yeah, so, yeah, the, the, the Lightning Queue, I mean, if, if you get something, it's worked for you. If, obviously, if you don't get anything, it hasn't really worked for you. So, it's one of those things. Words of wisdom there, Jason. If you get something, it works. If you don't get something, it doesn't work. Very profound. <laughs> I, I do try and you know display you know kind of dispel my wisdom to you. Mm. Yeah. Right then, guys. So obviously one of the big announcements, um, which wasn't really surprised towards the end of the show, was the announcement of the next celebration. Yeah, that was kind of odd because like obviously I know people who are kind of like fairly central to the collecting track, and they did. I'd had the same thing said to me, you know, over the course of celebration. It's like, oh, by the way, it's going to be. And where is it, Rich? It's in London again for the third time. Celebration Europe 4. Brilliant, eh? Yes. So um, it's funny because as soon as they announce where it is, I mean, I think it was about 11 or 12 o'clock UK time when they announced it. So what immediately happens is all the all the people at Celebration immediately get onto uh, their phones and book up all the hotels that are available in east east london and that kind of pretty much happened when they announced it so all the, you know the one that's right next to the xl pretty much booked out you know minutes after they made the announcement etc so it'll be you know, it'll be interesting to see if they if they've done what they've done on the american celebrations and they've pre-booked chunks of those hotels which they're going to release after they sell the tickets or not yeah, I've I've been um, getting hotels for myself. Some of my uh, mates locally here, we jumped on it almost as quick as the announcement was made. We managed to get um, some rooms reasonably close. But uh, looking in the last few days, the hotels very, very close to the event are mostly booked up. Or if that way, they wallop their prices up, which seems a little unfair. But there's still plenty of room, hotel rooms in London. And uh, obviously with the light, uh, Docklands Light Railway, you can get anywhere reasonably quickly. So no need to panic about hotel rooms. No word yet on ticket sales. Could be next week, could be six weeks, could be three months. Who knows? I'd imagine it's been various things. We're now, what, 11 or 10 months away from the next celebration. They'll want to start getting um, the ticket sales done, and I presume it'll be soon that they'll be doing that. I, I guess so, but then it's still very soon after the last one, isn't it? So anyway, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of announcement when that comes out. I'm sure I saw something that said it was February, but I've no idea where I saw that. It might no, just be idle it, speculation. For, for tickets, that would be, be a bit late February. But uh, uh, the event itself is April. It's April the 7th to the 10th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. 
that's over the Easter bank holiday weekend. So it's a weird set of dates that is. They, you know, they don't normally kind of making it coincide with Easter will kind of make it something that a lot of people won't be able to attend because they obviously they have plans at Easter. But. It'll make it difficult for some, but uh, all four days of bank holidays. So for the likes of Rich, um, who's a teacher, um, that means that Rich, you'll you'll be available all four days, I guess. Um, and uh, you know, ho- hopefully it'll be a, a big, bustling, busy celebration as it's been in the past. Yeah, let's face it, it's going to sell out in minutes again, isn't it? That's what it seems to happen all the time now. Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate because uh, where I am, um, where I live in London, um, I've got quite an easy, quick commute into the XL. So previous to that bit of the XL centre, I've just stayed at home. And then Chase, you got to- Darden. Well, if you want to, if you want to come and stay, I mean, I've, I I've already, I've already, your garden. You want to, you want to stay in the garden? The, the I reason, have a tent. I've got, I've got two, I've got two guests so far who were, uh, who are staying in the spare room. The time portal, surely you put yeah, everybody Pete, up in there. Yeah. Pete, do you want to stay in the time portal? It's kind of like got room for hundreds in there. Apparently. Yeah, Peter, I'm, I'm just worried if you stay in the garden, you'll end up being barbecued. Well, yeah. you know, if you go into the a, time there's portal, there's a downside to it. Yeah. If you go into the time portal, take a raincoat because you'll end up at the first celebration in, uh, in in America. Well, that'd be great. I could buy cheap figures and then come back again and sell them all for more for more cash. Yes, that'd be awesome. Are you are you Canary Wharf, Jason? No, I'm in uh, I'm in Wapping. So uh, Wapping, great big Wapping. So I basically I've got to walk to Chadwell Chadwell Tube Station and then it's just the DLR. Straight into um, the XL Centre from there. Okay. So who who is going uh, from the Vintage Rebellion? Do we do we know yet? Uh, I'm I'm certainly going because I got hotel rooms already booked. Well, so. I've got a hotel, but I'm definitely going. Fantastic. So surely, the, if the tickets sell out <laughs> so quickly, none of us can say we're definitely going. But yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll then, try. It's not going to sell out immediately. Um, and I remember last time round. It was announced as a sellout, and then they sold. They, they announced a whole new tractor. Yeah. Famous so, yeah. last words. I, I think it. the London ones will yeah. be easier to get than the American ones. I remember pre pre COVID when they um, sold the tickets for Anaheim. I got in the queue as soon as they opened it, and by the time I got to my turn in the queue to buy my pass, I got one of the last four day passes by about five or ten minutes. But I don't. I don't think London will be that bad. It'll be like I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems to have gone. I know. I know. The last time when I went to Chicago, I mean that sold that sold out very quickly. I remember the one before that. And so the first I went to, which was at the, the other Anaheim one, that was. I remember sitting on tickets for ages. I'm, I'm sure it, we were in facts, and uh, Grant and Stuart were going. Oh, you know, you're single. You should go. You two, you know, there's no, you've got nothing holding you back. And we're like, oh, yeah, I might do, I might do. And uh, the thing had already been announced. You know, the tickets didn't sell out at all. And then I said, the last one went to Chicago. Whew, tickets had gone. And then the last one where you went to Jason, I remember tickets selling out in minutes. Yeah, I, I think I think it's the advice I've been saying to my to my my cosplaying friends is, when they announce that the tickets are going to go on sale. Get yourself in the queue when it starts and buy the tickets immediately. Yeah. And that's four-day passes. Well. Four-day passes, yeah. Four passes will sell out yeah. very quickly. Uh, day passes, it's normally Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, it goes um, Saturday, then it'll go... It will be Saturday and Sunday this time, because obviously Monday's always a bit yeah, of like a Saturday, a Sunday, Saturday. maybe Friday, and then maybe Monday. But, but Saturday, Monday Saturday definitely will sell out. 
I think the advice is get your tickets as soon as you can. But uh, I w- I'll be very surprised if it sells out immediately and you cannot get tickets thereafter. Very surprised. We will be there, won't we, the Vintage Rebellion? We, um, we're still talking about how and why and where, etc. But we, we will be there in force. Hopefully all of us are going. I am, Jason is, Pete is, Boons. I think you're going with the family, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we've got our yeah. place booked. And Rich, there was a bit of doubt about yourself. Are you likely to be coming, do you think? Yes, uh, there was quite a bit of doubt because of different holiday but that has had its date changed now, so I'll be there for definitely two, maybe three days. Excellent. So we we just got to drag Chris Porteous across, and that's uh, that's all of us then. So yes, we we will be there as the Vintage Rebellion. We will be recording. We will be uh, doing stuff. We will have giveaways. Uh, watch this space. Michael Marx was born into a Polish-Jewish family in Slonim, in what was then the multinational Russian Empire, now Belarus. He emigrated to England around 1882 and moved to Leeds, where a company called Baron was known to employ Jewish immigrants. Marx met Isaac Dewhurst, the owner of a Leeds warehouse, in 1884. A deal was arranged whereby Marx agreed to buy goods from Dewhurst and sell them in nearby villages. The venture was a success, and enabled Marx to raise enough capital to establish a stall in Leeds open market. At his stall, he used the slogan, Don't ask the price, it's a penny. He also sold goods at Castleford and Wakefield markets. In 1894, Marx decided that if he was to expand the business further, he would need a business partner. He initially approached Isaac Dewhurst, who decided against the offer but suggested that his cashier, Thomas Spencer, might be interested. Spencer decided that the £300, equivalent to £36,000 in today's money, required for a half share in the business would be a good investment. The running of the business was split between Spencer, who managed the office and warehouse, and Marx, who continued to run the market stores. Spencer had developed some important contacts whilst working for Isaac Dewhurst, and these allowed him to get the best prices for goods by dealing directly with the manufacturers. Marks and Spencer, known colloquially as Marks and Sparks, or M&S, made its reputation in the early 20th century with the policy of only selling British-made goods. It entered into a long-term relationship with British manufacturers and sold clothes and food under the St Michael brand, which was introduced in 1928. The brand honours Michael Marks. It also accepted the return of unwanted items, giving a full cash refund if the receipt was shown no matter how long ago the product was purchased, which was unusual for the time. M&S staff raised £5,000 to pay for a supermarine Spitfire fighter aircraft called the Marksman in 1941 to help the Royal Air Force protect the skies above Britain during World War II. On June 1st, the Marksman joined B Flight of 609 West Riding Squadron, stationed at Biggin Hill. This month, it's going to be the shortest ever live C-section because... I think because we probably talk too much and it's getting late, but we are going to do Marks and Sparks, or for you Americans, Marks and Spencers, um, for you other types, St. Michael's. Now, now there's a controversy here, right? Because if you go on Star Wars Collector's Archive, 
there's quite a few items, but in reality, there's only one item. Right, but first, I just want to get your memories of Marks and Sparks. Now, for me, in, in Leamington, Royal Leamington Spa, there are currently two Marks and Spencers within a few metres of each other. Um, they've got a food hall, uh, which is obviously very posh, and uh, they've got the clothing stuff as well. They've got to get a separate building. But Marks and Sparks, as a kid, Marks and Sparks was... You know, a name of quality. We, you know, uh, you know, the food, food was always, you know, seen as very posh. If you were one of these very rich types, you'd, you'd get all your food from Marks and Spencer. Uh, it was just one of the things. Your clothing, I think it's mostly socks and underpants for school, those sort of things. Uh, I don't think we ever had blazers from Marks and Spencer, but it was, it was a little bit on the posh side. It was always seen as quality. You were never let down with quality. Marks and Spencer. Now, obviously, I'm in quite a middle-class town. Uh, the boys, there's no way Jason had Marks and Spencer in Scotland. They would have just been too shockingly overpriced. Richard, no chance. Uh, you would have had your whole family murdered for going to Marks and Spencer. You'd be doing the local market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> You two boys, you know, I think you're in the middle class kind of region there. I think Spoons definitely, mum and dad would have been into that. Mark Spencer buying a nice souffle or something. And Preston, probably the same, actually. So uh, uh, let's, come to the, let's come to the souffle, boys. Souffle for Marks and Sparks. Well, you're a little bit wrong with me, Pete. Oh! Um, you're, you're right, because oh. yeah, that's very much my, my demographic. And mum and dad were a big... Marks and Spencer's people. I think I've talked about the fateful day starting uh, secondary school and dad having bought me some Marks and Spencer's trousers, just a normal cut. But they, you know, if, if Richard and his mates had seen me, I'd have been beaten up. It was a bit more civilized in the, in the home counties. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's the, the, the chance of flares on your, on your first day at school. So I never wore them again. And and I, Dad said, "Well, you have to buy your own trousers." <laughs> so, I was, so I bought myself some uh, some more drainpipe esque ones. But yeah, so all our clothes pretty much came from Marks and Spencers. But until recently, and I'm maybe the last fifteen years, I didn't even know they did food. You know, that was that was actually a surprise to me. I assumed that was a more recent thing. So back in the day, yeah, no no awareness that they they did food. When I'd have been in uh, sort of Wickham, I guess High Wickham, when I was more aware of uh, of them, and maybe the High Wickham one didn't do food, but other ones did. But yeah, no, that's, that was news to me. So no souffles for me. No souffles. I tell you what, do you remember the trousers where you had to? Because I was a growing lad all the time for years. I always grew an inch here and a and very small then got very big and it was always letting your trousers down that sounds yeah. really bad now you know so you, you'd have them your mom would would stitch them up half of your legs so you, you didn't have to keep buying trousers well the, the middle class way pete was we have these special ironing strips like these these like bits of tape i guess so mum would i mean she, she never sewed much mum anyway i think it's more her skills rather than the class thing but have these uh these bits of tape you'd put them in your wonder web is that what they're called? Underweb, there you go. Yeah, and then Underweb. and then you'd have to sort of unstick them and and you'd always end up with that big crease in the bottom of your trousers where it used to be turned up and was now a bit longer. Yeah, I had many memories of those. <laughs> okay, Preston. What's up? Yeah. Were you souffle boy? No, no souffle, no food. Again, like oh, spoons. I don't I don't think food in Marks and Spencer's ever came on the radar, but uh, 
Memories of Marks and Spencers are not good, I'm sad to report. Going to Marks and Spencers meant clothes shopping, and clothes shopping was the end of the world. Dragged round with your mum, sitting on the floor while she went and tried on a dress or whatever it was she was buying, having to look at ghastly sweaters and cardigans and things that she was going to buy for us. And oh, purgatory, purgatory, Pete. Now I'm older, it's not, not quite so bad in there. They, you know, they've got some reasonably fashionable stuff, and I don't mind having a little wander around the men's section. They even do some Star Wars stuff occasionally. They had some little yeah, bubble, bubble exactly. bath bottles not that long ago. Um, a Vader and a layer and an Ewok with little fur hoods and cloth capes and things, and they. Oh, uh, indeed, quite... Andy. I've got I've got a Mark Spencer, um, Amadala grey velour dress. Oh, do you wear it? <laughs> it's quite stretchy. I have not tried it on though. That's your <laughs> cosplay, saucy Pete. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's also a pink pajama suit as well, which uh, I have never seen. I don't think I'll ever see. But, Very uh, lovely. Yeah. But yes, back in back in the seventies and eighties, if the name Marks and Spencers came up, as in we're going to Marks and Spencers, uh, oh dear, that was not good news. So what, it was quality though, wasn't it? It isn't so much quality now, and I'm, I'm quite a fan of Marks and Spencers in my older age. For those of us that need a uh, a smart casual jacket for work, what might be known as a sports jacket in the past, they fit me perfectly there. So I I love them. So uh, Jason. Jason, there's no way you had Mark Spencer in that. No, no, I mean, me, I'm from the very north of Scotland. Uh, obviously, up there, it, you know, they, they didn't used to have out of town um, kind of supermarkets. I mean, now we've got an out of town, edge of town Lidl and a Tesco. But back in the day on the high street, there was a Lipton, there was the co op. And then the, I remember when the spa opened, there was like a small spa somewhere. But um, the closest, the closest Marks and Sparks to. My childhood home now is in Inverness, which is about three hour drive. But as an adult, yeah, I get I get a lot of lot of my clothes there now, and I do I do a food shop there maybe every other week. Oh, um, a food shop! Tell us what you buy in the posh world of Marks and Sparks. The funny thing was, like, when I was going up to Thurso um, a month or so back, I, I popped in. There was not. I had I had an hour to wait, so I went into Marks and Spencers. And I had to check myself from buying myself a cardigan that looked quite nice. I thought I can't be doing that. I'm not. I'm not of a certain age where I'm buying cardigans yet. So I had to oh, say, oh, no, I don't know, that. Jason. I don't know. Food. Um, I go in there and I buy. Um, oh, they have some very nice steaks. I buy steaks in there. I'm doing. I'm doing this COVID case study where they they pay me. They pay me to do um, a monthly COVID test, and I get a voucher. And I used to use the voucher at Waitrose, which is my local supermarket, but then they came off the list. So I get Marks and Sparks vouchers now, so I have to go in there and spend them. For returns. Apparently they would honour it, as long as you had a receipt, no matter how long ago the product was purchased. So you could buy something in the 1920s and get it refunded in the 1990s. So could you turn up there with a vintage Star Wars item and say, like... Yeah. Yeah. Should I take my book down and try and get a refund on it? <laughs> Get my how much damage they want for how much was it? It couldn't be that much, probably a pound or something. So, Richard, it'll come to you, but there's no way, there's just no way. No, I don't think I can actually step foot into Marks and Spencer's. Didn't the store in Newcastle a pound store or something? Or not even cheap, Leeds, Leeds, was it? Leeds. Yeah, 
But I probably stepped foot in Moxman's as the very first time, maybe about 10 years ago, when I needed a suit <laughs> for work. I was in there maybe yesterday or the day before, because I, I like the scones in there, so I, I bought some scones. Yeah. Right, let's, get it, let's, let's just get it over with, the, the obvious thing. So on the Star Wars Archives, there's a few items, but... And we're going to come to that in terms of controversy. We're going to call out Star Wars Archive, and they're going to have to uh, change some things. Now, the only item we know of that is an official St. Michael, Marks and Sparks, PLC, was a book. (laughs) The storybook based on the film, um, which was a beautiful book. I've got one in my hand right now. It is absolutely lovely. It's great condition. It's on eBay if you want to buy it. Um, it's it's really it's, it's a lovely put together book. I want to just Why? specify, Pete. It is the Return of the Jedi book. I don't think it is. Return Jedi, I did say yeah, yes, Return of Jedi. The storybook based on the film. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's got that lovely front page as you open it of the characters. It gives a quick brief rundown of the main characters. Han Solo looks like a Princess Leia. Wicket don't like him. Uh, Lando, because I think I think at least three of us have got this book. Oh, we should all have it. Jabba the Hutt, R two, C three kind of spoils it with Jabba the Hutt in the front there. Um, Darth Vader, Chewbacca, and Yoda is on that front. That first page giving you a little rundown of each. Uh, yeah, she does a bit a few spoilers there actually. It spoils Lando Calrissian as well. Now Rebel General. Oh. But yeah, it's just beautiful glossy pages, lovely images, um, good text, but the whole film. Covers all the film all the way through. Lovely. What a great item. Far too many CPO images for my liking. But um, just a lovely book. You've all got this, haven't you, guys? All of you. Yeah. Yes. Nope. What? What, Richard? We won't be beaten up now, Richard. You can still have it. I cannot believe Andy. Well, I know you've got it, Preston. You've got it. Oh, it's UK. It must be. So, Andy, is there anything else on this book? Any versions of it? Any randomness of it? Any prototypes of it? Anything else? This is, yeah, it's it's a it's a lovely book. It's a hardback. It's uh, um, as you say, it's a Marks and Spencer Saint Michael exclusive. Return of the Jedi logo at the top, a nice diamond frame on the uh, front cover, uh, and inside you've got an image of Vader and the Royal Guards by the lift in the Imperial Throne Room. It says the storybook based on the film. Uh, you got the same image on the back cover. It's actually the same book as the red soft cover published by Futura. Mm. Um, different cover, but exactly the same pages inside. There are three versions of the Futura one. Um, so uh, there's uh, uh, the, there's the standard Futura. There's another one that says bookstore exclusive, and then there's a Scholastic version. But going back to the hardback, as far as I'm aware. There is only one version. Only needs one version. That's it. Not an awful lot to talk about, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what that's, that's a good thing. Now let's get the controversy. Right, the book's great. It's on eBay. If you want it? I've got a really mint version for sale. Um, the reason we went with with this is like, well, let's find something cheap and cheerful because obviously we're going to talk a lot about celebration. Let's have something. But you know, it's it's still a licensee. They were licensed products, and they do have um, quite a few modern bits and pieces and stuff from the uh, from episode one. But if you go onto the Star Wars Collectors Archive and go to the licensees um, database side of things, there are quite a few items underneath Marks and Spencer. Now, the Collectors Archive have got, so I'm going to be mean, but I'm not being mean 
I'm not being facetiously mean. I'm just being correctively mean. So we've got two entries on the Star Wars Collectors Archive in licensees. You've got St. Michael, Stroke, Marks and Spencer and Marks and Spencer. And if you go to the St. Michael, Marks and Spencer, you get quite a few items, mostly episode one and all sorts. And you get the storybook. But if you go to the other <laughs> the other link just under Marks and Spencer, you will get a lot of bedding and curtains. Now, Andy, you correct me on this. I had no idea. I just believe the archive because that's what you've got to do, really. Don't want to go against the archive. So who have done those items? Why are they under Marks and Spencer? Do you know? Well, as far as I am aware, unless anybody out there listening can tell me different, those items were produced by a British company, Hayjax, under license from Bib Company, which was the American um, bedware manufacturer um, who produced these things in the States. Uh, there were various different ones. The two best known Jedi ones, one has a red background and there's pictures of Darth Vader and Luke dueling and the Ewoks and things. Um, the other one is a, more of a brown or a beigey background. Um, and again, Ewoks and speeder bikes and Royal Guards and things on there. Uh, everybody would have seen these duvets, curtains, lampshades, all sorts of products made out of this material. But uh, yeah, as far as I'm aware, it was a company called Hayjax, H-A-Y-J-A-X, who made these things in the UK. I've certainly got quite a few sealed examples of Hayjax bedding products. None of them mention St. Michael, none of them mention Marks and Spencers, and I believe these were generally available in other retailers as well. Uh, I've seen nothing to make me believe they are Marks and Spencers brand or Marks and Spencers exclusive. So, uh, yeah, come on, SWCA, where have you got your info from? <laughs> well, let's call out our names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming Duncan Jenkins. I'm blaming him. Uh, he's got his name to all the, the duvet covers. Uh, which are brilliant. But yeah, Duncan Jenkins is the guilty party. There we go. Duncan, you've got a right of reply. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us we're complete. Let's orphans. hear it. We are pro we probably are, but like I said, I mean this stuff was probably you know, it's probably found in a Marks and Spencer bag somewhere and that's probably where it came from. But I mean they must have sold them there. But I mean maybe people just couldn't remember any of the shops that existed. I mean there must be some reason that has had, you know, Marks Spencer attached to it. But um, yeah, it'd just be something nice to to find, you know, to kind of clear that up because there's a little bit of a, you know, this sometimes the, the UK versions of information on the Clips Archive can be a little bit awry. Most times I'm looking at stuff, Andy, you're calling out other things which exist. So you should really be rewriting some of this British stuff. We're going to hold you to, to task there. But yeah, um, so yeah, we'll we'll try and, well, I think we might write a little comment and try and get that changed. I think it would be, so it would be a useful thing, you know, if, if something does not exist under something, we should call it out. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It just helps information. But uh, you see, for my simple brain, I didn't know any different. I was just going with Mark Spencer. That'll do. But yeah, that's why this month is short and sweet. Yeah, but Eight hold on, Pete. Book. Hold on. No, no, Andy, don't. Don't do it. That may not be the end of the story. Oh, my God. Controversial. Well, you you know about this. There are items, a very small number of items, which there is some debate over. 
But Craig Stevens, and Craig certainly knows his stuff. Um, you know, he's, he's the one that, that's written the book, Star Wars Phenomenon in Britain. Craig reckons that Marks and Spencers were originally going to do a range of nightwear, pajamas and slippers um, and a few other things, aprons, because on the licensee sheet that went out with early promotional stuff, they were listed down as a Star Wars official licensee. The way the story goes, as Craig tells it, that license was taken away again from Marks and Spencers because I think Factors, who were doing the T-shirts and things, complained. Uh, they they had the, the, the sole rights to do Star Wars clothing. But Marks and Spencers, naughty, naughty, went ahead with their product range anyway but without the license and without any labeling or any copyright info or anything like that. Whether that is true or not, I don't know. But I do have a pajama top in my collection. And uh, we have talked about this before on uh, on, on the Vintage Rebellion. Uh, it's a really nice image, actually. Um, the material is red, and then you've got a colored panel on the front with the Star Wars logo. And it's the, the logo that sort of recedes into the background that was used on a lot of the early British stuff. Uh, top left of that, you've got the Death Star and a couple of TIE Fighters. Bottom right of the logo, you've got a couple of X-Wings. Top right, you've got Princess Leia with her classic um, Buns hairdo. Bottom left of the logo, you've got R2-D2 and C-3PO. Really nice artwork. And uh, as I say, there's no label in it. There's nothing connecting it with Marks and Spencers. But uh, that is an item that uh, Craig is sure was an M&S release. And uh, Pete, I believe you know another item that's got the same artwork on. Yeah, so that I think, well, again, we've mentioned this before because I interviewed him. And there's a friend of mine in Leamington. He's got his dad had a shop next to our prominent toy store, Toy Town. And it was a clothing shop. But I think, he's, I think he said his dad worked at a factory as well, or got clothes from a factory or stuff from a factory or whatever, called Wilcox, which uh, was in Leamington or Warwick, somewhere around the area. And um, he, he had this apron, this Star Wars apron, so the same design on an apron. And I think we've sort of worked out it's it's quite a Princess Leia prominent image on, on that design. You would think that, that they were trying to maybe push that towards the girl market, maybe, or people who like Princess Leia market. Because um, she's quite prominent on that. It's a really nice image of her, uh, really really nicely drawn. And so it's exactly the same design on an apron, a real plasticky looking apron. And I did ask him to ask his dad because he's you know, he needed to find some information. And because uh, he thought that they knew the artist, but apparently um, his dad got got it confused with something else. But he just knew that this this apron turned up at this factory. So either they were churning them out for somewhere. Um, I can't find any information about a factory called Wilcox in the area. I've not done an extensive search. I'll try and find some more information how it was spelled, whether it was C-O-X or C-O-C-K-S or whatever, because it probably got bought out and called something else or renamed. But, you know, this apron came from that factory. So whether that was churned them out or there were a number of places that churned them out and they were, maybe it, was, it might have been a test market. I don't know whether they did test markets back in the day, but... They might have had a few they put into a shop, but um, it's an interesting little mystery. I try and I keep asking this guy to get more information out of his dad about, you know, who the factory was, where it was. Can we trace things back? It's just a little, little bit of fun. But you picked us me else, didn't you? This week that was a little bit Marks and Sparksy. Yeah, I mean the the other um, item of nightwear is a pair of slippers, which has got R two and three PO and the Star Wars logo, 
Um, I've not got that one, but uh, that, that's that's something that's on my uh, on my wish list. And uh, again, Craig reckons that was Marks and Spencer's back in the day. Um, yeah, the item that I've picked up this week, and I did mention this briefly in my new acquisitions, is another T-shirt. And this is a light blue fabric with red trim around the sleeves and the collar and the uh, and the waist. Um, there's a yellow and red graphic on the front um as it, the sort of yellow at the bottom red above as if it's an explosion going off there's a really cute image of a stormtrooper in the middle and then above him there's darth vader's head and shoulders there's an x-wing and then alongside the stormtrooper you've got r2d2 you've got uh, chewbacca again head and shoulders and another one of these stormtroopers no label looks completely bootleg but again when i sh- when i showed this on facebook Craig said, uh, "Yeah, I've, I've got a funny feeling this might be Marks and Spencer's as well, um, on on, a, on the basis that it was a totally unauthorized bootleg version." Yeah, that's all I know about these. So, uh, if anybody out there does know any more about the Marks and Spencer's collection with this clothing range, then uh, do give us a shout. I'd love to hear. Craig's theory is that M&S was so far down the line with their product development that when they had the license pulled by Lucasfilm, they were too far gone you know they've invested too much money and they decided just to carry on anyway <laughs> but i mean it's not damaged them because they've they've you know they've done episode uh one stuff and they've done some modern stuff so you know they have produced you know there's a few you know there's a few rare episode one items there with amadana i'm trying to find so uh, if anyone wants to get rid of any of those let me know yeah definitely interesting bit of a shame there's only one item but hey it's going to get covered at some stage we're going to cover every single licensee ever but yeah we'll um do another one next month Right, lads, come to an end of another show, episode 95. Of course, we've done over 100 episodes now, Pete, definitely, when you add in all the specials and everything. Wow. Indeed. Who would have thought it? So, thanks to every one of our listeners. Um, your feedback is very much appreciated. Start over on Facebook, Matt Fox. I can't believe me, the toys be with you. Got a shout out. I made it to the top. <laughs> yeah, cheers for that, Matt. Uh, thanks for the kind words, boys, and keep up the great work. It's always a pleasure to spend time listening to the Venture Rebellion great touring exhibition that and uh, currently in Northampton so if anybody's in that area can go and check it out Mark Avery wow I've not finished the last one yet <laughs> yeah we did, we did seem to put two out quite close to each other and uh, this one's actually a little bit early as well so hopefully we'll get this one out soon Mark Burns only discovered this podcast a couple of months back I'm coming up to episode 32 plenty of catching up to do yeah absolutely Mark Burns not sure I can catch up um, up to 95 within about a year or two but give it a good try Sarah Harper, listening to you for the next two trips to work in court, she has sorted. Thanks for that, Sarah. Very, very much appreciated. Jeff Johnson, always looking forward to a new episode. I'm currently enjoying your Lost and Found figure stories in episode 94. I have Lost and Found story from my childhood with Chewbacca. Yeah, but another Chewbacca seems to... Uh, I wonder if it's to do with the mud. I wonder if that's how we lost all the Chewbaccas. Our family dog would often chew things up that were laying around and one day she got really sick. My parents took her to the veterinarian and she had to have an emergency surgery for bowel obstruction. They gave us a plastic bag of what they removed from her intestines and there were pieces of blankets, yarn, wire, bread bag tie that pierced her stomach, pieces of plastic and yep, you guessed it, Chewbacca. Mystery solved. You got tossed in the bin but I now still wish I had that figure for the memories. <laughs> Great story that. And Pete, can you remember the title of our very, very first episode? Oh, crikey, was it? Uh, it was something about breastfeeding an Ewok or something. You know, it was chewing a Wookiee. Oh, chewing a Wookiee. Yeah, chewing a Wookiee. 
Zaya Revsi contacted me on Facebook to say that he really enjoyed the David Quinn interview, as did many of the people on the collectors group. So it was really good chatting to David. And David wrote me some lovely feedback as well, saying it's it's just like hanging out with friends when he listens to us in the gym. So yep, absolutely. Um, question was asked about coming to celebration, so we're looking forward to seeing uh, hopefully Barry Pulaski, Scott Cato, um, Todd Osborne, who's putting me a babe. Come on, Todd, get yourself there. Clint Garnis and Matt Cooper. So looking forward to seeing you and many other people at Star Wars Celebration 4 in London, or should I say Star Wars Celebration Europe 4 in London. Well, guys, it's been a fantastic episode. If anybody's got any feedback, leave us on this. You email us at swtvrpodcast.gmail.com or you search Vintage Rebellion on all the social media platforms. Once again, a huge shout-out to Chris Porteous for everything that he does on YouTube. Check out many of the videos contact on there. Right, guys, I have really, really enjoyed this episode. Something nice having a different show. It was nice talk about Jason's experiences in celebration, and I really hope everybody checks out those interviews. So, special thanks to Matt Booker, Mark Newbold for coming on and sharing your celebration stories. A huge thanks again to Chris Portius for everything that you got when you recorded over there. Great show, so let's get this one wrapped up. It's bye bye for Pete. If Todd Osborne comes, we're going to send him to kill off Boris Johnson. He'd probably do it too. He would. He would. I think he would. It's goodbye from Jason Smith. See you later, everyone. It's goodbye from Andy Spoons Norton. Good night, all. Celebrate another lovely show. It's goodbye from Andy Preston. Cheers, guys. And I'm looking forward to celebrating with you all. And it's a later, guys, from me. And remember only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Teddy!